everyone, and welcome to Between the Sheets, episode number 402. I'm your host, Chris Zoner, joined as always by my co-host, David Bixenspan. And Bix, we got quite the show this week. Quite the uh, the show for fans of uh, hardcore and taking them on and everything this week. We got, we got a lot of stuff going on here. <laughs> it's not a he. <laughs> <laughs> No, it is not. Yeah, absolutely. We'll talk about it when we get there. But Shane Douglas is by far the best part of that angle, right? Of course, yes. We'll we'll get to that later on. And it surprised me when I was looking for the week the dude that we haven't done this week yet. It's sandwiched around weeks we've done. We've talked about it, but we haven't done the week. So the time has come, and. When I was trying to figure out who should be a guest on this show, this person came to mind immediately. Because if there's anything that is a, a big ECW topic, there's only one person to go to. And that's the man who brought us Barbara City and has all kinds of other uh, accolades on his resume involving professional yes. wrestling. Oh, I meant to print allocades. <laughs> I'm sorry. Allocades. <laughs> <laughs> Bix blew, blew a spot already. Uh, we are joined by our dear friend, Johnny P. John Philip Havis. John, welcome back. Thanks for having me, guys. I was, was going to do the hack line. Uh, uh, I'm hardcore. I'll take them both. Yeah. Like, we've already used it twice in the opening thing. Uh, my, my, my pronoun is he, so Shane is correct. It is me. <laughs> I'm, just, I'm, uh, I'm really excited. At least you have this as a, as a well, not me as a draw, but you have the the uh, the angle because uh, because the Pillman stuff that we're going to cover is really fascinating. But everybody should just pay for the Patreon and go listen to the Pillman show that you guys did because then you get all the Pillman stuff. Thank you, thank you for that. Patreon.com slash Twin Sheets, five dollars a month. Don't stop listening, everybody. Don't stop listening. Well, I'll, I swear to God, we'll be entertaining. Say that after the show. There you go. So. Uh, Yes, yes, we did the whole show on Brian Pillman, and he leads off on this show. As we're discussing the week that was April 19th through the 24th, 1996. Yeah, we're missing a day because we covered it in the previous show. So there you go. All right, um, Brian Pillman leads off. Like I said, Brian Pillman was released from the University Hospital of Cincinnati on April 19th after rolling his Humvee, an open-air military vehicle. Dave wanted to let everybody know what that was. It's like Four nights earlier, Chris. <laughs> I know. Four nights earlier and suffering numerous injuries, the most serious of which was a crushed ankle. When the police and medics found Pillman Monday night moments after taking a 40-foot fall from being ejected as the vehicle rolled, he lost so much blood that those who found him believed he wasn't going to make it. His face was so swollen early in the week that even his own sister couldn't have identified him. And there was initial fear the fall could have done damage to the spinal cord, which could have been a crippling injury. He was in the burn unit in the hospital earlier in the week and was originally in intensive care, although his condition was quickly upgraded. By the end of the week, after surgery, which included taking bone from his hip to reconstruct his ankle, he was told that the long-term prognosis was good and the injury shouldn't be serious enough to threaten his wrestling career. He was allowed to go home from the hospital for the weekend. As it would turn out, Pillman. that was a lie. <laughs> Pillman, who had undergone his 34th throat operation just a few weeks earlier, related to a throat condition he had as a young child, which is why his voice is so raspy, underwent facial plastic surgery to repair some bone fractures in his face, which included a broken nose, a fractured cheekbone, and dislocated jaw on April 22nd. 
The surgery have included having his jaw wired shut for approximately one week. Philman, who was wearing a heavy Harley biker jacket when ejected, believed the thickness of the jacket saved him from more serious injuries, as the jacket itself was torn to shreds. I mean, that's what motorcycle jackets are for. <laughs> There's the whole story of uh, when Fonzie was being introduced on Happy hey. Days. How, you know, initially they could, he wasn't wearing a leather jacket because the network thought that only hoodlums wore leather jackets. But once they were able to convince them, like, well, no, he has a motorcycle. People who ride motorcycles wear leather jackets for protection. He was able to get his leather jacket. Yeah, that funky blue jacket, that light blue jacket he wore. Yes. On the early episodes of I mean, Happy Days. He really Days. looked like more, more of a hoodlum with the weird light blue jacket and the <laughs> and his and his mysterious greaser friends with their matching jackets than he did with the leather jacket. <laughs> yeah, the early Fawn stuff is uh, something to watch, considering uh, what, what it would become later on. Uh, anyway, enough of the fawns. Hey. He also felt fortunate, fortunate the injuries weren't worse than that for whatever reason. He wasn't wearing a seatbelt at the time. He rode the Humvee after striking a tree stump in the field on the side of Kentucky Route 338 near his home. The vehicle was destroyed. He was told by police that he had been wearing a, had he been wearing a seatbelt and not been thrown, that he would have been crushed inside the vehicle. So, yes, one of the few occasions that not wearing a seatbelt actually worked. I mean, but he's that, dead in a year and a half anyway, but that's a different I know, story. but still. But still, but well, that's to, for his own doing. But still, I mean, it happens. There's a rare instance that that does happen. Doctors told Pillman that he, it would be eight weeks before he can start rehabilitating the ankle, and perhaps another month after that before he can go back into the ring. Oh, come so, on. Yeah, good luck with that. Uh, Pillman, who's a small bone person, has had problems with the ankle stem back from his previous ankle injury, injured his pro wrestling career, pro football, football career, excuse me. Yes, when he was playing with the Calgary Stampeders in the Canadian Football League. As luck would have it, that ankle injury turned into the best career break of his life because it led him to Bruce Hart and Stampede Wrestling, where he started his career in 1987. Pillman became a far bigger star and earned more money in pro wrestling than he ever could have hoped being an alignment of his size in pro football. So I should believe with ankle reconstruction, his ankle will be stronger than it had previously been because it had been never been 100% since the football injury. Again, that is all lies, but, you know, like, look, from a news perspective, you're talking about someone's medical condition. There's no one else really you can talk to other than that person. So it's like, it's not Dave's fault, but this would all turn out to be Brian lying to everyone. Yes. Shocking. The accident occurred two days before Pillman's contract with WCW, believed to be around $225,000 a year, was to expire. Pillman had had informal talks since the accident both with WF and WCW, and the injury doesn't appear to be nearly any hindrance in getting a new deal, as first thought, since it appears both groups believe Pillman's strength in wrestling right now is his persona. And now we go to the torch. Pillman's contract with WCW expired on April 17th. Rather than the injury hurting his negotiating power, both WCW and the WF have shown interest in him. WCW has been especially aggressive in their offers. Bischoff even wished Bischoff, Eric Bischoff even wished Brian Pillman well in the live uh, Monday Nitro on April 22nd. Pillman apparently hasn't decided whether he's going to resign with WCW or jump to WF. He's maybe have action at least 10 weeks, perhaps up to three or four months. He had been sl slated by WCW to wrestle at the June pay-per-view, teaming with Ric Flair against Mongo and Michael and Kevin Green. He had planned, and apparently still does plan, to wrestle Shane Douglas at least once in ECW before returning full-time work with one of the major promotions. Pillman was originally going to do a run-in on the April 20th ECW Arena event. 
Okay. Where we'll do we talk about more on that later. Um, all right, where you want to start? Well, all right, so, of course, we did the Patreon show on this, patreon.com slash 20sheets. So we uh, we talked uh, ad nauseum about this, me and Bix have. So I think we need to go to Johnny P first. Johnny Pillman was the, one of the hottest uh, people in wrestling in this time period. And this wreck right here changed so much of what his future could have been. So my question to you is, what are your thoughts on uh, on the timing of this situation and how it affected everything? I have always felt like the, the two things have happened to me over the years. One is that I think less of the upside of Pillman as I get older. As far as in-ring and being able to maintain the, the coolness of the character and the relevancy of it. But two, I feel more and more every day like like at the time, I was like, "What bad timing?" And now we're like, "What, 25, 26 years later?" And I'm like, "That is unbelievably bad timing." It's like two days before your contract when you worked this this thing where you can use ECW as a way station while you have these two other places bid against you. And I and he was making good enough money that he could have sat out and waited waited it out and made a real impact. I think it's it's in the books. In, in, in the ballpark, rather, as one of the worst timed, like, I'll say accident, but it literally is an accident. But I mean, it's one of the worst times something happens to a wrestler right at a peak moment, you know? In, in its own way, it's up there with Magnum TA. Yes, yes. In yeah, its it's own not, way. It's not a perfect overlay, but yes, in, in its own way. It's not a perfect overlay, but it's... Instead, those two are in the discussion. Like, what? What else would be in that discussion? Um, Hillbilly Jim. Hillbilly Jim's up there, absolutely, because he was about to explode as a as a top baby face before he slipped and fell and broke his mm-hmm. leg. Um, if other cases I can think of, but that, you know that involves actual death. So I'm not going to even talk about that because. That's a whole different story. Yeah, you could go with your like uh, David Von Erich or something like that. Well, you can go with Bobby Shane. I mean, go way back then mm. and stuff like that. Yeah. You know, Johnny. Fa- well, Johnny Valentine was you know getting up there in age, but still, I mean, but I think the Pillman thing though is you know ECW. ECW was the biggest loser of all in all this, I think, because Pillman came in, he did his angles. Built up a thing with Shane Douglas, and they never got to pay it off. And it was the coolest thing. As somebody who was sitting there on Tuesdays, because at this point, I have good memories of this this week's television show. Like this was still a six p.m. at night uh, on on a Tuesday. Uh, Aaron, Sports Channel Phil. I remember. Yeah. Yep, I remember watching this week very specifically. I remember like what I did that day. Everything. Um, this was the coolest thing that spread. Because Pillman had all that buzz. Oh, and he had the 900 number when 900 numbers were still a thing. And he had a deal with Paul where he was he was getting three broadcasts, like two or three a show at least, uh, of the commercial for that. So, like, he he had a good financial thing all rated anyway. And, yeah, but as a fan, yeah, we never got the Shane thing. And that, I thought, was building well and would have kept going. It would have been a thing. Absolutely would have been a thing. And, I mean, WCW... It, it, you know, and we said this on a Patreon show, push come to shove, he would have ended up back in WCW. Yeah, yeah. 
And and think about and think about this, you know, Pillman and the NWO coexisting in the same time period like that, that would have been something. Politically though, or as fun as that is to think about, politically though, doesn't he kind of get squashed by those guys? Maybe not like literally squashed in a wrestling sense, but like I love the idea of that, but I'm like, who's undercutting him in that shark? Well, he gets his big. Well, here's the thing: he would have got his big pay per view match with, like they're mentioned here, with with a flair against Green and Mongo. Mm-hmm. So he had that, but then after that, it's a whole different story. Which after the Hogan turn and everything like that. So if Pillman's there, is Mongo just a babyface wrestler? Uh. Derek, we're going to talk about that when we get WCW, because there's there's a plan in place for an angle. So we'll we'll touch on that when we get WCW. But um, basically, your instincts are correct. Okay. So in that way, as far as other stuff here, you know, one thing we touch on that's kind of funny about this on the Patreon show is like you actually watch the footage of that. WCW and ECW Loose Cannon run. Pillman's actual best work on promos and everything is before the work shoot stuff starts. Yes. Mm-hmm. Yes. Absolutely. Like he is just a he's just overall cutting better promos. He comes off more intense and wild and scary. It just it it I wouldn't necessarily say it got too cute, but it you know, it didn't enhance his presentation per se. Um, I don't think there's that much we need to get into about the medical side since it's like, I mean, everyone knows. And like I alluded to, like all this stuff was Brian lying to everyone. Yeah. It's just, you know, the, the, the thing is, is what could have been if there's no rack to me. Yeah. You know, him doing the, him doing a match with Shane and ECW, which would have happened. And then him rejoining WCW, which I believe would have happened. And yeah, it would have been it would have been something to see Pillman in the NWO because Pillman Pillman would have been probably one of the biggest baby faces and all that because he would have been the guy who would have been crazy enough to fight the NWO by himself. Yeah, you know, it would have turned him face. And there was also the what Bischoff says now, which I kind of believe, at least by Eric standards, is that. He f- he claims that he was just letting Brian go to WWF because he felt like he would not be able to justify paying Brian what he wanted at the time, but would be able to in three years after Brian finished out a WWF deal. I mean, and one of the reasons I do kind of believe that is, you know, people who know the lore behind this probably notice something very conspicuous in what Chris read, which is everyone saying his contract was just expiring. There's no reference to him getting a release. Exactly. Much less this whole thing yeah. where, like, he convinces Eric to get a real release so they can work everyone in the company. But it's the idea is they have a gentleman's agreement that he won't treat it like a real release. Like, you don't see any word of that in the newsletters until months later. Exactly. Has, has any uh, ex WCW guy, and I realize these are the old school worker types, and I mean worker not in the in ring sense. So maybe on some shoot interviews, somebody said something, but like I don't know that I've ever seen one of his contemporaries be like, "Oh yeah, he showed us the release, and he 
he was, you know, trying to work us with this release thing, or we thought it was real, or anything like that. I don't know anybody who, other than the newsletters, I don't know where the release comes from to quote unquote work the boys. It almost feels like something that post everything happening got out there to the Meltzers and Kellers of the world. Yeah, I, I don't know of any any either. So yeah, I mean, it. <sighs> Right, everyone's saying at this point his deal's about to expire, which also, I mean, makes sense because didn't he sign his previous contract, I guess, three-year contract plus a one-year option in April 92? Something like that. Because he was, like, came in, he was one of those guys who got a Kip Fry contract right before Watts came in that Watts was pissed about. Mm-hmm. Mm -hmm. So... I find it very confusing. I think Liam O'Rourke's book puts puts it as happening around uncensored or either or maybe happening before the ECW initial ECW angle to get that over, but it, it, no one seems to agree on when it would have happened. And here are the newsletters, which I mean, all they all have a direct line to Brian, are saying that his deal was just up. So, like, I get that it's... And then they they conveniently forget that information later on. (laughs) Yeah, I get get that the the story of Brian and Kim Wood outmaneuvering Bischoff to get this fake release that's actually a real release is just, just the ultimate, like, wrestling con story. And maybe there's truth to it. Maybe, like, I think one of the things we went into on the Patreon show was, like, Maybe he did get a release, or maybe he got a written permission to negotiate or something. But at the time, all everyone is saying, and everyone's clearly talking to Brian, is that his contract's just expiring in the middle of April. And the poetic whatever about it, you know, being just, you know, a few days after the accident. I just read verbatim what the newsletter said. That wasn't me adding anything to it. No. So, that's just weird. I forget, does the Lariat exist yet at this time? Like, is there potentially anything else in there? It it does exist. Yeah, I don't know what's in it, but it does exist at this point. Because, yeah, we don't usually go there because, I mean, it's Dave Shearer. But, okay, let me see. So, cover date would be what? Just if we're going with this for argument's sake. Um, what was the cover date on the main observer here? 29th? I mean, we're doing the week, uh, we're doing April, so I would guess it'd be the last uh, one in April. April 29th, which is what I'm looking at right now, as I'm scrolling down. Yeah, I should probably keep, I should probably keep this uh, handy for later, just to see his insane rea- probably insane reaction to the ECW angle. But, uh... There's a long, long interview with Chris Jericho in here. Yeah, I mean, I'm seeing, like, his initial Oh, he would have just been showing up, right? Including a message uh, that Melanie posted on AOL. And there's nothing here about his contract. So, yeah, I, it doesn't seem like there's any reason to believe any newsletter people had this release story. There's really nothing about Pillman in here at all, basically, what I'm looking at. So, so. yeah, all right. Yeah, Dave, and, this would, and, that's, and this is not meant to throw any... any any shaded cheer or get involved in any feuds, but uh, he, he's very young in the newsletter game at this point. So, and, and, you know, they, you can get a lot more access to these guys that like that, those 
you know, early ECW, like that 94 through 96, before the first pay-per-view. So if anybody's going to get worked or at least get fed a story like that, like just in like yes, chit chat, yes. it's it's that scenario. Not and not again, not to not because I think Dave is, is dumb or anything. Just because like that's the target, like a, a, a younger, uh, newer guy who has access, and you're just kind of kind of like a pill. This genius of Pillman and this idea that he would just be chit chatting and say something like that. That's like right out of the playbook, but we don't right. see any evidence. Of yeah, I do have a question for both of you guys uh, yeah. on on the ECW front. How long do you think? So, so let's say the the, the car crash doesn't happen, uh, yeah. and and now he's a free agent, and he's and he's going to try to field his offers, and he's going to show up, for, you know, once a month at the arena. How long do you think Heyman can keep him around? Do you think that he gets some kind of? Do you think he's gone by the fall, or does Heyman go, hey, if you stick around? I'm doing a show in the first quarter if, uh, if of, he, of next year, and it's on pay-per-view, and you could be the headline guy with with if, Shane. I've if, heard if, something to that effect that that was at point of plan. If he's booked, if WCW has him tentatively booked in a pay-per-view main event in June, he's on ECW after that. I mean, he's on ECW mm-hmm. around that time. He he's done. He's done in May. They do the shame match in May or whatever, and yeah, I don't see any way WCW allows him in ECW if he resigns with WCW. I just don't see that happening. Yeah, there's no lawsuit that they can ask for that favor at that point, is there? No. Once he's resigned with WCW with an ironclad deal, then yeah, that that deals over with, with with Paul. Yeah, I agree. I think. Yeah. So that's just that's just the way it is. So unless Paul unless Paul would work with WCW, but you know we know that ain't gonna happen because he's getting money from WWF. Yeah, so I mean we are forgetting one thing though that Kevin Sullivan's part of this and Bischoff theoretically would want to see through what he started maybe, but I think there's a chance, but I think it's unlikely. Yeah. Yeah, who knows? And now let's go to the World Wrestling Federation. A lot going on here during our week. As I switch there. All right, Bret Hart is getting far too much play on television for someone who supposedly hasn't decided for sure if he's coming back. In addition, WF has ordered toy makers to create new dolls, and they're creating a new Bret Hart doll. And these won't be out for a long time. It's funny during one of Brett's interviews where he said if Shawn Michaels wrestles at his best, then Diesel won't even come close to beating him, which is exactly the opposite of what you want fans thinking going to a title match on pay-per-view. But they entered anyway, so overall it's a great interview. And uh fortunately that Brett's taking time off, not giving a commitment to return on any given date, if at all. He is saying he will not join WCW under any circumstances. So there is that, but yeah, I mean, it's like the whole Brett thing hangs over WWF for the entire spring and summer 1996. Like, I wouldn't even say like a dark cloud, but a cloud. You know, what is the future going to hold for Brett? And I kind of wonder if that isn't one of the, you know, things that 
is a hindrance to Sean's title reign, knowing that the whole Brett thing is just hanging in the wind. What are your thoughts, JP? I think it's possibly a problem. Like, uh, I mean, this is getting this is playing you know shade tree psychology, but I'm I'm never one to back away from that. It's one of my favorite games. Um, I think it's possible that that. If it doesn't mess with the perception that some fans have of Sean's uh, reign, I think it may be in his head. I think he seems like a guy who like really likes the spotlight and likes it all to himself. Like 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 a brother who who wants the toy, but then he gets angry because the other brother like won't fight him over the toy once he's taken it. Like he comes off at that time period as that kind of person. So I think he could be in his head at times about it. Like he was very petulant at the time. That's cause that's the summer with like, he gets pissy with Vader during a match. Um, mm-hmm. I also think that like, there've been like, uh, it's during the time since this has happened and we've been, been all in line. There's been like two rewrites of history with that summer because for a while it was like, oh, he was the you know the worst drawing champ, and then people were looking at the numbers and they were like, actually, he's not doing that horrible, especially when you think of like modern day and you're just for inflation. And um, I, I think he could probably get in his head about it, but I, I, I guess it really comes down to, and now I'm just spinning wheels, but because I'm like really kind of interested in this, and I don't think that he's a reliable narrator who would answer that question honestly in the last like ten or so years, anyway. I think he just genuinely like wants to be cool with Brett, but yeah, I think he liked it until he didn't. If that makes any sense, like I can totally, I will buy that as a case by late summer that he goes from like this is my this is my island and I'm really happy with it and it's all mine and I'm glad that old man's gone. I never liked Brett anyway, and he he was a hassle. So like, doesn't doesn't he want to come back and have a big feud with me? Does he want to you know do anything? But then I mean, you add on top of that. Who's the big feud with in this, you know, in the spring going into summer is fucking Brett's brother in law and being accused of having an affair with Brett's sister, which is just so weird. <laughs> <laughs> so you have, weird. you have that going on, yeah. Uh, Bix, what are your, what are your thoughts on all this? I mean, there's one thing we need to stress here is that he's working every single international tour throughout all this, yes. Brett is, yeah, Bre- yeah, Brett is around he's just not working in the north american part of it see that's something as a, as a teenager i didn't know that really changes like how i perceive it um like that's a great thank you for bringing that up because i i still know it's still in here and i still know it but my brain still thinks of it in, in terms my memories are still of the tv content which is like he went away and then he came back in like october into november um that's gotta be weird for 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 Sean because Brett just parachutes in periodically and was like from everything I've ever heard extremely over uh, overseas like like a big deal like almost bigger than in America um, so that would that would have to be tough that would weigh on me personally I don't think I have the issues that that Sean would have had in 1996 especially with your friend leaving and it's probably the most political thing Brett has ever done even if that wasn't necessarily his intent. That he's able to show mm-hmm. him carrying these international tours where his name is the strongest. And then, you know, so he's able to show his drawing power while not really being around for the most part. You know, so then, like, 
if he wanted to, that would be something he could easily use to kind of slide back in later. But I do believe, Brett, that it was just he wanted to take time off that had already committed to work the international tours and knew they were built around him, so he promised Vince that he would work them. But it's still, it is such a and weird still, limbo. It's still leverage. Yeah. And that's yeah. kind of way on Sean. Yeah, absolutely. And as Sean's buddies are are leaving, too. That's another thing that also plays into it as well, as we're going to get into all that. Um now and throughout this whole section without saying so directly they're trying to do a tease to fans who know that diesel is leaving by teasing that he might leave and take the title belt with him to wcw without actually saying any of that oh come on diesel going to wcw and acting like he's coming on behalf of the wwf that'll never happen <laughs> no not at all honestly <laughs> you think about it this way that the nwo angle is kind of vince's fault <laughs> yeah because i mean that's the foreshadowing that they were doing in their own subtle way. I mean, so he set the table. Yeah, the implication is he is set. Di- I mean, D- Diesel is leaving, but it's Diesel is going straight to WCW from the WWF and could be taking the title with him. So, like, yeah. You know, he's antagonistic to Vince the way they were portraying it, but still. Yeah. Well, we'll have more on Diesel in just a little bit. Bam Bam Bigelow's also with WF claiming he was promised an unconditional release, provided he put gold dust over on pay-per-view. But then he got a release that was conditional on him not working for WCW, which is where he was hoping to work. He's contractually free to go to WCW in October. And said he just goes to ECW for some reason. Well, it might be the reason why he doesn't go to WCW is because uh, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash are in WCW. Yeah, that's a good point, actually. <laughs> so that throws a monkey wrench into his plans real quick <laughs> but anyway all right on raw 22nd they're in the angle tickets on april 20th in beirut germany involving david Smith and jake roberts the angle was pretty bad so it was hard for davy to look vicious with his knee so tender and the bad knee was obvious it's so all he did was stomp which is where knee injuries become the most obvious Jake wound up making his own comeback and laid Davey on and put the snake on him, which is kind of a weird thing for Bayface to get all his revenge before the first match takes place. It's also surprising to see them put Smith in this position against a lower-level Babyface when the idea was to start rebuilding him. Well, we're talking about a big, so I guess we might as well go ahead and see the angle. Yeah. The Warriors going to be there. Got a big surprise for him. Championship belt or no, he's going to face Isaac Yankum, and I'm going to be in the corner of Isaac Yankum. Imagine that, live next week from Sioux City, the Warrior. Again, ah. with a Why is Dylan on commentary? What about the action yet to come? One week from tomorrow night in Des Moines, Iowa. And then, ladies and gentlemen, in the month of May, international touring in Kuwait, as well as back over here, the king of... Oh, I clicked on the wrong chapter. There we go. Let's I was about to say, where, where were we at? There we go. It live. WWF tour going on in Germany, winding up, as we said before tonight, in Munich, but Frankfurt, Berlin, Hamburg, and recent footage as well, shot in Bayreuth, yes. The WWF superstars' worldwide popularity continues to abound. And yes, Brett, the hitman heart, ladies and gentlemen. Just like you were talking about. All over the world. They like the hitman in Germany? The hitman voted three years in a row the most popular athlete in Germany, beating out Boris Becker, Steffi Graf, and individuals like that. But you want to talk popularity? You got to be talking the leader of the new WWF <laughs> generation. Yes. Jesus, I'm wondering. <laughs> 
<laughs> but also, no wonder Brett always thought they were trying to underwrite him. It's like, yeah, Brett's so popular in Germany. You know, we just showed him signing the autographs from people crowding the bus and stuff. But then he's like, you really want to talk about popularity? The heartbreak is on, Michael. <laughs> That's click camera. <laughs> Shawn Michaels, the new World Wrestling Federation champion. Ah. However, in any language, ladies and gentlemen... Yes, the youngsters know the WWF spells fun. Is that However, wrestling or October? No, it doesn't. There, McMahon? Just well, it was action and plenty of it. And what a matchup it was. It was Jake the Snake Roberts. Just now we're going to show you this exclusive footage. Jake the Snake in action against Owen Hart. Look at this. A hard-fought matchup all the way. Nonetheless, Jake finally was able to get Owen Hart down and then called for the DDT. Oh, he didn't have him, McMahon. He would have never beaten him. Jake the Snake Roberts summarily hooked up Owen Hart. Oh, yes. However... Would he have had the three count? We'll never know. The very man who will face Jake the Snake Roberts on pay-per-view this Sunday night would not stand idly by and watch his brother-in-law be pinned by Jake the Snake. No, the British Bulldog. Look what he did. He came into the ring, obviously deliberately disqualifying his own brother-in-law, Owen Hart. But he didn't care because Bulldog wanted to set the stage for this Sunday night. What's Bulldog, this, man? Watch, watch where you at. I see it. The clothesline. Bulldog trying to send a lesson to Jake the Snake Roberts. Send the lesson. What was going to happen when they get into the ring this Sunday night? <laughs> I can guarantee you right at this point, Jake the Snake thought he'd been hit by Max Smelling. Jake the Snake Roberts suffering the consequences from the blatant King, we're way back with that one. The blatant attack by the British Bulldog. Yeah, now Jake the Snake's laying there like he got run over out on the Autobahn. The British Bulldog, nonetheless, what happens? Wait, was Jake Roberts in the car accident with the English Lords that led to them having to vacate the GWF World Tag Team titles? <laughs> I just love King made a Max Schmeling reference. Max Schmeling's a guy who Joe Lewis fought in the 30s. <laughs> Maybe wait, Dial. It's finally Jake would get back up. The Bulldog distracted by Owen Hart on the outside of the ring and the official. Watch those fists, McMahon. Look at this. I see it. The match was over. Nonetheless, it wasn't over for Jake the Snake. It was only the beginning. And finally, clipping the jaw of the Bulldog and knocking him down to the canvas. And that was it all. And cheating. That was it all. Because Jake the Snake. Watch what he does to the Bulldog now. Atomic knee dropping now. There's only one thing left to do. What? Bulldog wanted to give Jake the Snake a little taste of what was going to happen this Sunday night. But Jake the Snake said, why don't we reverse things? What? Why don't I let the British Bulldog know what it's like? He set him up. Yes, he wound him up. And then that same short arm clothesline. There was only one thing left to do. No. As Jake the Snake looked oh, no. at the back. The capacity crowd. Oh, man. In Bayreuth, Germany. They wanted to see Bayreuth? we wanted to see. No. <laughs> That's what he said. Bye, Russ. Wait a minute, man. They Get wanted me. to see that monstrous snake, and there he was. No. Jake lifted him high for all to see. And the day's British Bulldog was soon to feel. Get out of there, Bulldog. A python wrapping around ah. his very own throat. Oh, that huge slimy snake. Look, Look. That snake's all over him. And the python squeezing. It's wrapped around the his throat. British Bulldog and a Bulldog. So why do we want oh, to see the match? The Finally, the bulldog. <laughs> the snake was all right, but the bulldog will never be the same. Ah! And the proper pronunciation is Bayreuth. Okay, so that is okay, so they, kind of. So Vince was making sure to do it right. Yeah. Well, <laughs> that, can, can I just do, do 
peel the curtain back for one second. So I, uh, for, for the listeners, I, I've been having Skype problems. I'm, I'm now on a call, so I can't see this. So yes. this is the first time in forever that I've had to just listen to Vince as a narrative storyteller. And frankly, not just kind of like, I, I realized I really block him out when I watch old footage. Um, it's really fascinating seeing him just like do a whole narrative dissertation on what you can visually already see, except I couldn't. So he's just describing it to me. And it's, I don't think I think enough about the fact that this guy sees himself as a storyteller. <laughs> and that's like, I, I mean, I, I get it. Like, look, I like a, a man off the street wouldn't be able to do that. I want to give him some credit. Because it just—it really speaks to the whole thing. I'm very fascinated, and this is too much of a macro conversation to get into now. But like, I—I'm very fascinated by by the idea of him being a quote unquote creative genius. Because only in wrestling, like like Vince Russo, who oh he's but well he's problematic, but he's very creative. And for the longest time, I used to fight that until I realized my definition as a person of creative was somebody who had good logical ideas. And that's kind of bullshit on my end because that's like it's it's not a definitive thing i guess like logical storytelling you could make a case for but like what's a good idea it's in the eye of the beholder but ventrusa to me was just a guy who like he had a thought once and then he was like oh my god i think thoughts all the time so i can just say them and those are ideas and so (laughs) i guess that means he's creative to some people like like it's kind of like and by the way like like I get it. Like, I work in indie wrestling. I, I've made a few docs. Um, I am not a creative genius. I like to think I'm creative. I like to think I have ideas, but I also can identify a lot of things I throw out there. I go, that's really half-baked. But only in wrestling can you just be like, I had thoughts, and they're like, oh, my God, he says thoughts all the time, so I'm super creative. Like, I can see – I used to always wonder, how did Vince Russo get in – to like the room to be able to like do anything because he was obviously he should have been exposed to the phone like five minutes in but like when i listen to vince there i go like okay well this is this is a guy who's really good at being a huckster like a guy off the street can't do what he does and he clearly like at least can tell a story i just don't think that it's very good <laughs> and which is funny because I, I listened to it for years so who's the, who's the fucking idiot i was saying for these pay-per-views but I, I'm, I'm just fascinated. I'm sorry to go off on the whole thing, guys. And please feel free to like save me for myself and have a comment or take it in a different direction. But well, I'm fascinated I mean, with this, this, yeah. this narrative storyteller Vince and like his idea of what that is. Because he clearly respected Vince Russo. He gave him so much stuff that Vince Russo wanted to leave and cash out because he had too much on his plate during the boom. Yeah, I mean, people normally don't watch wrestling. I mean, don't normally intake wrestling without watching it. Or you know, having mm-hmm. it on where you can visually see it. I say you're you're right there, right then taking in that clip, like a person would take a baseball game or, or a football game yeah, yeah. on the radio. Right. And yeah. it not just used to be like that. Like I think of um oh god uh, uh, Bonima, Frank Bonima from from Portland. That's a guy where you could you could not be the, the TV screen could be turned off, but if you were listening to Frank Bonima. You were listening to an old baseball game, but it was but it was Saturday night or Tuesday night or whatever it was in Portland at the Portland Sports Arena. That's that, a great that was the old like Lance Russell feels the same way. Because yeah. like there was, I remember when I first got that first batch of Buddy Rose recorded, like late seventies Portland. And sometimes, mm-hmm. like I would start watching it in bed and then just kind of lay down to go to sleep with it still on. Between the crowds being as hot as they were. 
and Frank Bottoma, because that's the only Frank Bottoma stuff we have, like, yeah. you still got the full feel of what was going on, even if you're not looking at the TV. Yeah. I loved, I loved it. I thought it was amazing. I grew up with Harry, I grew up a baseball fan with Harry Callis as the Philadelphia announcer. Uh, Callis yeah. and, and Richie Ashburn. And yeah. that is, that's the closest, the bottom of stuff, a lot of times with Dutch Savage, but they had a few other people in there. That's the closest to like radio announcing that I thought I thought was just so damn engrossing. And Lance Russell could be like that too, but there was so much going on that it almost felt more visual in Memphis. Yeah, I will well, say that Vince is giving you <laughs> right, right. But Vince, though, I will say, is painting the whole picture. Like it's very over the top and it's yeah. very hammy. But well, like Vince, Vince I know everything Vince that happened was in the eighties either. I mean, Vince is a different beast than he was in the seventies and early eighties. You know, different yeah. total announcer. And he also right. did a better right. job here of, like, I am telling you everything you can see than, like, you know, Tanay did in TNA. <laughs> you know, for someone who was, like, infamous for just describing everything that you can see yourself. Um, right. But anyway, let's let's move on now to uh, Monday Night Raw proper. Yes, as uh, we start the show with Goldust beating Savio Vega to capture the Intercontinental title. Sort of. During reintroductions, Vince McMahon Jerry Law Torches got the review. Vince McMahon Jerry Law reviewed the rest of the Raw before the ring intro. Savio gave a promo, promo in Spanish. Goldust, Goldust, Goldust scored the pinfall to Steve Austin and appeared. So that's how he won the title. Austin and Savio about to have a very memorable match coming up on pay-per-view in the next week. So... Yeah, but after that, we get a promo from the Ultimate Warrior. Now, this promo aired uh, on weekend television and, and on Raw. So, it's so risque, though, that it's not on Peacock. So, we had to go to YouTube to get the the uh, version from the syndicated television. So Canadian what... uh, syndicated television, at that, because we have Ray Rougeau's version so, of Slam yeah. Jam introducing us. Yes, yeah, so let's go to that and let's see why Peacock had to take this off. Get ready, everybody. <laughs> I, I mean, you, I, I know what's described here. I did not listen to it before we started playing it, so let's see. Fans, another match. Everyone is talking about Goldust. We'll be going up against the Ultimate Warrior. Without further ado, let's hear from the man himself. I just hear Kevin Owens. <laughs> From hearing his kind of like Montreal accent there. It's similar, similar inflection. The explosiveness of the Warriors has blown the roof of a lot of houses, a lot of places, a lot of front doors have been kicked in. But you gold dust, whatever your kick is, in the back lot, in the back door, it doesn't really matter to me because there are warriors that have dropped to their knees and made sacrifices, and I'm going to make sure you will, too. Okay. There's some, there's some warriors who are doing oral sex, so he's, he's not afraid of, of Dustin Rhodes' homosexual character. That's what I got out of that. What a weird, what a weird, like, can you imagine being the direct with the face? He's like, all right, uh, Jim, you got it? Like, yeah, give me a minute. Give me a minute. Okay. Okay. Oh, this is 96, so he's already warrior. Okay. Like, all right. All right. Yeah. All right, all right roll camera. Let's go. Let's go. And he's like, going with like, they've they, they blown the roof off of places 
and kick doors in and whatever your kick is. Wow. Okay. <laughs> Now's a good reminder yeah. that if uh, anyone has the, it was the Globe, right? The uh, Globe tabloid article from 1991 about how uh, this woman caught her ult caught the Ultimate Warrior having what was it? I caught him having kinky sex with my hunky husband. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, please, please scan that and post it on the internet. Because, like, it, you know, it's the <laughs> ultimate warrior, so, you know, Barney Frank rule, everybody. You know, <laughs> like, the the issue is not that he, he, he could have been gay or bisexual. It's that he then used his platform against queer people. So. Uh, he definitely has a preoccupation. That's very. That's it's a whole other show you guys could do. I mean, Patreon, this like... comic book has him appearing to sexually assault Santa Claus. <laughs> yeah. So, <laughs> Goldus, I'm not going to do you in the butt, but you can suck my dick. <laughs> well, that's that's the weirdest thing. Is like I thought it would be just homophobic, but like. Then he kind of, I don't know that he understands this, maybe he does, but he kind of implies that, like, well, my fans have given oral sex to men, too. So we are equals in some way? Like, like your, your evil gay powers don't work on me? Like, what the fuck are you talking about, dude? Because he says that they'll get down on their knees for him? Or, like, <laughs> oh, my God. <laughs> Yes, definitely a warrior promo, to say the least. And, and then, it's just dead silence, and then Fink goes like, uh, cut, print, all right, moving on. Who do we got up next? All right. <laughs> that, that one's going to Vince's office. Yep, we're good. <laughs> Get oh, the pre promotes ready for Poughkeepsie. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. All right, so Vader pinned Fatu after Moonsault. And uh, during the Vader's ring introduction, they play Warrior with a size of Jacob with Law in his quarter or Raw next week. Oh boy. The hook all weekend was that Vader would do something he's never done before during the match. It turned out to be his moonsault. Way you can't imagine very many viewers thought the move was worth the hype, even though when Vader first did the move in WCW, it's a pretty big deal. Then we had the Jake Davey angle. They showed that. Vince mentioned a TV guy gave the WF Slammy Awards a thumbs up. Then they showed the best buns contestant. Yokozuna, Razor Ramon, Shawn Michaels, and Sonny, where Sonny accepted the award ceremony. Highlights here, the Godwins beating the Body Donnas at the free-for-all to win the tag titles, which led to the Body Donnas, excuse me, the Godwins winning the squash match, after which the Body Donnas attacked them, and then slopped them, and Wayne noted, will the violence never end? Oh, so the Godwins wrestled a squash match, though, huh? Yeah. Who, who are their opponents? The squash Yoshihiro Tajiri is one of those opponents. Yes, Yoshihiro Tajiri. <laughs> so we go uh, from that warrior from, uh, to best buns to a wrestler being booked into the promotion by Victor Quinones. <laughs> yeah, I mean, it is a very interesting deal. It's a San Bernardino's at the WrestleMania, and his partner's Ken Patterson. Not to be confused with Rick or Tim. <laughs> yeah. So uh yeah, so Tajiri's getting the tryout and uh that's what happens. Yeah, I love that they put him in with the Godwins, the most deceptively tall people in the company, not named Gunn. <laughs> yeah. 
Uh, Mankind beat Aldo Montoya. The Sean Diesel feud was recapped, and they were able to highlight the relationship going back to Diesel's interest as Michael's bodyguard. Then we get a promo of Diesel in Germany. So let's go to one Kevin Nash Diesel here uh, in Germany. Uh, this is on like a handheld type camera deal. And uh, let's see what he's got to say. As this is the last promo we'll pretty much ever see from Diesel on Monday Night Raw. Trying to pop his pop his buy rate with a promo in boy rate Germany or whatever it is. Boy rate. Daddy cool, kicking back in Deutschland, getting ready to go out in Berlin and teach another one of these idiots from the World Wrestling Federation a lesson. And Shawn Michaels, I'm going to teach you a lesson. And in your house, Omaha, the final chapter of your career. I'm not worried about that belt. I don't want that belt. That belt was on me for over a year. You know what? It was the worst year of my life. You know why? Because Vince McMahon and the rest of the corporate puppets tried to make Big Daddy cool something he wasn't. And now that I'm what I am, how ironic. I don't win any slammies. I don't get any accolades now. I'm the bad guy. But you know what? Shawn Michaels, the people know who the real leader of the new generation is. It's Big Daddy Cool. Has been. You know why? You're a dime a dozen in your sport. Me? Hey, they don't grow on trees like me, buddy. I'm a genetic wonder. There's only one Big Daddy Cool. And you're looking at him. And in your house, anything can happen. You know what, McMahon? Sitting at ringside? When I get done with Michaels, you need to watch yourself. I got a little score to settle with you. Anything can happen in your house. Anything. What's he mean by that? Well, I can just tell you this, McMahon. Next Monday night here on Raw, I'll be here, and I'll be in the corner of Isaac Yankum going against... something's going to happen to you. Yeah, well, you may not be here next Monday night after Sunday and in your house. <laughs> Bye-bye, McMahon. And they just end with that while they show the Raw band playing. Yeah, that's how the show went off the air. Because <laughs> the raw band still exists at this point. Of course. No Doc Hendricks, though. Well, so no foreshadowing of anything going to WCW on this promo but or anywhere else, but still. No, he is going to murder Vince McMahon. <laughs> it's just so weird yeah. like, to think, though, that like, we only got by far the best version of Kevin Nash for six months. Yeah, and you talk about a interesting character in this era of wrestling, JP. This version of Diesel is one of the most interesting characters of that whole generation. Uh, how so? Make, make your case on that. I'm interested. Right. I, I'm not. I'm, I'm not against it, but I'm like, well, okay, where are you going with it? Because, all right. So he was the corporate champion the previous year, which he talks about in this promo here. And this is the first time that we have a wrestling character talking about their standing in the company in that type of way. You know, how they were mm -hmm. being pushed as a corporate champion or and Vince McMahon as the boss. You know, I mean, that stuff wasn't really, wasn't done. And 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 this and this whole angle here is kind of a beginning of that. Of that, it's of, a rare of, case of well, calling out Vince as the owner. Yeah, 
of wrestling of what wrestling's about to get into, you know? Yeah, and I, I do think you're right for the record that like we we had a, the interesting beginnings of something, and I like I like his promos against Sean going into the what's it is it the Beware of Dog or is it I'm trying yes. to remember? But, yeah, it's the it's Beware of Dog. Yes. No, no, Good Friends Better yeah. Enemies. Good Friends Better Enemies. Thank you, thank you. Yes, 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 yes. Um, yeah, don't they even do a promo package? Now, obviously, it's not this week, but. Don't they do some kind of package, or am I, or, or is this like a hindsight thing that they did when he came back in in O two, where like they show like outtakes of him uh, having to wear like a Christmas hat and and be talking to a director for for like one of their commercials, and he talks about, and again I, I'm I'm blanking on whether it's work or shoot, but they show him doing like the corporate champion stuff in it. They there was a lot of room for that to grow. It's really. A, unfortunate that they did that to kind of i mean look it was an awesome match and, and then sean at uh at uh better enemies but it would have been cooler i guess in in hindsight if they would have had this idea and gone with it where he doesn't lose to taker in mania because he's not leaving he's they're just doing a character switch and he beats sean for the title and then you do something because sean would have been very comfortable with working with him throughout the summer um, I, I think you you really do have something there because it is an interesting it is an interesting character because I've never thought about that before, Chris. That he, he's the first one who's really doing that. Because you think more of like ECW talking about stuff like that, but this is like this is what would become our WWE. Well, and also wrestling, wrestling in general. Yeah, this, well, yeah, yeah. This run is when he turns into a draw because. Yes. You know, the second that those house show main events become Brett versus Diesel versus Undertaker, and Diesel is the dominant personality and the catalyst in that feud, all of a sudden house shows turn around completely. Well, Kevin Nash is coming out, and this is like, I, I didn't even fully understand it. As I, I would have been 15 at this point. I didn't even fully understand it. But I remember being like, oh, this is pretty interesting that Scott Hall show, Razor Ramon showed up on WCW. It's when when Kevin Nash walks out there, I'm like, this is the coolest thing ever. But I don't remember ever intellectualizing it in any way until later on. Like, there was a cool feeling about him that spring. So him, like, I, I, it wasn't just cool because he jumped. He was cool in WWF at the end of his run. Well, and he had the so whole tweener thing, real too. Like, you know. Which was rare, yeah. And he and, had and legit the, tweener, okay. not just like a, a force. No, no, right. I, I just want to add that it was... That's, that's what's important, though. It didn't feel like them telling me... It wasn't like a Gabe Sapolsky special, which is I've always said, like, Gabe was really good at giving you bullet points, but not a great writer in the early days of ROH. He would just expositorily tell you what you were supposed to think or what the what the setup was. And these these guys, they like party and do drugs, and these guys, they just like to drink beers and and be mad at their fat wives or whatever. Was like one of his things with Special K and 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 uh, um, Devito and and then the other guy, AC Love. Um, this is one of those where like you're not getting that like wrestling had a lot of expository like here's this character and here's his bullet points and here's how you're supposed to feel. It wasn't really like actual like story writing so much as like here's the bullet points, but instead of giving them to the characters, we're telling you the audience. He was the first one 
who felt to me like this was organically kind of happening. Although yeah. looking back, I'm sure it doesn't feel like that when you look at it because it's basically the, the prototype of what we've become. Of, He's a three-dimensional human character, yeah. Uh, right, right. And he only turns full heel when he realizes that Sean is going to upstage him by getting the belt. So like, it all, it, there's a logic to it. And also, like, he's clearly enjoying it, and maybe because he's going into his contract negotiations, although he's still performing well after we know he's leaving, like, he's do he's doing by far the best in-ring work of his career during that run. So, it's just, it's, it is kind of a shame that we didn't get more of it. Because, like, there are elements of this in Nash and WCW, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, because that's more of him just loose and having no true guardrails and just playing cool guy. Just being cool guy. Being Kevin Nash, basically. Yes. Whereas this was like a seemed to have a folk, uh, a, a wrestling heel focus to it, which is a completely different thing. Right, right, right. A Diesel in 96 wasn't going to make offhanded jokes on commentary about going down on whatever the equivalent of a Nitro Girl would be. Right, right. He's not trying to pop people or like to yeah, be subversive in some way. Exactly. All right. So anyway, that's raw. Yeah. And uh, quite the way to end that show. Um, so Wade noted said uh, that may have been Diesel's last national promo for WF, assuming the same one aired this weekend. Not even close to how the show is the last view, although that's conceivable by design in order not to give so much away for free. The fans will have an appetite for the paper in your house on this Sunday. You know, a few viewers were lost with Nitro. It might be a sound strategy. All right, so now let's go to the European tour drama. And this Lots is Lots of things. Dave? This is Dave. Yeah. Lots of things went on when you would pack two dozen wrestlers and keep them together for a 17-day tour, as you can imagine. Diesel and Razor are flagrantly breaking every company rule that couldn't full view of everyone. There was tremendous heat on Michaels and Helmsley in particular. Apparently, there were guys who actually wanted to deck Michaels who had to be taught that out because of Michaels' position, it would cost them their job. Sunny left the tour early because she was ribbed to death, including someone taking a dump in her food at one point. Apparently, Chris Candido, who didn't leave early, was also being teased and harassed to death by the big boys who had like school children. There's some sort of romantic triangle, which would be nobody's business, is that when Sunny had to leave the tour, it becomes business and not personal. Sonny has a lot of heat since she isn't shy about giving her opinion in, in a business where most won't see anything except behind people's backs. Supposedly, Bret Hart was fed up with what happened and it made him feel even more stronger than he did before the tour, even though the consensus still is he'll be coming back in about five months. And in regards to the situation with Sonny, who it is rumored is the most downloaded woman in the United States, her coming back from Europe a few days early was a company decision and not her decision. They were going to send two employees back a few days early to deliver tapes. Like the Bulldog Jake Angle from Munich, by right, and it was supposed to be a ref and a member of the ring crew. At the last minute, Lisa Wolf of Titan Human Resources switched it from the ref to Sonny, apparently because Wolf had already heard of the problems in Europe and wanted Sonny out of the situation because WF is incredibly over careful about subjects like sexual harassment. Oh, oh really? really? Oh, especially, of all people, Lisa Wolf is sensitive about the subject of sexual <laughs> harassment? You mean the same Lisa Wolf who allegedly sexually harassed J.J. Dillon throughout the last year or two he had in the company? <laughs> Dave's also been told the term romantic triangle was not an accurate description for a situation. 
but she and Chris Candido Skip were heavily rode and ribbed during the tour by the Click. Okay. Why did he write the above and then a paragraph later change it? Well, this is the following Different. week. The, the, yeah. The following. Oh, okay. Oh my goodness gracious! <laughs> okay, so the first okay the first part, you know, for some like look, people know how to read Dave. It's kind of insane that the Tammy Sean affair was considered this big revelation when she started talking about it. When Dave is making it very obvious in the Observer what's going on. Mm-hmm. Oh, a tremendous yeah. heat on Michaels. People, there were people who wanted to deck Michaels and had to be talked out of it because we cost them their job. Sonny left the tour early because she was ripped to death, including someone pooping in her food. Chris was being teased and harassed to death. And also there's some sort of romantic triangle and that would be nobody's business except Sonny had to leave the tour and all that. So it's like, yes, it's what we know. It's that Tammy had been having an affair with Sean and it came to a head here in some form. <sighs> yeah. Poor Chris Candido, man. Every time this stuff comes up, I just think, like, man, that poor guy. Yeah. Well, I mean, sometimes, though, you kind of... Cause, uh, maybe, I mean, he's a glutton. Because yeah, well, he, the, Tam- he the, Tammy stuff, the Tammy stuff went back a long time before this. I mean, we mm-hmm. talked about it. I mean, one of the things in 2005 that's in Dave O. Bit of Press is the reason that Chris got booked into Memphis was that Lawler and Gilbert knew that Tammy would come with her. Yeah. And like Tammy was a big Shawn Michaels fan, she was also a big Eddie Gilbert fan. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> Put yeah. two together. <laughs> So, how much he was aware of at the time? I mean, because look, we've all heard plenty of stories of obvious wrestling affairs where the person being cheated on was none the wiser for a long time. You know, it's not like, it's not remotely unheard of. Obviously, he's aware of it by this point. Um, I don't know. It just, it. A couple of things. A couple of things I didn't put in the notes that I forgot to put in there. That was in the torch was, I right, Michaels it on the tour blew up at WWE officials when he wasn't told about a bus ride to a gym for a workout. Yet had been under tremendous pressure to make a ton of charity and promotional appearances during the tour. So there's one thing, and I like this: it, the feeling among many wrestlers and officials is that once Brett Nash and Hall are gone from the road, the locker room tension should decrease quite a bit. What did Brett especially do? So- <laughs> well, that's thought to be especially so for Michaels, as Brett is his top rival, and Nash and Hall are, in the eyes of others, his main bad influences. So that's that's basically saying that Michaels will be better in the locker room now that Brett's gone and Hall and Nash are not there to influence him. Oh, good luck with that. Uh, yeah. <laughs> and I, and uh, I liked how the torch, when they spelled turd, spe- spelled the T E R D. Uh, uh, um, okay i found the relevant section of the pro wrestling stories.com piece about chris and tammy uh so we got mark canterbury saying i think this is all sourced from all chewing interviews this is not one of the like original reporting pro wrestling stories 
articles. Well, yeah. I'm just being clear. Yeah. Uh, I'm not well, a lot of it. A lot of yeah. it is. Well, especially the no. older stuff. Yeah. He had so so Mark Hanterbury says he had she had so much heat backstage in Germany they had to send her home a week early because someone shit in her food. I don't know how who it was. And then they quote uh, Paul Bearer perking up. It was Sean Waltman. <laughs> he decided he was going to poop in Tammy's Chinese food. They made them in these containers. She went back to the hotel and she ate it the next day. We got on the bus, and of course, somebody else, Tammy, did you like your poo-poo platter last night? Oh, 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 oh no. <laughs> she actually ate it. Oh, I don't oh, know oh. if that one's true, though. Like your poo-poo platter. Uh, I feel like she's got to Like, even if she takes... Uh, I mean, I could see somebody taking a bite and go, and spitting it out, but I have trouble believing she ate the whole food and was none the wiser. Oh, Jesus Christ, some of the stories in here. Sabu, no, she never blew me, but she tried a bunch of times. I will say this. I gave her some somas to show me her breasts, and she did. She wanted 50 somas, but I only gave her 35. The story I always heard is that she, that she, she did at some nightclub. Wrestlers have told that story. Her, uh, with Sabu and, and uh, Joey Matthews at some nightclub in Florida. But I don't know if that's true, so I probably shouldn't be saying that, but that's... that's Allegedly. There, allegedly. Right, allegedly. Like, yeah, I'm not saying that I was there, that it's true. Um, but, yeah. yeah. They also have about some of the Sean stuff, so uh, let me see. Where do I start with this? Uh, you know, okay, so let's see. Where do we start with? Okay, so we have Chris saying in an interview, from the very fact that at some point during our lives we say that we want to be professional wrestlers there's obviously something mentally wrong with us you get all the these those guys and you put us together we have to travel together for a long period of time who are full of testosterone and a cosmetic business and stuff different people act different ways and back then when you threw just one girl into the mix there would inevitably be rumors and stuff i mean you're a guy on the road you have your wives your girlfriends at home there may not be a rat in town that day. You have to look at somebody, and she's the closest thing to you. So then we go to Percy Pringle. Chris and Tammy loved each other dearly, and that's great. They were just young, and they had a big break in the business. But what bothered me is Chris would follow Tammy around like a little puppy dog. Then we have Tammy. In WWE, I was called the click chick, and not just because I got along with the click, but because I was sleeping with one of them. And then she laughs. And then we have this from Chris, which I don't remember ever seeing this comment before. The thing with Sean is he was 24 hours a day, the heartbreak kid. He wasn't just a guy who played a character. He really did think it. At first, it didn't bother me. It's common sense that shit's going to be said. You couldn't get around it because she was the only girl and Sean was the top guy. Um, and then... <laughs> He's dancing around something there. So. Yes, and then, so Bam Bam Bigelow. Supposedly, Sean was, you know, hitting on Tammy, and Chris was just so in so much in love with this woman, it was driving him crazy. We actually found a note in Chris's bag that was pretty heavy. And, you know, Chris was depressed, man. And the depression was because of the click. And they loved it. They were thriving on it. They were just like, okay, let's see if we can make this kid kill himself, you know? It was just terrible. I thought Chris was very vulnerable, man. I thought he was going to hurt himself or hurt, kill one of those assholes. I tried to stop it. 
Boy, does that put his heat, uh, Bam Bam's heat, with the click in a completely different perspective, doesn't it? Yeah. Which, I mean, you never think about it the way, but it makes perfect sense. He and Chris were close. Yeah. Do you guys believe the story? I don't know if you're aware. Nash on his podcast um, told a story. It would have been the last couple of months because for a while YouTube was just sending me them because I once watched one. And he said the heat was Bam Bam. Was that they were in Sacramento and they stopped at a convenience store because they were trying to get beers before everything closed. And Bam Bam got into it with, uh, I think it was a Hispanic gentleman or, or a group of people that Nash and Hall knew were clearly gang members. And they were respectful of those guys at first because they those guys knew who, that they were wrestlers and who they were. But Bam Bam said a racial slur to them and basically was trying to show dominance in some way. And Nash like, was like, you are not getting in our car, or something to that effect. Have you guys heard that story? Because he says I, that's the reason that there was heat. I mean, I've never heard that story. Not to say it ain't true, but I just I've never heard it. It's the first time yeah. I've seen It's the first time I've ever heard it. It makes me wonder if that's him years later. Because he was never shy about talking. I'm a big Nash fan. I, I'm not writing an act well, here Nash, at all. I mean, N- but, Nash, I mean... I don't. Well, he, why would he be lying about that? You know, that's that's. I know, but he's never. He he was a talker, but he's never said that before. I just, it is on YouTube. So if if you guys ever, if you, I guess if you look up whatever his podcast and I mean, I'm subscribed to his podcast. It's on there a lot. I mean, his videos show up a lot. I know. Yeah, I, I used to get one like two a day. Sometimes I don't know what happened. That I, the algorithm, I guess, didn't think I cared after a while. But uh, but both of those things I had never heard until this year. The, the, the story that Nash tells I had never heard until this year, and that, that story of Bam Bam that was just read, I, I never, I mean, he's been dead, what, 17 years now, something like that? 15 years? I'd never yeah, heard it's it been a he while. said that. Yeah. I mean, both All things right. can be true for the record. Yeah. Yeah. All right, the Germany tour ended on April 22nd to show in Munich, and the first match back in the U.S. was on the pay-per-view coming that Sunday. The matches in Germany remain basically the same as last week with Michaels, Undertaker, and Brett alternating beating heels Helmsley, Diesel, Owen, and Austin. With Goldust gone, Razor was given wins over the Kid and Bradshaw. And uh, Wade knows the reason why Ramon won some matches on the European tour despite his upcoming departures. The officials felt it was more important for the fans to have something to cheer about. A Bayface winning than having Razor do jobs in Europe where the vast majority of his U.S. fans would never know about. How about that? How magnanimous of them. All right, the gates, uh, April 19th, and Halle did uh, 167367, so 4751. Barroit drew 13567 in attendance. Stuttgart on the 21st drew 174,972, or 4,900 fans. And Munich on the 22nd drew 4702 and 171,347. Now, Stuttgart on the 21st, the results of the show had the Godwins over 123 Kid and Leaf Cassidy. Savio over Isaac Yankum. Brashaw over Jake. Ahmed Johnson won an arm wrestling match over David Boy by the EQ. Helmsley over Razor. Body Donna's over the Bushwhackers to retain the tag titles. Brett over Owen, Undertaker over Diesel, and Sean over Austin to retain the WF title. Okay. Um, here's what we need to stress. I mean, it's obvious, but I think we really need to talk about this. 
this is strictly a German tour. This is not a European tour. This is not a Europe and Middle East tour. This is just a tour of Germany. And they ran, okay, one, two, three, four, yeah, what, four, just, just the four shows, or were there more? Not in our week. There were others. Yeah, there were others not before our week. Yeah, so that's not a thing they ever do anymore. Germany is not a big country. Well, I mean, they're in a much better shape over here than they were then. I know, but the fact that they're able to do all these dates in a small European country and draw so well. Uh, they started on April 7th. Yeah, I see. Uh, Dortmund, Dortmund, over 7,300. Yeah. Bonn, Frankfurt, Dusseldorf, Bielefeld, Oldenburg, Hamburg, Berlin, Rostock. And then the ones during our week that we talked about. So let's see. How many dates are they doing here just in Germany? So we got one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, eight, nine, ten, eleven, twelve, thirteen, fourteen. They did a fourteen date German tour over the course of just over two weeks, and all basically all the shows drew well. And you know they kind of also had to work on the talent too, being under that long. Yeah, but still, like it shows just how damn hot they were in Europe at this time. Yeah, that you're running these shows throughout a small country, you know, with a passionate fan base that probably would be willing to travel some, and still, like outside of the one show in uh, what is it? how do you pronounce it, Bonn? Other bon. than that one show, which drew like twenty five hundred, all these are pretty much drawing at least. 4,000 or just under. Yeah. Yeah, they're doing great business. Alright, so with four weeks out for the show, Masquerade Garden Advance for May, May 19th Man, yeah. was closing in about $200,000. So the show should easily sell. It should be the first back-to-back MSG sellouts, probably going back to around 1985. And of course, that will be what, excuse me, what will be memorable about this show long-term. I'm sure nothing else of note will happen at that show. No, nothing, nothing, nothing's going to happen there. Certainly not anything involving someone who may or may not be having an affair with Tammy Sitch. <laughs> yeah. Weekend ratings. So Action Zone to a 1.6, Mania 0.9. As the better weather starts to road all the dubbers. Well, this is going to have an effect on it, too, as we go to the torch. Fox's Major League Baseball deal could cost preemptions to Dugger Superstars in New York, Los Angeles, and other major markets. Without strong time slots in those major markets, it may be the final straw leading to the day of stopping syndicated programming altogether. Sources last year said that syndication had been profitable in recent years, and they had begun considering ending syndication last summer. I mean, those baseball preemptions were just murder in New York. Yeah. Yeah. It didn't affect us here, because uh, uh, by that point in time, it was airing in Macon. Uh, superstars i was getting in make and that was on uh sunday sunday afternoon at noon so wasn't affecting us here i don't know how it was in philly in uh jp land yeah i i well i living in the lehigh valley which looks a nice little triangle with philadelphia and uh and new york city we also had at that point uh they built in the mid to late 80s they built 
for the, the Northeast extension, 476 down to Philly, and then they extended I-78. So it's actually like kind of not quite equal distance. It's way easier to get to Philly, uh, especially because the tunnel is hell if you want to get into Manhattan. But we, because of these things, we had an influx of, of New York transplants. So we had the Fox affiliate uh, for both. I had several. I grew up with, with PIX, with WPIX. I grew up with, uh, what was it, Fox 5 at the time? Yes, WPIX. Um, yeah. Yes, yes. And uh, stuff like uh, what the Superstation with Richard Bay on it that Stern was on. WOR. Yeah. Yeah. I, had, uh, yeah, I would I would watch uh, WOR when I came home from school at times. So I had my choice. Like, I could watch the same wrestling program like twice every Saturday morning. And I think in Philly, now, this is stuff that's, well, I'm 42 now, so this is all lost time for me. There was a time where I could have told you what show came on at what time. But I seem to remember everything being either 10 o'clock or 11 o'clock for WWF. And the WCW stuff was always much earlier in the morning. That stuff would air sometimes at 7 in the morning, but usually like 8 or 9 uh, in, in my area. And also, come to think of it, like I still, I still had access to, uh, like they did that New York only show for WCW that Paul Heyman was on, and there was also something with a THL seventeen that was still Philly specific, although it wasn't as like as overt as the New York stuff. So, I feel like any preemptions didn't really bother us too much because everything was before noon. Mm. But maybe I'm wrong about that. Well, I mean, by that point though, it just that's so late. Well, Superstars got moved to 4 o'clock here from noon on Saturday. Oh, gee, because I was wondering, like, yeah. I thought it was a noon thing for you guys. That's rough. So, um, but it got, like, it got moved to 4 when they started going all in on the baseball. That was the weird part. It was like they moved it specifically to preempt it. Yeah. <laughs> well, by this point, though, like, is anything happening on the syndicated shows? Like, I don't recall. I knew I Super Stars was still a good show. Okay. Yeah. I was definitely Superstars still watching all the content, cause, you know, because I was just wrestling obsessed. But I don't... The years have kind of eroded if anything important was happening on it. Yeah. Oh, there was the NHL coverage, too, on Channel 5. Yeah, Boston NHL. Uh, okay. All right. Uh, that's, the blue, that's the blue puck era, right? Sorry, sorry Chris. Uh, <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, yeah, yeah. The illuminated yeah, puck, yes. Yeah. yeah. All right, two more quick things to close the section. Roddy Piper's role in WF was a short-term deal with expectations from the beginning he would finish WrestleMania. The WF did pitch a role for him after WrestleMania, which Piper would turn down, although the door is open for future return stints. Well, that door will be closed in a few months. So there's that. And then the close... Mark Marrow is telling people his wife never brought up the possibility of being an on-camera in WCW. And then Vincent Mann originally brought up the idea of her having an on-camera role after he saw her. Sable, real name Rena Marrow, is a former model who has done guest jeans commercials, including print ads and television. She modeled for about five years, stopping in 1993 to stay at home with her daughter, who's now eight years old. Marrow is moving from Atlanta to Jacksonville, Florida, because his daughter will be staying with Rena's mother while he and Rena are on the road. I mean, that's always been the story he's told. I mean, he's, you know, when he's doing the torch talk before he even starts with WWF, doesn't he even talk about bringing, about how she's going to go to the meeting with him? Or am I remembering wrong? Yeah. I think he knew that probably would have been, probably what got him a job. 
Hmm. <laughs> well, Vince had wanted him for years, though. Oh, my goodness. Because he wanted Johnny B. Bad, but... Yeah, what... what... <laughs> How different are so many things if Rena does not go to that Vince... Uh meeting yeah or how different is, is it if uh wcw uh put her on camera when he was there mm. you know so yeah that that means all right so her daughter is eight their daughter's eight years was eight years old in 96 so her, probably her, maybe her daughter 87. that we're talking about is not mark's daughter not part uh, yeah, logical. I think he may. I don't know if he adopted her at any point, but Sammy Sable has a daughter now that's like thirty-six years old. <laughs> Which was one of she the many factors in people thinking she was lying about her age was that she had this. Like, but no, she had the daughter very young. So, like, it. I know. I'm just saying, you know. I, it, with hindsight, because... oh, go ahead. She she had the child when she was uh well she wasn't that young. I feel like she, she was, was 18 or 19. If I remember 20. right. Okay. But still. Um she'll be fifty five she'll be fifty fifty six this year. Goodness gracious. With hindsight, do we think that all the stuff about people being skeptical of her age, I think we can mainly chalk that up to the hair and makeup, right? Probably so. Just the specific styling of her. Yeah. Probably so. Because that, boy, was that a thing online and also even within wrestling back in the day. Yeah. Everyone was convinced she was lying about her age by like a decade. Yeah. But she wasn't. No. Not at all. Had a very 90, 90s kind of a look that made her look older in some ways. Yeah. That happened. So, different time, different era. Alright, now let's go to the Land of the Rising Sun in Japan, and uh, me and Bix are going to take it from here. JP uh, will be back for the US indie stuff, but uh, we gotta go to all Japan first. Yes, he's too busy editing the life of Bussy or something. And maybe he's got a lot of lot of stuff on his plate. Alright, Kiritawe beat Dr. Destiny wins with his Narua Atoshi choke slam in twenty one forty one to capture the nineteen ninety six champion carnival tournament. Tawe and Williams went to the finals of a very carefully booked tournament which drew a sellout of sixteen thousand three hundred at Budokan Hall on April twentieth. Going into the final week of the tournament, Stan Hansen, who completed all of his matches, was in first place with sixteen points. Tawe, Doc, and Kabashi all of whom had one match left, had 15 po- points with two points awarded for a victory and one for a draw. So they were actually all in a better position. Both Tawe and Doc clinched a spot in the finals on the 16th and Sakata, with victories over Johnny Ace and Takao Mori, respectively. This put Ace in the spoilers role on April 18th and Hiratsuka in the final match of the round robin tournament against Kabashi, holding him to a 30-minute Broadway, which left Kabashi with 16 points, tying him with Hanson and Mitsuru Masawa for third, and eliminating what most were expecting. The final night turned into a triangular affair. Tawei, 34, debuted with All Japan in January 1988 after being the mid-level star in the world of sumo, following the footsteps of one of the biggest stars in the history of All Japan promotion, Tenu Grichiro, who was a big name in sumo before becoming an even more enduring major name in pro wrestling. 
Taoist pushed ahead of the more talented Kabashi, who started his career about the same time because he had the bigger name, being a star from the sport. And also because his size and look made him almost a combination uh, look like um, Wise Ababa and Jumbo Sharuda, the two biggest names in all Japan's history. By 1990, after several wrestlers jumped from all Japan, caused a more rapid push than would be expected for the younger wrestlers. He was already Jumbo's regular tag partner. And on March 4th, 1992, they captured their first world tag title being Doc and Terry Gordy. And that was a hell of a fucking match. Tawi had the tag title on three more occasions, including President Will with Toshaki Kawada. Even though Kabashi has never beaten Tawi in a singles match, Tawi has been considered by fans as the weakest member of Ultraman's Big Four since the other three are arguably the three best all-round in-ring workers in the business today. This has led to Tawi getting a little more of a promotional push as far as wins compared with the other three to try and create parity on top in the eyes of the fans who have their respect for the other three locked in no matter whether they win or lose based on their ability. This explains what will be thought of as a surprise win in the tournament to lose in the championship match last year to Masawa. It's funny that Dave's talking about it like this because, as I said before on the show, you know, I've been watching all the All Japan um, in order, and I'm in 92 now. And Tawa and Kawada had a major feud, blood feud, big time blood feud throughout 91 and 92. And Tawa was winning more of their matches in in their singles feud. And Tawei was Jumbo's partner. So in standing wise, Tawei was stronger than Kawada Kabashi was in the early nineties. I mean Masawa was of course more in higher standing than Tawei. But Tawei being Jumbo's number two, he was in a higher position than Kawada was being Masawa's number two. Now, 92, as I'm getting in 92, that starts changing. Kawada's getting more high-profile victories and bigger matches, but um, the match I just watched with them two uh, in the Champion Carnival Tournament, um, if I'm not mistaken, they went to a draw. And, um, yeah, I mean, so still, Kawada really wasn't beating Tawei as much as uh, anything else. So um, it is interesting to uh, to read this. You mean this you know, Tawei slander? <laughs> well, I mean, Tawei wasn't the worker that the other ones was, you know, the dynamic worker. So Athletically, speak, you know? no. He just, well, he, he just wasn't that, 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 that guy. No, uh, but I, the yeah, Taoway beat Kawada. Taoway beat Kawada in the corner for clean. That's right. With another, I, with I think four Notawatoshis. <laughs> I mean, the Japanese fans certainly turned around as far as Taoway in time. You know, especially in Noah. Um, it when you first start watching All Japan in that era, he's the one who takes the most time to kind of get used to. Well, he's 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 different because of. His size, the way he worked, he's not the other guys. He's like a guy that you would that you would see you thought I mean he would fit in more in the eighties, all Japan. Kind of. But in time, like I think you can make an argument he turned out to be probably the cleverest in ring worker of the four. Well, he had to do different things. Well, he had to have the different mindset, yes, yeah, so he had to think more. It's like what makes a you know, what makes a great coach kind of thing. Yes. Um you know, like you watch 
I know he had the two big matches with Marafuji, but the first one with the big Marafuji upset. You cannot watch that match and tell me that it was anything other than called by Tawei. You know? Well, another thing about well, Tawei, too, and Noah is by that point in time, he was the grizzled veteran. So he's got that thing going for him he, with fans. And he fit into that role better than the others. Yes. Yes. Exactly. He wasn't doing comedy matches, but he was the grizzled veteran. Yes. Um, and, yeah, just to go to what we're talking about as far as the, like, athleticism and dynamism and all that, too. Tawei was always CM Punk's favorite of the four pillars. Because he felt like Tawei was, like, almost this aspirational figure. As this guy who's clearly, like, this bigger, clumsier, less dynamic wrestler than the other three, plus Akiyama, but was able to turn into this, you know, he's not quite at the level of the other three, and you could argue Akiyama too, but if there's no shame in not being as good as the three best wrestlers in the world. Well, I think another thing too with Tawei is maybe he didn't get appreciated more until Baba died. Because of the way he was seen as Baba's boy? Well, he was seen as being Baba Jr. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, not really, I would say his boy per se, but being the young Baba. And, you know, now that Baba's gone, Tawei becomes more of a. Uh, his own man. I want to say sympath sympathetic figure, but I mean, just. Yeah, he's. Yeah, he doesn't. He get, He's not out in Baba's shadow anymore. No. Even though Baba, I mean, him and Baba really, I mean, they weren't together. So to speak, because Baba was comedy match guy. Yeah. You know, by that, by, you know, the, the 90s, so. Yeah. I mean, the other thing that's kind of uh, interesting is, like, it's not like Tawei's that much bigger than Kabashi. It's different. It, I mean, it's just different. It's a different build. I think it's also how he carries himself. He yeah. carries himself more lumbering. But he's at most, what, two inches taller? Um... Yeah, Tawei is like right. six five six six, and Kabashi's like six three six four, right? Yeah. I'm checking. Kabashi was thick, thicker and more muscular. Yes. Okay. So at least Wikipedia or whatever says six one for Kabashi. It says Tawei was six four, so three inches. So it's there, but it's not a huge amount of height. It's just Kabashi was just a different build. Yes. He's much so, more of an athletically built guy. Yeah. And he work, and he just works completely different. Mm-hmm. Too. That's, that's another thing. He, Kobashi appealed to the American fans because he worked more of an American style. Right. The facial expressions, the firing up, the big yeah. moves, the hot moves. Yeah, so... All right, because Japanese wrestling follows more sports logic than entertainment logic, it would have made no sense for Dr. Death to return this tour after a one-year suspension to win the champion carnival. From a sports standpoint, the fact Doc could come back after a layoff in a tournament with the best wrestlers in the business in their prime, who've been working steadily and go to the finals, is amazing enough. So he didn't have to win, and his showing told the story that once he's back in the groove, he's a threat to everyone. Particularly since he handed Misawa his first pinfall loss in nearly two years during the round robin. That says a lot about what they think about Dr. Death. The fact that he's on a suspension, year-long suspension, they, and he comes back and he gets the first pinfall over Masao in two years. 
you know? Yeah, now, by the way, it was never, like, a public thing in Japan that Doc suspension was for pot, right? It was just unprofessional. Uh, right? It was known. But I mean, was I don't it think reported? It, I, it wasn't out there. It wasn't reported per se. But the people knew they knew. But it wasn't reported in your weekly fight, your weekly pro wrestling, whatever. Uh, I, no, but the smarter fans knew. And of course, that's, I mean, Tokyo and all that stuff. So they knew. Okay. But I mean, that's not everyone, though. My point is, it's not, you know, for something that was so culturally taboo in that country, and to some degree still is. It's not like everyone knew. It's not like it's super well known. Well, it wasn't on. It was. It wasn't. It, I mean, you, you, I think you're. You're. You're kind of. I don't know. It, it's there's a lot more smarter fans than you think. No, no, no. I Japan. know that. In that in, in that era, I really. I mean, I, uh, there is. So it it was out there. It was known. Okay. But it, it wasn't proclaimed. It wasn't something that was all over the the, the news. Well, I say that though, because also because it wasn't even that much. Like, the Observer wasn't even super clear at the time. Uh, uh, one thing is uh, is that um, they you got to remember that they were getting stuff from America, news from America that would be reported in Japan. I know that's why uh, I'm pointing out that the Observer was not that overt about the. Pot part at the time. Yeah, but it was a full year, Bex. So it got out there. But I'm <laughs> saying I don't think it was in the Observer in the interim. The only one, when I was looking recently, the only one I could find was the Doc Obit. I think. I may be remembering wrong. Yeah, it was uh, it was out there, because I, I knew at the time. <laughs> so, I mean, I and I wasn't a subscriber to the newsletters, but it was a known thing. But anyway. Alright. Uh, back to where I was at, which I lost my train of thought now. Okay. The williams Tower match saw Tower survive Doc's uh, Oklahoma Stampede early. He also used a Tiger Suplex to stun Tower, who rolled down the ring to regain his senses. Tower came back with a with throwing out German suplexes and used a DDT on the floor to gain a lengthy advantage. Doc made a comeback, but was cut up by Tower's Notawa. Doc rolled down the ring to save himself. Tower hit her tope, and then his dreaded Notawa off the apron to the floor. When he threw Williams back in, Dot surprisingly kicked out. Doc ended up with another comeback and using both his backdrop driver and Dot the bomb for near falls. Tyway used his dynamic bomb for near fall as Dot went for a German suplex while in the air. Tyway kicked the turnbuckles, so he fell backwards onto Williams. After a high kick to the face, Tyway used another one for the finish. Now, besides the uh, Tyway in the carnival match, also on the show, saw Tusha, Kawada, Gary Albright, and Johnny Ace beat Mr. Hamasawa, Kenokabashi, and Junakiyama. And Jumbo Sharuda, who's now working as a college professor, returned. The team was Stan Hansen to beat Timon Honda and Takao Mori. The longest match on the show, which went 27-33. So Yoshinari Gawa, Masafuchi, and Masao Inoue beat Kentaro Shiga, Sorosako, and Great Giant Baba. When Agawa pinned Shiga. The second match on the card, which was a tag with the Washed Up Comedy guys. Haruka Egan and Rikaku Zamita beat Rush Kamura and Mitsuomoto, with the story here being it was the first time ever since these matches started. And they've been around seemingly forever. That Agen pin rusher. Hmm. So, uh, yeah, how about that? Uh, how about Agen getting him a big win over Russia? And I mean, <laughs> those comedy matches were going on 
for at this point in time a dozen years. Like seven, eight years. Or, like seven, eight years. Well, with these guys, with this full group, yes. Because Russia wasn't working comedy matches until the late '80s, right? Because he was still he was still a credible guy, right? '84 is the dividing line for Baba, though, more or less. Well, Baba's still working main events, but he's not. He's not the same. I get what you're saying. He's still, but he Baba's still booked as a credible wrestler at times, even well into the '90s, though, like in tag league. Yeah, but like on regular tours, Bob is still main eventing a lot of shows. Gotcha, gotcha. So what's the div- what would you say is the dividing line for Bob then? If um, you're not saying when he steps down for Jumbo. 90. Okay. When the, basically the turnover. You know, a lot of, in a lot of ways. So basically Super when, Generation Army forms and gets the big push. Bob at that point goes down to not working serious matches during tours, basically. Yeah. Okay. All right, the rest of the, sh- the rest of the matches, which I didn't list here, Shoshi Kikuchi over Mighty Inoue in your opener, Egan Izumi over Momono Kimura, Ken Ams over Monica Mossman the Patriot in a match that Dave rated three and three-quarter stars. Hmm. Then you got Fuji Inoue and Ogawa over Baba Shigan Osako, Jumbo and Hanson over Mori Honda, then Albright Ace Kawada over... Akiyama Kobashi Masawa, which Dave gave four and a half stars, and Taiwe over Doc in another match that Dave gave four and a half stars. So uh, there's your Budokan show. Yes. Now the oh, final match. I did want to add real quick. Um, I was going to mention that didn't have an opening. Uh, I would like people to start using the Dynamic Bomb name more because it really is a different move from the Liger Bomb and. Most people do the dynamic bomb these days. They don't really do the Liger bomb. The Liger bomb. Well, the Liger bomb is a running, the running star, and then going. Well, no, the li- the Liger bomb doesn't require the running start. It's the um, to really make it the Liger bomb. It's hooking the legs over the shoulders on the way down. Yeah, but more than not, Liger was running with it. Yeah, but the term "running Liger bomb" is a thing for a reason. The I consider the running Liger bomb the Ultimo Dragon move. You know, where is the uh, light? It, but anyway, it's just there's too much Tauay, uh slander at Erasure. So let's move on. All right, the TV with Tawe and Dot with their 3.4 rating. That match is said to be well above the four-star level because they haven't seen it yet. The best singles match two have had with each other. Judging from the magazine photos, the tour itself was brutal. As Kawada and Dot were both using the dangerous backdrop driver, and there are photos of Masawa, Kabashi, and Nakayama literally taking the fall Almost, and in a case or two, not even almost, on their heads. In addition, Taiwei, Dot, Masawa, how their faces marked up in hard way cuts. There's no such thing as blading in all Japan. From their eyes, because they were so stiff. After a 30-minute draw with Kawada on April 14th, Masawa had a cut above his right eye, on the right side of his mouth, and also had his chin split open, and it was blood streaming from all three spots. So the right side of his face was like a red road map. Considering all the other stuff in the photos, it appeared to be the match of the tour. Okay. Um, uh, I mean, I'll say this. At least, I remember back when I would watch this stuff regularly, I don't know how I'd think about it now if I look back and tried to have a more discerning eye. It always felt like the Kawada version of the backdrop driver was a lot more controlled than the dock version. It's, it's done differently because it's a different guy doing it, and it's 
his strength is different. But he also looks like he's trying to protect his opponents more than Doc does. Well, yeah, but Doc, Doc has got a different type of strength that Kawada does, so it, and the force looks different. Yes. Now, you know, one thing too, though, like you know, it seems like you know there was a move towards this a few years ago. We were getting more head drops and wrestling again in a way that was not good, and it seems like we're getting away from that. You know, I found it interesting to see, you know, last year when Kenny Omega came back and he was a little slower, so you could kind of really finally see what the trick to the Snapdragon was easily. Because, you know, before he came back in his last run, like, when he's at his fastest and most explosive, that move looks like he's dropping guys on their heads. And I feel like he deserves credit for, you know, even if the magic trick is something you can discern more easily now that he figured out a way to do something that looked close to an All Japan head drop that was completely safe. Where he's... Yeah. The other guy is basically kind of landing on top of him and then rolling. You know? Yeah. Like, it shows yeah. there's still... It shows there's still stuff to be learned to make stuff look devastating. And, you know, I had known from talking to people who had worked with him that it was a safe move. But I never really... I didn't feel like asking, like, what's the magic trick to it? Because I, once I knew it was safe, I kind of enjoyed not being able to tell how, but... Yeah. Yeah, I just think about it also, just because, like we talked about before, like, Misawa, especially for obvious reasons, but, like, it's just... It's just a shame looking back on this, especially because it was just so unnecessary. The head drops added nothing. What You know, what added to those matches that I think people maybe at the time thought of as the head drops was the idea of the escalating finishers. I have this move that I don't use all the time that is more dangerous than my other moves. You don't need to shoot drop someone on their head to have that. You just need the, psych yeah. the psychology of it. But anyway, let's go to New Japan. Yeah, tickets for the World Rust and Peace Festival are supposed to have gone on sale this past week with cease prices 65, 28, and 14. No update on the show. Gone Magazine Japan listed a lineup for the first time in this week's issue, which were all matches previously listed here, along with Juice Dunlaring and Chris Benoit. At press time, that match is not on the books because WCW hasn't okayed the match, although New Japan has suggested it. Sabu may not be able to work the triangular match because of a Japanese booking. And I don't know why WCW wouldn't okay that match, but it ends up being Benoit, Alex Wright, and Liger, Great Sasuke. Yeah, who knows what the, what's going on there. Well, yeah, politics I mean, behind the scenes. just wrestled each other in December at Starcade. And, I mean, uh, th well, there is one thing, though, that I mean, at this point, they're, they're allies in New Japan, though. Yeah. This is the era of the Junior Four Horsemen. Yeah. So, I don't know. I almost feel like New Japan would be the... I mean, New Japan suggested it, but you would think they'd be the ones who maybe wouldn't want to do it at that time. Yeah. Now, for Sabu... Because the it's the match that ends up being Conan versus Bigelow versus Jericho. I think Jericho was who replaced Sabu, right? Yeah. So that's what that ends up being. Yeah. UDFI had a big show on April 19th at Osaka Fruits of Gym, which drew us uh, 7,000. For the first clash, Nobuko Takata and Riki Choshu in eight years. Choshu team with Kensuke Sasaki to beat Takata and Hiromitsu Kanahara. Sasaki beat Kanahara after a lariat and powerbomb in 1040. The biggest story coming out of the match was at 7 minute mark when Takata tagged in to go against Choshu for the second time. Takata hit Choshu with a barrage of kicks, including a knee to the chin, which knocked out five of Choshu's front teeth. 
Better not let 2020 get tape of that or states are trying to ban pro wrestling. <laughs> so this is the time when the ultimate fighting thing's going on. And if it's not a right, knock it's not real, though. So that helps, yeah. I guess. Full results of this show saw Kyoshi Tamura beat Billy Scott. Takamichi Sazawa, Kenakoshin over Kazushi Sakuraba. Yoshiro Takayama over Tatsuya Takiwa. Masita Kakihara over Yuji Nagata. Satsuo Nokono and Yui Sano over Kanishiyamoto and Yojianjo. And then Toshu and Kensuke over Takada and Kanahara. And basically by this time, UWFI is a satellite New Japan promotion. Yes. Yes. It's... I don't think New Japan owned them. I think it's like a situation where New Japan was basically running Noah, right? Before the Cyberfight purchase. Right. It was, you know, yeah, I mean, yeah, it's, yeah, in a way. Fronting a money. I mean, rem I remember the way that it came out with the Noah thing was super crazy. Who was a Noah regular at the time just did an interview in English where he was just casually like, oh, yeah, all my paychecks are from New Japan now. Yeah. I war another satellite promotion in New Japan by this point. Well, <laughs> not in the same way, but yes. Drew Asada, well, Drew 5100 in Sapporo on April 19th for a triple main event show. The finale saw here Michi Piyuki, Gato, and Jada retain the War Six-Man Tag Titles being New Japan's Murder, Inc. trio of Masio Chono, Hiroshi Tenzan, and Hiro Saito. Piyuki came to the ring with a bunch of bananas and got on the mic saying the challengers were three monkeys. When they came out, Fuyuki tried to mock them by giving them the bananas while Gato and Jado gave bananas to the ringside fans. Finished saw Chono accidentally hit Saito with a Yakuza kick, and he was triple power bomb for the pin in 2022. Gato, Jado, and Fuyuki's next title defense will be May 26th. Yokohama Bunka Gym against fellow satellite promotions, UWFI, Yoji Anjo, Yoshio Takayama, Kirichi Yamamoto. The Golden Cups, yes. Golden Cups. After the match with Fuyuki, announced the match, he said he was bringing 100 eggs. And we'll wash their dirty faces with eggs while wrestling them. Okay. I don't know what the significance of that is. Now, Chris, do you remember what the name of the commercial tape of this show was? No. Banana Panic. <laughs> yeah, there you go. That's why. The semifinal saw Ray Mysterio Jr. starting his first Japanese tour. He appeared for one match in December as part of the Super Jacob, pinning Psychosis. Well, Tenu Garicho and Mr. Pogo were third from the top. That match was strange. With Pogo using a chainsaw to juice Tenru, he set up a spot where he used to blow fire out of his mouth, but was stopped by Kokita Hart. Tenru made a comeback with a hard punches and chops, and Pogo ran from the ring, through the back, and took a taxi from the building to his hotel room. Okay. War also ran on April 21st with Rain and Team Ultimo Dragon beating Ghetto and Psychosis. All right, uh, Nakajima Sports Center. Full uh, results here. Osamu Takitoko, which is uh, Tachikari, over Battle Ranger. Yuji Yashiroka, Ultima Dragon, over Damian Seisei-Seis and Lionheart Jericho. Big Titan, over Nobutaka Araya, Rick Bogner. Arashi and Kokitahara over Masayoshi Motegi and Shinichi Nakano. Tenro over Pogo by Countout, Rayo over Sakosis, and then the six-man tag titles. Now... You know, when I make the distinction about New Japan satellite promotions, yes, there are New Japan guys on just about every major war show and even a lot of other shows on t war tours. But it's not like New Japan is running the company the way they are with UWFI. No, they're satellite promotion, though. Yes, they, I mean, they are, they're more than just a friendly. Yes. 
Um, if I remember right, too, didn't I don't remember where I heard this, but didn't Ray get into war through New Japan? I mean, he got in the war because he worked with Jacob. No, but wasn't there some New Japan involvement? Like, wasn't he gonna trying to get into New Japan or? There's I mean, that's what I'm trying to remember the story. No, Pena, Pena, the Conan or Pena, one of them said he was going to get that he was going on a tour for New Japan. That's right. That's right. Because we talked, yeah, 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 yeah. We talked about this like a few weeks ago or something. Yeah. Okay. Now I remember. Um, but but yeah, it didn't he, happen. He he went to war. Yeah, he's a war guy throughout the next what year? Roughly, maybe a little Wait. less. Well, I mean, why he's in Japan? Of course, he's in WCW. Not too right, long after this. I mean. so. Yeah. But yeah, Frontier Martial Arts Wrestling. They ran Cork and Hall April twenty first. John saw twenty one fifty with lots of local hype that Sushi Onita would appear at the show. After the Headhunters beat Katsutoshi Niyama and Masato Tanaka, Onita came out wearing a suit and got into the ring and thanked the fans for their continued support of FMW. At that point, Headhunters and Shoji Nakamaki came out and Nakamaki challenged Onita. When Nakamaki first broke into the pro wrestling to make something of a name for himself as an offer of a ball four type baseball expose book, Onita used to give him horrific beatings. Rather than answer the challenge, Onita simply went back to the dressing room. Onita said he would later be at ringside for the Kawasaki Baseball Stadium show on May 5th to see Combat Toyota Megumi Kudo's explosive barbed wire match, but promised he would never attend another FMW show after that card. Mm-hmm. Well, he's just a liar. Yeah. He's all, he also gave back his World Brass Nux belt and said that after the stadium show, he would have no more involvement with FMW. Onita was really over with the fans at this time, like the last time he came to Cork and Hall, because fans thought he was going to an angle to break his retirement. Cat wait, 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 wait. So Davis... Okay. Something's got to be lost in translation here, because being that we know that the reaction to the unretirement is to reject him and call him Mr. Liar... I'm assuming something got relayed to Dave here about him being over for that reason that doesn't necessarily mesh with the traditional definitions of being over, I guess. Like, maybe he's getting—I don't—whether it's he was getting heat, maybe he was getting booed, I don't know. It just—I I don't buy that this could be true. You know what I mean? Yeah. But, uh, yeah, I mean, he's— He's coming back. So, yeah, it is what it is. Um, Cat is jacking his real last match with the name. Uh, went against Mr. Masanaga, Mr. Danger. It was said to be a definite kick of the, bat, kick of the death matches about the stadium show in a broken glass match, although it hasn't been announced as yet in Japan. Apparently, fans now believe he isn't coming out of retirement, and he's popular again for not breaking his word. Wait, 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 wait. Why are we talking about Onita again? Why are we referring to him with pronouns? This is how it's written in the Observer. I am sure it is, but what? (laughs) I don't know. On the undercard, Toyota got her wish to wrestle our childhood hero, Jaguar Yokota, and they did a 10-minute draw, but Koji Lakagawa retained the independent junior title, pinning Fuji Fanaki of Battle Arts. All right, the results. Horace Boulder, Hitsukatsuoya, Tetsuhiro Kuroda, Shaka Shkawar. You said... Excuse me. Yes. I'm sorry. I'm sorry. Horace Boulder, Hitsukatsu Oya beat Tetsuya Kuroda and Gosaka Gashikawar. Jason Atera will be the boogeyman. Bad Nurse Nakamura, Sharshashuya, and Krishnamaya Damari beat Akikana Ibashi, Koryo Nakayama, and Megumi Kudo. Takamichinoku and Riki Fuji beat Makayato and The Shooter. 
Combat Toyota over Jaguar Yakota, which was a draw, but it says, well, it, it is say it's D. It's D, because they're using D for beat. Yeah, yeah I'm using day's that. results. I'd use yeah. day's results here because I was trying to save space. <laughs> and if you your title, Koji Nakagawa over Switch Fanaki, Headhunters over Masan's Naki Construction Yama, and then Street Fight, Hideki Asaka, Hito, and Wing Kanamura over Crypto Keeper, Shoji Nakamaki, and Super Leather. So there you go. That's FMW. I forget right, what was the. Savers. I was just gonna say real quick. I forgot what was the reason that Foley is working here, because he was gonna keep working for IWA if WWF didn't come calling. So why is he suddenly veering off to FMW for one show? Because it's a stadium show, I guess. Okay. I mean, he's in WWF, so I mean, it's just one more date. Yes. And it's a stadium show. Yeah. Pearl's Crusaders, Club Sita in Kawasaki on April 20th, 140 fans. K. Uchi over Basakazu Dagase. Kazuki Nozawa over Tomoyo Dachi. Hiroshi Watanabe and Ryu over Masaru Tabita and Mitsuyu Maeda. Survival Tabita. Different style tag match Hiroshi Osumi and Sao Takagi over Totoro Komoi and Kazumasa Nihei. Super Judas and Super Rider over Uchu Power X and Uchu Power Double X. And Fujiyama and Hiroshi Shimada over KY Wakamatsu and Super Strong Machine. Don't Damn you just it. love mid 90s New Japan? Jinji Harada <laughs> is just randomly working a pro wrestling crusader show at a nightclub in front of 140 people. With his former manager. Yeah. Because um, KY Wakamatsu was the manager of the machines, the original yes. machines. Well, as Ishimisa Wakamatsu. Well, well, was he ever yeah. KY in Japan? Um, probably not, but he had that name forever. I know. Well, Bruce KY Hart. was the was the name Bruce Pritchard, not Bruce Pritchard, Bruce Hart gave him because, of course, he did. Yeah. Um, and yes, Nosawa, of course, is Nosawa, of uh, just retired at the Tokyo Dome fame. Mm-hmm. Yeah. All right, Tokyo Pro Wrestling. Abdul the Butcher debuted for Tokyo Pro Wrestling April 20th in Jiu-Jitsu, teaming with Great Kabuki and Takokuwa Benkei to beat Takashi Shikawa, owner of the promotion, Kishikawa Bata, and Shigeo Okamura in the main event, which drew 756 fans. After the match, Butcher and Mr. Pogo announced formation of a tag team. They challenged uh, Ishikawa and Takashi Shikawa Yojanjo for the Tokyo Pro Tag Titles. However, that team was short-lived. As on Butcher's second show, April 21st, in Nagata, he and Pogo faced Shikawa and Kishikawabata. Butcher basically got to do all the things he was banned from doing in Japan rings, including, well, excuse me, all Japan rings, including attacking the ring announcer with a kendo stick, using a knife and fork to juice Kawabata, while Pogo used a kitchen sink to change the foreign objects. Yes, the kitchen sink. Ishikawa came back using a chair on the Butcher, who also juiced. Butcher wasn't allowed to do any of his blood act the past few years in all Japan. After the match, Abdullah attacked Toru, a Japanese rookie who's protege of Pogo, which led to Pogo then attacking Butcher and challenges being issued back and forth. However, the two still have another tag match April 28th to go through with. Abdullah said he returned in May and bring himself his own regular tag partner at that point. All right, results from Nigata. We have Astro Ray Jr. over Miss Niebla. Akiko Masuda over Toru. Tichibo Iki over Masakurisu. Gecko and Shikaje over Super Shocker and Hakon Negro. Mr. Pogo over Masashi Oyagi. Abdul the Butcher, Greg Kabuki, and Benkei over Takashikawa, Kishikawa, Bon, and Shigeo in your main event. Okay, so I'm trying to remember. 
is Abby coming in a sign that they have new backers, or is it something after that? Well, it's money. I mean, there's definitely more money in the promotion at that point. Yeah. If he's coming in. Yeah, but did like did Ishikawa stop being the owner, or was he still the owner, but he had a lo- new local businessmen backing him? Um, I don't know how, the, how all that goes. You know, once they get, you know, Takata, and they use Abby more, and they bring in Sabu and Scorpio, that whole thing. But there's money there, so... Yeah, I, however it came in there. I don't think the Luchadors were there previously either, were they? No. Yeah, it was mainly just Ishikawa and friends. Yeah. All right, Joshi, Ultraman Women. They start back on the island of Okinawa on April 19th for a two-night tag tournament. Women Amatiota, Marika Shida beating Tashiyu Yamana and Takako Inoue in the finals on April 20th in Itaman. The other major match of the tour was April 21st where Yumiko Hota kept the All-Pacific title beating Reggie Bennett with a cross-on-breaker submission. That showed your 22.50. Opening match, Sayendo and Yukashina over Masai Genki and Tanny Mouse, Bix. No. So, there you go. The featured Neo Ladies Perez in your opening match here. Chaprita Sari and Yumi Fukawa over Kimiko Mikawa and Yoshiko Tamura. Mariko Ishida over Esko Mita. Double in awake, Yoko and Takako over Mimishimoto and Toshiyu Yamada. Hoto retained the Pacific title over Rich Bennett and Ajakong and Tomoko Watanabe over Kaori Ito and Manami Toyota in the main event. So, yep. Yeah. All Japan women still got, you know, a lot here, including the Neo Leades. So, did you just say Leades the... for the future Neo Leades? <laughs> I guess maybe I did. I don't know. Okay. All right. Uh, <laughs> JWP. Sure. JWP ran Cork and Hall April 21st, drawn about 1,500 fans on the one-night Younger Girl Tournament to create the first Cork and Hall Tag Champions as Tomoko Kazumi and Yuki Miyazaki beat Reiko Amano and Tomoko Miyaguchi in the finals. The belts will be defended on every JWP show at Cork and Hall. The main event, two-on-three match, there was an upset as the three. Ikari Fukuoka, Kendo Okutsu, and Hiromiyagi beat the two. Dynamite Kansai and Kyuri Suzuki when Fukuoka pinned Kansai for the first time. Full results of this show. Uh, we had the tournament here. Yuki Miyazaki and Tomoko Kazumi over Fusaya Nochi and Soro. Tomoko Miyaguchi and Riko Amano over Kanakamatoya and Bolshoi Kid. Then Kazumi Miyazaki over Amano Miyaguchi to win the tournament. Devil Masami on Miami Ozaki. And then Fukuoka and Kano Kutsu and Yagi over Kansai and Suzuki in the main event. So, Cork and Hall tag titles. I, I, I like uh, when arenas had their own tag, had their own champions. Like, Mexico, there's Rina Coliseo champions. And then, like, the Cordial it's, City title. and. But see, that's, the thing is about that is that city titles are exclusive to the city, so you can defend it in the city area. But, you know, when you have a title just for the building, yeah, you know, itself, I think that's even better. Yeah. Oh. And territory, you said that all the time back in the day. Well, yes, making city title. Yeah, especially in Georgia, but it, it had Memphis had, there was a Memphis Heavyweight Championship. Yes, there was. Um, oh, a friend has stopped by to give you his feelings on your jokes about me and Neil Ladies. All right, Chris, we get okay. it. Bix doesn't like Neil Ladies Pro Rest. Will you stop? <laughs> no, gorilla, I'm not stopping. <laughs> no matter what you say. So there you go. Deal with it. 
All right, let's go to Lucha now. We'll start with Triple R. The Texas Day scheduled for May 17th in San Benito. And May 18th in San Antonio have been canceled when the local promoters backed out. Tickets for Triple Mania Chicago should be on sale before you read this. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it is what it is. Even though the first show Mania is now in three weeks away, the television and booking still seems to be lacking in focus or direction. On April 21st in uh, Pachuca, uh, drawn us up 3,000, headlined by Four Corners Tag Matches. It's called in Mexico, Relevos Tijuana, because it debuted in Mexico a few months back in Tijuana. Had Heavy Metal, Super Crazy, Conan and Toretto, Viano Cuatro, and Anja Blanco Jr., and Mascara Sagrada Jr. in Octagon. It came down to Sagrada Jr. versus Conan, and Conan put Sagrada Jr. over in the middle of the idea to create a new star, but it backfires. The fans didn't accept it. Because Sagrada Jr.'s offense leaves much to be desired, and everyone can rarely see he's not ready for this push. <sighs> That's the worst. <laughs> when you have a top guy like Conan, who does a clean job for a younger guy, and then the fans don't accept it because the younger guy isn't seen on their level, the level that, that he needs to be. Conic Austin Theory over John Cena. <laughs> Well, and that was a fuck finish, and so, Cena yeah, making yeah. it very clear he had no, no desire to actually be there, etc. The semi was a lumberjack strap match, which had nothing but face lumberjacks, technical lumberjacks with belts. It's the two Rudo teams, Los Payasos versus Los Tortores wrestled. They did comedy spots as well with Gattamantini, the local Rudo referee, getting thrown out at the ring with the lumberjacks with belts whenever Pipicasas got mad at him. All right, the full results at Arena Aficion. Petra Sereno in Zuyema against Marta Villalobos and Neptali. The Payasos and the Destructores. And then the big uh, four-way tag match. Now, speaking of Conan, Conan is the only wrestler still suspended from Norte, California, Vix. So he's suspended from uh, the entire uh, part of Northern California. How about I, that? But I, what does Dave think that means? <laughs> Oh my goodness! Uh, However, the political. <laughs> hey, uh, I, I don't know what it is, Brian. I see Conan around here all the time. <laughs> he lives in Northern California. That's the best part. However, due to political pressure, the commission is allowing him to wrestle on April 30th in Mexicali for Kids Day. He's under the three-month suspension, but the suspension for Pedroff, Otagon, Heavy Metal were all lifted. Basically, at the hearing where some of the local wrestlers suspended when the commission suspended the entire crew for holding an impromptu lumberjack match, all pointing the finger at Conan and telling them to use chairs and threw the brawl like, ha, <laughs> Triple A does have a team on a show for 26 with Sagrada, Latin Lover, and Tineapolis Jr. against Fishman, Killer, and, and uh, Tiancaras on top. Rey Mysterio Sr. ran a show on April 19th for Tijuana, drawn 349 pay with Hector Garza and Vampiro as the top draws. They all blame Conan. That's funny. I mean, he's the booker and promoter, so, yes. <laughs> yeah. But they, and that's the thing. I mean, he's a guy that was booking them, and, you know, it was the thing, and now they, and they just, <laughs> they ratted him out quick. Uh, oh, well. So that's for Conan. All right. Um, Ultima Dragon is around, and a lot of the influence, uh, a lot due to the influence of him, is expected to see another style change in the combination of lucha style and japanese submission style dragon who's only 29 is broken down and always in pain from years of heavy flying and is also of not taking time off the heels repeated ankle injuries 
and especially preached to Coast and Ray Mysterio Jr., who are now in Japan for war, about using more submissions and saving the flying moves for spots in order to extend their careers. The Tijuana shows are also going to get away from such heavy ECW influence and do more of a mix of Japanese submission style with AAA style and some ECW influence. Speaking of Dragon, he's seriously considering quitting war because the style of the younger wrestlers he works with, like Lionheart, Chris Jericho, Gato, etc., is too hard on his body. And also because he hasn't been given a raise as he went there. And so, considering going to either Tokyo Pro Wrestling or Pro Wrestling Fujiwara Gumi, says he'd be able to heavily tone down his matches with those groups. So you see why Ultimo jumps at a chance to go to WCW. Because he, it's, it saves on his body, even though he has his major injury there. But, but it's a completely new country and promotion where they haven't seen him before. So there aren't the expectations of him doing all of his spectacular spots in every match. Yeah. I'm hearing him give that advice to Ray and Psychosis, you know, back then. And both guys still wrestle today. Well, Ray and Ray course, has uh, modern technology to thank for that as well. Well, yeah. And Psychosis isn't the same guy as he once was. But they're still going. Yeah. I mean, Ray... You know, Ray's got the stem cells, and I don't know. Did you see that like Instagram post from Ray? Like, it might have been from Dom- Dominic actually, like a month or two ago, of them going and getting stem cell treatments together in uh, in San Diego. Or no, actually, it might have been in yeah. Mexico. Now that I think about it, but they were getting the inf- the infusions. You know, they were getting the IVs. They weren't getting targeted stem cell injections. They were getting the really expensive stem cell in- treatments. Yeah. Well, it's giving Ray this run, this new run that he's on right now, so uh, I say it's worked out pretty well for him. Mm-hmm. And he's not the same guy, you know, as he once was, as far as doing this, a lot of this stuff he used to do. He ain't done that in a while, so uh, that helps out, too. But, yeah, I mean, that's the thing that young guys need to be careful of, because, I mean, they don't think about their future, and what might happen. You know, they go all out in their young days, which I, I understand, but still kind of, you need to kind of think about what the future holds, you know? Because you just don't know. Yeah, and you know, Psychosis had all the crazy bumps too, and Ray, despite being the smallest guy around in kind of that group, he, even and even though he had guys like Psychosis to work with, he wasn't always taking the most care with placing his dives in the early years. I mean, As, in terms of protecting himself, I mean. The perfect example in today's wrestling is the Martin brothers. I mean, I get, you know, what they do and why they want to do it and everything, but look at, look at all the serious injuries they've gone through in these last few years. And I know one of them wasn't in the ring, but good lord. Yeah, I don't remember what Darius is first in... Uh, in, yeah, Darius. The car wreck was on. one of them. No, I know one was the car wreck, and then I mean, with with Dante earlier this month, that's not a traditional high flying thing. I mean, I don't want to get too in the weeds on it because I'm not a wrestler, but like, I don't get how no one realized that spot was a bad idea. And we see other wrestlers, you know, younger wrestlers doing crazy stuff, and I get it, I understand, but kind of need to think about. It about things you know need to think about you know possibly the damage you could be doing on yourself in the long run 
Yes, so. no, absolutely. And I mean, I think also, like, it's depending on who you're working with. If you're a flyer, like, if you're taking care of yourself and not doing stuff that's as high risk in terms of your landing, like, I would think there's potentially more longevity to someone who has the likes of a Gringo Loco or a Black Taurus or a Claudio Castagnoli to work with regularly as their base compared to someone who doesn't. Well, uh, well that definitely helps. Yeah, definitely helps out, believe me. Because if you have somebody that's not basing for you properly, I mean, that really could fuck you up. Absolutely. All right, um, Miki Ibaragi, who ran two tours of his own wing promotion last year using many ECW wrestlers and was the original wing promoter before that group went out of business, is talking about starting up and again and using AAA wrestlers as his draws. AAA has an extensively worked with Japan larger because of relations with Black Cat in New Japan. However, New Japan hasn't used AAA wrestlers since November 1994, and they turned down several groups to keep relations strong with New Japan. And it appears people are tired of waiting, which also explains Ray and Psychosis being on tour of war. Then again, given all the organization communication headaches, one could easily see why New Japan wouldn't even bother. Well, that might answer a little bit of your question there, Bix. Yeah. You know, it is weird that they're really building up this strong AAA relationship and then it just stops. On New Japan's end, much no less. Not AAA's end. Yeah. I mean, probably the reason that they ended up being so loyal to CMLL, I would think was that even though CMLL has their own issues with organization and stuff, it seems like they at least kept a pretty good handle on staying in New Japan's good graces. Yes. And their relationship has been strong now for 25 years, basically. So, Yeah, it was basically the uh, 98 Super Junior was when it really got going, right? Yeah. So... Yeah, they kept a strong relationship for a long time. There's now a magazine newspaper war in regards to wrestling going on. Each group has its own house organs to promote it and run that opposition in general. The general consensus is that CML has a big advantage in the newspaper, magazine, and reading departments, but AAA has the advantage in talent and booking. Kind of sounds like WAW, doesn't it? In today's climate. <laughs> you know? Hmm. It really Kinda. does. Kinda, I get what you're saying. Sure, because uh, AAA, AEW has, you know, I guess you could say the talent and the booking part as an advantage. Well, WWE has media and house show and show attendance. Yeah. So, although also at, at, at this point in '96, the gap in talent and booking is closing a lot. Well, yeah, starting to. Yeah. And it's really about to start as the the year ends. So, well, that's because the key AAA guys go to Promos Tekka, but yeah, yeah. So, yeah, interesting. Conan came out and ripped Il Santo and CMLL and AAA Press, claiming all the publicity they've gotten for doing benefits and raising money for Pentagon were all show and used for promotional purposes. The CMLL Press then ripped Conan and AAA heavily in return. <sighs> that's Santo's friend and. I kind of doubt this was really happening to you. It's a wrestling war, and we God knows we see we've seen it over here, you know, and and how that goes. So people kind of take no prisoners at times, and their criticisms. So, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> 
Don't surprise me. Alright, CMLL. The major show of the week was April 19th, billed as the 40th anniversary show to Rio Mexico. The actual first match wrestling card in Rio Mexico was on April 26, 1956. So this Friday show be the 40th anniversary, technically. So Dave's not certain whether or not this is a two-week celebration. It brought up many legends sitting ringside for the show, including Boot Damon and Ray Mendoza. Who's actually brought both shows, says he has a local commission, and brought Mel Mascaras, Connect, and Tenebulous in for the main event. So have a crowd figure other than the estimate of around 7,500. As far as response, well, let's just say Mills' return wasn't near, nearly as well received as the Ultimate Warriors, and the match was horrible. Mill, who according to our records, will be 57 years old, his official listed age is 53, teamed with Tenebulous, who, like Mascaras, was a Mexican cinema star in the mid to late 60s and early 70s, and later a kid's television show personality, and Arad Delisco Jr. to be Connect, Dr. Wayne Jr. and Emilio Torres Jr. by DQ, when Connect pulled off Ryo's mask, the other key matches were Il DeSanto, Lisa Mark and Atlantis, or Felino, Satanico, and Bessie Safahi, and a match that wasn't good either. Okay. And Rambo beat him Beto Garza in a Caballero Coach Caballero match, in which the combined time for all three falls was less than six minutes. Obviously, they're building up Rambo's hair for Umberto's brother, Hector, who's the promotion's current golden boy. Now, on that TV show, it's to be still photos of the legends of the past from Maria Mexico with them talking about them. All right, the rest of the show. We have Sikon Ramirez, Olympico, and Yoshiro Tajiri against Cadaver, the Tumba, Espresso Jr., and Moguer. Akarana de la Muerte, Chicago Express, and Guerrero de Futuro over Rico Mendoza, Solar, and Super Astro. Elantis, Yoda Santo, and Lismark over Bessas of Ajefelino, Satanico. Mil Mascaras, Aurelisco Jr., and Tenebles over Kinect, Dr. Padna Jr., and Emilio Solis Jr., and Rambo over Umberto Garza, and the Umberto Garza Jr., and the Caballero Coach Caballero match. So they're bringing in the big guns here for this show, Bix, and they still only draw about 7,500. So that tells you where they're at at this time. But they're getting better. Yeah, they're not all the way there, but they're getting better. Um, I mean, getting Santo back in was a, a big deal. So And Gars is picking up steam. He's starting to, yes. Yes. All right, uh, April 21st, we're going to call it and Pegaso of El Capri. When it gets El Capri and... Voltron, Baby Richard, El Supremo, and Kundra, when it gets America, El Fierro, and Lynx, Atlantico, Olimpico, and Olympus, when it gets Damian El Guerrero, Guerrero del Futuro, and Guerrero Maya, La Fiera, Solar, Super Astro, when it gets Io de Gladiador, Felino, and Quejos, and Dos Caras, Io de Santo, and Silver King, when it gets Dr. Bandit Jr., Milo Charles Jr., and Satanico, in the main event. Then the Tuesday Coliseo show on the 23rd, so, Sikon Armenes, Chusiero, and Olimpico going against America Dos, Guerrero del Futuro, and Guerrero Maya. Anel Azteca, Mascara Magica, and Solar of America Roca, Chicago Express, and Colo Fagardi Jr. Cadaver de Ultra Tumba, Espeto Jr., and K-Hall, Silver Arrigo Mendoza, Super Astro, and Yoshiro Tajiri. And Dos Caras, Lafayette, and Silver King over Bestia Savaje, Negro Casas, and Satanico. So, not bad. Not bad stuff. Any thoughts or anything? Not really. I don't know if there's really anything I have to add on this one. Um, All right. Well, we go to IWRG now. This is one of the very, very first IWRG branded shows. Yes, because I think the last 96 show we did so far this year, I think it was still Moreno or whoever. Yeah. Sahori, Venus, and Zuyema winning against Greta, Purpura, La Pirosa, and La Fugitiva. Zuyema winning against La Procatantes, doing double duty, I guess. 
Cuervon, Neblina, Antonio Rivera against Dr. Cerebro, Goleador, and Tutan. Alcantarado Jr., Cranio, and Pantera against Gremlin, Mastodonte, and Negro Navarro. And then a steel cage match. So Blue Demon Jr. going against Viano Tercero. Hmm. Interesting main event there. Cage um, match. Okay, is Cuervo here Triple A Cuervo? Uh, yes, it is. The eventual Triple K or Triple yeah, A Cuervo. Same guy. Um, and Cranio is Cranio, right? Because yeah, he hasn't taken yeah. on any other of the other gimmicks yet. No, he hasn't. And then eventually he was just Cranio again. Mm-hmm. And then Double Double C, as we have a couple title changes to talk about in Caguas. Television title, Jungle Jim Steel beat Ricky Santana. And if an Universal title, Carlos Colon of El Bronco. So there you go. Hmm. All right. Yes. No, I just thought the Jim Steele thing was interesting. That's all. Yeah, he's, I mean, I mean, you got to give it to the guy. The guy, fl- he flamed out WCW. I mean, he had that ECW deal. And then, he, I mean, he just keeps going. Goes to Puerto Rico and then goes to Japan and becomes a regular over there. So he de- he doesn't give up his career. So. Yeah. Went around the world, tried to get better, definitely did get better, earned himself a steady job in Japan. You know, good for him. Yeah. Yeah. All right, that's it for the first half of the show. It's halftime. So, have some great 1996 commercials. We'll move to the halftime segment where we'll talk about Patreon, we'll plug all our streaming services and all the other stuff, and then we'll come back with Johnny P. As yes, it is time to talk about Hostile City Showdown 96 and the quote unquote lesbian kiss <laughs> quote unquote you say did, did they really kiss we'll let you know after the break they shouldn't be giving blood but they are slipping through a flawed screening process how our hidden camera investigates tonight on the CBS evening news you're on CBS Every other racist with a pistol who taunts and then fires. He took on four youths he said were mugging him. Now, over a decade later, will a jury force him to pay up to a man he shot? The pros and cons of a subway gunman's action. They never asked the Beatles for any permission to put them on this merchandise. And uh, they're making a lot of money from it. This money-making venture missed the Beatles' stamp of approval. Now the Fab Four try to cancel them out. A stamp dealer faces a licking in court. Plus, it's not a typical car rally. Mitsubishi plant workers show their support for the automotive giant in light of sexual harassment allegations. And the Queen holds court. Rap star Queen Latifah gets ready to face an alleged carjacker. Those stories and more, next... This is Court TV's Inside America's Courts. We'll have more after the break. Mitsubishi workers storm Chicago streets, claiming sexual harassment is not a standard feature at their auto plant. And Queen Latifah tries to pin the rap on the man she says carjacked her BMW. Plus, he jumped ran, out of the car. Jumped out the car and ran up to her. She threw her hands up like this to keep him away from her. He kept walking up on her. She kept backing up. Testimony in this man's murder trial takes a surprising turn about events leading up to this woman's deadly leap from a bridge. Next. 
germs. They're in your mouth, living in plaque. Even your dentist can't see them. Now you can remove the plaque and its germs with new Mint Sensation Advanced Formula Plaques, a minty, cool way to get germs where they live by removing more plaque before you brush so you get clean, healthy-feeling teeth and gums even your dentist can see. Remove plaque and germs with new Mint Sensation Plaques. New Pure Silk Ooh. Shave Cream with nine moisturizers in a rust-proof aluminum can. It's not just shaving, it's pure indulgence. If you want relief from minor arthritis pain, turn up the heat on arthritis. Just minutes after applying Ultra Strength Bengay, you can actually see the heat. That's because Ultra Strength Bengay is the strongest, most advanced Bengay ever. And the only one with the powerful heating relief of three pain relievers. And it'll last for hours. Try Ultra Strength Bengay and turn up the heat on arthritis. In the beginning, you read all the books. You sterilize everything. You even buy those expensive diapers. But eventually, you get over it and get loves. Why loves? They work and work great, especially on leaks. They pass these torture tests as well as pricey brands. But loves cost less every day without coupons. Like you have time to clip coupons. You don't have time to read books with words. Hey, live and learn. And then, get lost. The KDK TV2 hometown advantage. It's knowing that Pittsburgh works hard and plays hard. Whether you're up with the sun... Or rocking into the night. KDK News has always known Pittsburgh and its people. This year marks my 1500th visit to KD Country. 28 years of reporting to you. After 14 years, we're still finding tips you can take to the bank. At KDK TV2, we've always known what Pittsburgh wants. That's the hometown advantage. Good evening, Mr. Rice. A secret meeting of some of the best in local music is happening on April 29th. It's called Undercover 96, and your mission, should you choose to accept it, is to benefit the Early Learning Institute. And as always, should you or any of your friends have too much fun, we will disavow any knowledge of your actions. Call 922-8322 for more info. This recording will self-destruct in two seconds. All right, we're back. That'd be Joel's great 1996 commercials. That was as we pivot to halftime seven the show. Where we'll begin talking about our Patreon, patreon.com slash between the sheets. And we've already recorded now two thirds of the uh, show as we're on the 25 year anniversary of Ric Flair versus Eric Bischoff in WCW 1998. And um, where we're at right now, where we stopped it, is at the end of June. Where Ric Flair has filed his suit, countersuit against WCW. So we'll have all the legal news going on there, and quite a bit of legalese in this. Um, we'll have the discussion on how this could have all been avoided <laughs> from the very beginning. Egos out of control. What possibly could have been the real uh, story that could have been going on if. Bischoff and Flair don't have a big falling out. And there's all kinds of stuff like that. It's a lot of legal stuff, like I said, we're talking about so far. And of course, the last third of the show, we'll be recording that uh, in the next few days. And uh, that's going to be discussing Flair's return and all that good stuff. But uh, yeah, we'll talk about Flair and WF and really how feasible was that possibly happening. And 
all kind of stuff. So yeah. it's going to be quite the show. Yes. Oh, one thing you don't know about yet that's uh, early in this last segment we're going to record. Quotes from Bruce Mitchell interviewing Ric Flair on a Greensboro radio station. <laughs> yeah. And, um, yeah, there's a lot of stuff. A lot of stuff going on here, and we'll talk about why Ric Flair was in this meet, because we get confused at the beginning, and then we find out, and uh, something that was well known a year in advance. That's just a little hint. So there's a lot, lot going on here. So patreon.com slash 20 sheets, $5 a month, gets you access to that and all the other audio that we've done in our seven, almost seven full years now, the Patreon. And um, yeah, time is flying by. So because uh, the uh, seventh anniversary is coming up soon. That would months, be so. October, so about six months. Yeah, yeah. So we're getting, we're getting there. But uh, yeah, five dollars a month gets you access to all that. Dollar a month gets you access to the uh, Discord Advanced Next Segment, which we're just about to do. Twenty-five dollars allows you to pick a show for the week. Now, when you want to do that, have two shows in your mind just in case your original pick maybe something that somebody else has already picked on the calendar, or that uh, could be something we've already talked about in a previous show because you know our timelines can get screwy sometimes. And uh, yeah, if you have any questions, get with. Uh, me or Bix about that, and we'll try to uh, make sure everything works out in your favor so we can get your show on the air. Now, remember, uh, get this in at least 30 days before your show. Ten-year rules in effect. Wednesday, Tuesday on the timeline. So, you do all that, you should be good to go. $50 for a show if you choose, and 100 for the whole show if you choose. I don't think you said the word segment there. You said sit in for a show. (laughs) Well, say fix for the segment, hunt for the whole show. Yeah, I don't think you used the word segment this time. I think you just kind of ran over it. But whatever. $50 lets you pick a segment, 100 for the whole show. Patreon.com. I say the same thing every week. I know you do. <laughs> and this time, I think you... I say the same thing every week. And you might have, and maybe you mumbled through it this time, but it happens. Yeah, like you say stuff on you that th- you don't think you say. So. Whatever. Anyway. anyway. Yes. Oh, when we didn't talk about the – if you do a year up front, it's a 16% off, which is uh, $50.40 is what you pay for the $5 tier. So patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, we'd like to thank – and this is a name that when I was first skimming this, I read as someone else. I don't know if it'll be obvious uh, when I say it out loud, but Michael Bushiako. Thanks, Michael. Which at first glance I read as Michael Bikikia. Just skimming over well, the page. It's, it's different. Yeah, well, just I wasn't looking that closely. It was when I was first copying the text over to my notes. But yes, thank you, Michael Bushiako. Also, like to thank Patrick Hayden. Thanks, Patrick. Mister Ulala, I presume uh, Left Coast Mister Ulala of Pal Pro. Yes, thank you, Mister Ulala. And converting from monthly to annual, Will Mahoney. Thank you, Will, for doing that. So we thank all you new patrons, old patrons, patrons that have been there from the beginning, come along the way, left, came back, all that stuff. We thank all of you for your patronage at patreon.com slash between the sheets. Yes, and I guess we should use it as a selling point. Now that Ian Riccoboni is mostly abandoning Twitter, 
you can talk to him in the Discord. There you go. Yes, if you want to talk to him about the likes of With My Baby Tonight and the be- what the actual best song on Slam Jam Volume 1 is, patreon.com slash between the sheets. All right, there you go. Or if you have any questions right. for NYU award-winning sex educator Ian Riccoboni. Yeah. We thank All him right, for his patronage. So... Yes. <laughs> yeah. All right, uh, IWTV, Fight TV, what's going on in that world this week? All right, IWTV, some interesting live streams coming up this week. Uh, Demand Lucha has a show on Thursday night at 8 Eastern. We're not a lot listed on the site right now, but the main event, Gringo Loco versus Ares, which would be a hell of a match. Plus, uh, well, yeah, I mean, Gringo Loco's uh, improved his name value recently, being on uh, Ring of Honor. Yes, hell Announced of by a Ian match. Yes, hell of a match that he had uh, with the Adelphi Kingo that aired uh, last night as we're recording this. So, yeah. Seems like he might have earned himself uh, a contract of some kind. I mean, they made it clear he's coming back, but at the taping, Tony Khan even came out and uh, raised his arm and stuff. So that should be interesting. Uh, Our dear friends at Action Wrestling have their five-year anniversary show on Friday night at 7.30 p.m. Eastern. But it's a mystery show, so we have no lineup. Yeah. Yeah, which is always... uh, The PWG has done that in years past. So, always an interesting deal. So, yeah, you never know. You go in the show just with a, going in blind and putting your ticket down, expecting a good show. So, yeah, it's an interesting concept. I don't think I realized it was going to be a mystery show, but, yeah, five years. I mean, I remember uh, sitting with him in the city cafe in the beautiful scenic city of Chattanooga uh, as he went over the plan for action wrestling with me at uh, SCI 2017. Yeah. Time flies. Yes, it does, when you're having fun, and also there's a a global pandemic in the middle. It's changed a lot. Definitely. In my wrestling attending, so, yeah. Yes, yes. So, yes, that'll be Action Wrestling's fifth anniversary show. On Saturday, Prestige returns to Roseland in Portland for Roseland 5, with a show that starts at 10 Eastern. And includes, as I go from the top of the card on down, Kevin Blackwood versus, uh, okay, I guess the current name is Penta L0M. Yeah, actually, wait, what, what name does he use on AEW TV now? Penta, Penta Sierra Miedo. That's what I thought. He he uses multiple names. I mean, I... He, he's Pentagon, he, in some places, he's Pentagon Jr. still. <laughs> well, he's Pentagon Jr. if he's in AAA and AAA. No, not, no he's Penta he's Penta, Penta uh, Zero M. Then where, where is he Pentagon Jr. <laughs> if he's not Pentagon Jr. in AAA? He's worked as Pentagon Jr. indie shows in Mexico. But I thought the whole thing <laughs> was that he could only work as Pentagon Jr. if he was working in AAA. So if he, I, I'm very confused right now. It's, well, I, I can understand that. <laughs> I mean, there was there. Remember, it's he like, was it's like Phoenix. Phoenix sometimes versus just Phoenix, and not Ray Phoenix. No, I know. <laughs> remember how he was Penta L Zero at All In, which was clearly because yeah, he was in a show. <laughs> 
mean, he's had he's had different numbers, different numbers, different uh, names. So, and he has not been doing much yeah. U.S. indie stuff lately, has he? No. Like he's mainly been doing just AEW, ROH, and Mexico, right? Yeah, I think okay. that's by design. So his current cage match name is Penta El Zero Miedo. So all of his names that are listed in the Penta realm, I won't go into every gimmick he's ever used on Cage Match are Penta El Zero Miedo, Pentagon Jr., Penta El Number Zero, Capital M, Penta El Spelled Out Zero M, Pentagon Dark, Penta Obscuro. Yeah, they don't even have all of them here because there's Penta El Zero. There's no Penta El Cero Miedo here. Jesus Christ. Ah. Don't you just love Mexico and Mexican trademark laws and all that good stuff? Yeah. yeah a lot I of wackiness. Yeah, I don't even know what his last U.S. indie date would have been to you. Or at least uh, in, like, a, like, no. streaming promotion, certainly. Because it looked like he worked some Texas shows and recently, but... Well, uh, don't surprise me. Yeah, Lucha shows under the radar, etc. Um... Yeah, in terms of like a like visible streaming indie, this has got to be the first one in quite a while. So that's interesting. Kevin Blackwood's an interesting opponent. Uh, what else do we have here? Also from AEW, Daniel Garcia taking on Robert Martyr. Effie takes on Drexel, and what I guess would be of the deathmatch variety. Brian Keith taking on Sonico. Uh, some of the locals with the C4 taking on Midnight Heat. I feel like I saw some other names on here. Oh, yes. Sean Spears versus Filthy Tom Lawler. Judas Icarus, who's getting around more beyond the Canadian scene, taking on Nick Wayne. And a uh, three-way with uh, Liza Hall versus Trisha Dora versus Miyu Yamashita. So that's Prestige on Saturday at 10 Eastern. And on Sunday, Beyond has a show, 30 and under. So focusing on the younger talent, especially the younger... Uh, Beyond Mainstays lately, uh, Willow Nightingale takes on Anastasia Morningstar, so a mix of a more established star versus someone newer. Megan Bain versus Shannon Levangle. Those are your, your women's matches. Or Actually, wait, is Becca? Yeah, Becca's in a uh, mixed or intergender tag, teaming with Aaron Work against Janai Kai and Yelia. And more, including the Miracle Ones versus what Stetson Ranch. And there's a whole storyline there going on on Wrestling Open that I have not been following, so don't ask me. So those are the live streams coming up on IWTV this week. So if you're not already a subscriber, independentwrestling.tv, use code BTSPOD, and we'll get a referral fee for each month you stay a paid subscriber. Now on Fight TV, the big one this week is going to be, what day of the week is the, so the 30th Sunday, right? Uh, yes. So Sunday at 3 Eastern, 1PW in England has All or Nothing 2023, which is headlined by, despite his injury, he claims he's been cleared, so he's probably injecting a lot of stem cells, Will Ospreay uh, taking on Bobby Fish, which, you know, whatever anyone thinks of Bobby Fish should be a hell of a match. Yeah. So, more and more uh, indie showing up on Fight Plus. And there's also a Future Stars Wrestling show on Sunday at 8 Eastern. And IWC is doing their Superstar Showdown on Saturday at 7 Eastern. So, 
you want to check those out, tinyurl.com slash btsfight, that's B-T-S-F-I-T-E. And you can use it towards both the Fight Plus subscriptions as well as Fight uh, pay-per-views. So tinyurl.com slash B-T-S-F-I-T-E. All right, this week's episode of Between the Sheets is sponsored by Private Internet Access, America's number one virtual private network. You can use incognito mode, your internet service provider storing your browsing data, many times even selling it. The private internet access can help. Private internet access encrypts and reroutes your internet traffic to one of its own servers, hiding your data from your internet service provider or network administrator. And with servers in over 75 different countries, you can get unrestricted access to geoblock content from around the world. Private internet access comes with easy to use apps and browser extensions for all devices, a raw solid privacy policy, open source security, advanced customization settings, and it was just ranked the fastest VPN in the world by PC Mag. If you sign private internet access right now, you can take advantage of a special deal only for Between the Sheets listeners. Let's go over that, shall we? As we have three different plans we offer you guys. We got a regular monthly plan of eleven ninety-five a month. You got a yearly plan, which you which gets you down to three dollars thirty-three cents a month or thirty-nine ninety-five a year. Or you can go with the best plan of all. A three-year plan plus four free months, equaling out to a dollar ninety-eight a month, eighty-three percent off. $79 for the first three years and yearly thereafter. An amazing deal, folks. Amazing deal. And very useful for some of those streaming services that we talk about. So get on that. Why? Because it's so much more expensive than virtually every other VPN on the market. If you get it right now, you can take advantage of private internet access 30-day risk-free challenge. Try it out for 30 days. See if you like it. If not, just return it for a full refund. Why you get that, you ask? Well, you go to privateinternetaccess.com slash between the sheets and try out the best damn VPN on the planet completely risk-free. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we go back to 2001 for a stack show, half, uh, half the show being WF-related, as we have news on the WWF, WWF version of WCW and what the plans are there including uh, Jim Ross meeting with future talent, what what could be television stuff going on, writers, where does Jerry Lawler possibly fit in all this, Scott Steiner. I mean, there's all kinds of stuff. So uh, that should be quite a little deal there. And then we go to a proper, where we'll have the TV, of course. Um, so there's that. Um, oh, and I forgot the Citizen the End of the show. We had the Duchess of Queensbury rules match on SmackDown to talk about, so there's that. Uh, Backlash, we'll have Wasn't that. Was the Duchess of Queensbury at the pay-per-view? Uh, maybe it was. Yes, it was It was the build-up match to the Duchess of Queensbury match. You're right. Now, Sorry. do you remember who uh, uh, played the role of the Duchess of Queensbury? Uh, no. Sue Aitchison. Well, Dave Meltzer has an interesting comparison about her in the uh -oh. notes, who she looks uh, like, so uh -oh. we'll, we'll uh -oh. say that. Uh, so then we got, uh, got Steve Austin, Triple H, and taking the tag titles from uh, Undertaker and Kane in a match where all the titles are on the line. So there's that. Uh, another drama in WF at the time as well, as uh, Triple H has uh, got some stuff going on behind the scenes, shockingly. Bobby Eaton, his removal from training in Memphis, what happens to him? A lot going on, just a lot. All right, in Japan, we got uh, all the promotions, news from there. Antonio Noki come back to America, trying to negotiate a deal with Mike Tyson. We got Combat Zone Wrestling Guys in Big Japan, all kinds of uh, indie scum stuff. 
So there's that. Mama Joshi stuff, too, for Bix. And then we have uh, Metsuko, Paraguayo. Looks like he's uh Why are you saying that like that done. at a time where I actually was watching all the Joshi promotion? <laughs> well, you would be surprised, though, Bix. That's all I'll say. Okay. You would be surprised. Uh, uh, we have uh, Ray Mysterio Jr. not be able to work at Tijuana anymore, thanks to Time Warner. So we'll have news on that. Sheldon Goldberg's NECW has some interesting stuff going on. We'll talk about that. Bret Hart makes an appearance at an indie show in New York. And we got Burt Prentice and Terry Taylor hooking up. That's all I'll say there. Uh, just who is the rightful ECW television champion? Women are wrestling and is having financial issues. Hulk Hogan having this big meeting with Universal. And an interesting study on wrestling fans by... The uh, Way Forest University School of Medicine in the Winston-Salem Journal. Yes, this should be a, a definitely interesting to talk about. Yeah. All that and more next week on Between the Sheets, no guest. Oh, I just took a peek. We have the uh, Akira Hokuto retirement match against Miko Satomura, too. Yeah, so all that and more next week on Between the Sheets. All right, you can follow me on Twitter at Chris Zellner, K-R-I-S-Z-E-L-N-E-R. Show proper at BT Sheets Pod. Bix at David Bix. And uh, what's going on in your world this week, Bix? Eh, not too much, at least that I can talk about. Um, how about that uh, second AEW uh, two-hour show, though? <laughs> well, I mean, if the reporting is true, and I don't have a, a lot of reason to doubt it, I mean, CM Punk is now the most valuable member of that company. Uh, that's not that's a talent. I mean, the, I mean, this story goes is that they don't get a TV show unless he's back in the company. And Dave Meltzer speculating for an extra fifty-two million dollars, possibly in that mix. So, yeah, I mean, what can you say? I mean, the guy is a valuable asset. In certain people's eyes, that's above the wrestling part of it. That's the network. Um, The interesting thing to me, I mean, you talked about this off the air, is they want him on a Saturday night show. If I'm WBD... You add the show and you put him on Wednesday. You add the show, but I would want Punk on the Wednesday show. Because, I mean... You're te- you told me that supposedly they're talking about moving doing eight to ten, not six oh five, which is what everybody was thinking the first. That is not a good time so on Saturday nights for various reasons. Um people going out, um you know, there's that involved. Um and and then starting in September, you'll have heavy competition for college football in prime time. So you got that going on. It's a risky proposition to to do that. I mean, Saturday Saturday night is not the biggest night for television. It just isn't. Um, so that interests me. Um, I mean, to, if I'm Tony and this is what's the deal here, and he that Punk is the guy who has to be around for this to happen, and I want to do this, then it's hard to say that he shouldn't have made the move because he's got to look out for business interests in mind. 
But the thing is, in my, I want to say concern, but my thoughts is if we're doing the quote unquote brand split here, and then it comes situation where it's the guys that want to work with punk on one show and the guys that don't want to work with punk on the other show, is that going to cause rifts between talent that there aren't, any rip, aren't already rifts with? Probably. You know, that's the thing that comes in my mind. Are you going to create more problems doing this than you already have? So that's the question here. Um, well, you know, and the whole punk elite thing, in my opinion, I mean, all the parties need to just sit down, talk this shit out, get it straightened out, and go from there. I mean, I don't, I'm not on either side of this. You know, that both sides are fools in ways. Um, but right now, Punk is winning the battle of public relations. And, you know, I mean, it's just, it, it, it's, it's interesting. It's going to be interesting to see how all this goes because, like I said, if it comes to a situation where people have to pick and choose, you're putting people in a position that they might not want to be in. You know, so it's risky. It's risky to say the least. But well, yeah, go ahead. What you got? I don't know if I have that much more to add. I mean, it's just the, I don't know. The, the, the Saturday thing is weird, but there's Tony's whole thing of avoiding NFL and other stuff. Yeah, but then you're going against college football, which, you know, college football's not the NFL. I know that. But still, college football has a big footprint on Saturdays in the fall. So, again, not as big as NFL, but still, you know. Yeah. Still, still. I mean, during the spring and summer, who, who knows? But also, that's nothing too. During the spring and summer, more people gonna be out on Saturday nights, going places because of the weather. Yeah. You know, I mean, there's a reason, and I know it's because of location, but there's a reason why the AWA did not run many shows on the weekend i mean on during the summer period much less you know the weekends yeah because the people were able to finally go out and enjoy the weather and now with covid the covid situation being what it is and people are, are out and you know back to quote unquote normal uh it's you know it, it's harder than ever to to have something that people say and here's nothing too you know, this th I'm definitely be interested to see the DVR percentage on this. I mean, I want to see because, DVR numbers on everything, but yes, I agree. I know, but th th this may be the most DVR of all the shows. Yeah. So there's that too. Oh, it's just if they're willing to go that direction, if if WBD's willing to give them that, and that's what they want to do, then more power to them. But the thing that's interesting to me is, and, and this came out the same day as all this, but Jim Miller, who is very connected in the television industry, wrote uh, the, the, the or History of Saturday Night Live. Some guys have all the fun, the ESPN stuff. Jim Miller is very connected in the in sports media and the media business in general. And he was on uh, Jimmy Traina, uh, SI Fox uh, podcast. And he was talking about that he has heard from his sources 
that WBD may make a play for WWE's media rights. Now, that one, which is out there, but that one could be very interesting to follow to see how deep something like that goes, um, what that entails. I mean, for the WWE side of things, I could definitely see them wanting to take the TV home away from their competition. Um, but the thing is, is that you could possibly be facing a change of nights for your shows. But then, you know, I mean, it's a whole different ball game now with WWE. So what's in the past and thoughts in the past may not necessarily be, you know, in the future, you know. Um, it's interesting. It's an interesting story. So, again, I wouldn't put a whole lot of credits into it right now because WWE has, you know, a great relationship with their partners right now at uh, NBC Universal and uh, Fox. But you never know. And, and I firmly believe that once ESPN gets their shit together, that they're going to get involved in this. So, Definitely be interesting uh, negotiating time here for the, the meteorites of WWE and who wants to jump on board or not. That is for sure. So, I don't know. Just Jim Miller putting that out there like that, that, that kind of, it it, it, <laughs> it picked up my senses a little bit. Because there was that rumor that had floated around a, a while back that they might be interested. And, uh, and he comes out with that, and I was like, well, okay. So, something to watch out for. I, like I said, I wouldn't put a whole lot of, you know, credence into it just yet, but just keep it in the back of your mind that this is something that could be something to watch. I mean, they'd be stupid to not have the conversation. Yeah, they do their due diligence, and then, you know, then, then the question is with that is how does that affect their relationship with AEW? Right. So, you know, <laughs> it's gonna be uh, yeah. WWE, this me right negotiation and all that stuff. I think this this year will be uh, quite newsworthy when it comes to that, because oh. the, the deal's up next year. So they're going, and I would pretty damn pretty well be sure it's going to get done, uh, probably before the end of summer. When does the exclusive window for uh, Universal end on Fox? Uh, I'm not positive on that in particular. Because last time we knew, what, about a year out? That's normally how it goes. At least, at the very least, a year ahead. Because they got to have all the time to get ready. You know, it takes time to to get all your advertisements, upfronts, all that type of shit. You know, that's what, like, in college football and NFL, when they do these big media deals... That and it's always done at least a year before it starts. So, yeah, the business of wrestling, uh, definitely something. It's definitely the, the story, I think, this year, more than the wrestling itself. And and one thing, I mean, in, in WWE right now, they're as hot as they've been a long time in many ways. Those, those uh, t- t- attendance numbers right now, pretty damn stout. And then their TV ratings, considering, it's pretty damn style. So, 
Yeah, I mean, the fact that Raw didn't really go down at all this week with all the competition was pretty impressive. And SmackDown's doing, like, you know, 2.5 ratings right now and stuff like that. I you mean, mean 2.5 million viewers. Well, whatever. Yeah. But uh, I'm not talking about, I'm talking about overall rate. That's what I'm saying. We never um, see the, the overall rate. We never see the... We never see the uh, two plus rating, so it would uh, but, you only I mean, see the two yeah. plus viewership. So yeah, you're you're thinking two and a half million viewers. But yeah, I mean it's just uh, it's it's impressive. It's very impressive. So yeah, yeah. No, well, la- yeah. Last week they did uh, they had two point two six five, and you know that's I guess you know NBA playoffs all that shit. So yeah, I mean, and then the fanatics situation. Where their fanatics is taking over, uh, they're operating the, the merchandise at the venue start make the first, and yeah, I mean that, that's 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 a big deal, folks. That's a huge deal. So, yeah, I don't know. We'll see. Well, let's get back to the rest of the show. All right, Johnny's back with us as we go to the U.S. indie scene, and we start with New Jack City Wrestling. Torch has results from a show that they were in Asbury Park, New Jersey, at Berkeley, in front of 425 fans, as we have uh, Ace Darling over Derek Domino, Rocco Dorsey over Rick Ratchet, Ghetto Blaster over Johnny Handsome to win the U.S. title, Ubas, Paulo Marquez, went to a double count with Nomad, at which Raven attacked Ubas until Mikey Whitrep made the save, The Misfits, Holly Lewis and Psychotron Kent Porter, with Kathy Bell, a blow-up doll, beat Supernova and Rockin' Rico to win the tag titles. NC-17 beat Magic and Mark Malacchio. Oh, Mr. Lucifer beat Cujo. In our main event, Bam Bam Bigelow and Doint the Clown defeated Hellraiser and Iron Mike Sharp. Okay. Yeah. Yes. Now, New Jack City Wrestling. It was an indie that sprouted up in New Jersey and... The surrounding Philly area in this time period, and ECW talent was able to work here for a little bit, but that would soon change. <laughs> did New Jack ever JP, work New Jack City Wrestling? I, yeah, I think he did, actually. Uh, JP, do you know, have any info on the New Jack City thing? The ECW no, I was going to ask you guys, this is, like, newer to me, but I like every match has a name I know in it. It, it reads like like a, a Corluzo shadow promotion is the way it like feels. Yeah. I remember I knowing I don't have any information. thing it was I'm drawing a blank and Prezak is not showing online on Messenger right now so I can't ask him. You're going to say Tommy Fiero? <laughs> I don't think it's Tommy Fiero. I legitimately didn't I didn't know the name but everything well, it, about it, it reads like a Corluzo shadow. It didn't last shadow. long. Yeah. yeah, New Jack City Wrestling did not last long, and there was a, like I said, there was a falling out between them and ECW. Hmm. Like it only, yeah, it went from '95 to '98. Charles Calhoun was the owner. They were based out of Neptune, New Jersey. Yeah, I don't recognize that name, but it seems like something that Todd Gordon would have dealt with more than Paul, I would guess. Uh, probably. He so. tend, he tend to deal with like the local indie. Like, he, Kind of seem to get off on the whole local indie wars thing, even in the even in the nineties. Nova worked there pretty much the whole run. 
So he was allowed mm-hmm. to work with them. Um, uh, there's Steve, oh, Raven and Tommy Dreamer had a match on May the 4th, 97. So they... Is that after I mean, WrestlePalooza? Yeah. No, it's, yeah. A, it's a month before. No, WrestlePalooza is June 7th. June, June, oh, okay. June. So, yeah, yeah. So it's a month before it. We're still very late to be getting It's after barely legal. Match. It's after barely legal. Right, right. That's what I was thinking of. But, um, yeah, so they, they, had, they had ECW talent working throughout the whole I wonder, complete conjecture on my, on my part, but the fact that Nova had the, the run the whole time, and his brother Donnie would have been. So I, I'd be curious how much Donnie was there because Donnie was with was on these new uh, New Jack City shows with Nova. That makes sense. Then, <clears throat> then probably Mike Gucci was allowed to because they, it probably is one of those like indie Jersey ties thing. Like special things were. Made, I mean, that's still true today. That like special uh, agreements are made for favored nations, so to speak, when it deals with somebody. That like maybe the general public doesn't know or only hardcore fans know, but like that's that's a promoter or, or a booker who is in good standing with with rivals. Like they are a Switzer. Like uh, Matt Tremont feels very much like that when I work with him. He's very much a Switzerland. Like everybody's kind of allowed to work with Matt. Yeah, and it's probably and they probably ran some shows in competition against Dennis, which would help their cause. Well, yeah, it would, it would ingratiate themselves, yeah. Because at this point, ECW is so big. In two years, they go from, like, having rock fights over, like, high schools in the Philly area and New Jersey area to, like, it's not even a discussion, you know? Like, by this point, after their first pay-per-view, they, they wouldn't – well, actually, this is 96. But yeah. that, I'm thinking of the, the, show, the show in May where they got uh, – May of 97. That seems pretty wild, but, like, I don't think either of them are under exclusive – Deals with ECW at the time. Well, Dreamer I'm can basically sure do whatever he wants, is. and Raven. Yeah, Dreamer. Well, Dreamer's office. So oh he, no, he there's the um, right. There's exclusivity for pay per view. I think that's all he has anyone signed to at that point. Well, right, and that's why Raven was leaving because they couldn't. They couldn't get. He had to make a decision at that point. Yeah. That's yeah. the way I recall it. Is that like the pay per view companies were very uncomfortable with him being in such a prominent position unless he was absolutely gonna. To sign something and to do that he wanted more he wanted a more firm deal from paul and paul couldn't necessarily grant him that so he went to wc yeah that's the way i remember it all right but now well, i want to know who this Cal- calhoun guy is but anyway yeah moving on maybe one day we'll have an update on that yeah ecw proper <laughs> and what is believed <laughs> to be pro wrestling's first lesbian moment <laughs> the late <laughs> the latest chapter in the Beulah McGillicuddy Tommy Dreamer angle is that Beulah's pregnancy was a hoax and that she had been cheating on Tommy Dreamer with another one of ECW's performers, woman stripper type, come on, I want to lay ya. Why is the word type there? <laughs> I mean, she's a stripper. <laughs> yeah, I don't mean that as an insult or anything. She's a stripper. That's true. <laughs> no, no, she was a stripper. I don't know if Dave knows that, but if he does and he's not trying to... But then, yeah, I, I have to think he doesn't because, like, why would you write that? Like, why wouldn't you just write the word ballet there? Unless, yeah. like, because he's, I don't, Dave's not the type to be mean spirited in, in any way or, like, be, like, judging of women in that way at that time. I don't think. Um, like, I don't think it's slander, is what I'm saying. I also popped for the first lesbian moment. Feels so weird in 2023 to, to use that kind of, like, wording. Yeah. The latest. Again, not sloppy. offensive, just, just sloppy. Yeah. The latest climax of the angle took place on April 20th at the ECW Arena in Philadelphia. Shane Douglas handled the might work, explaining to Dreamer that Kimona had told him that the pregnancy was a hoax on Dreamer and Buell's been cheating on him. 
When Dreamer asked what guy she was cheating with, Douglas says, it wasn't a guy. And then Beulah and Kimono embraced and did a lengthy lesbian kiss, which naturally got a big pop. But good triumph in the end, as Dreamer explained that he's hardcore, ended up kissing both of them and leaving, teasing another new kind of a three-way dance. <laughs> I feel like Dave is not good, good enough linguistically to... Uh... To pull that off in text. So he's not a cunning. He's not a cunning linguist. Linguist? No, I don't. I don't think so. Or or writer. I, I'm not even trying to be like mean spirited, but like I'm just like I know you're trying to be funny, Dave. It just reads so weird and flat. All right, let's play it. Let's let's go to the ECW arena. Hostile City Showdown '96. Raven defend the ECW World Heavyweight Title against Shane Douglas, and the shit hits the fan before the match. <laughs> Are you ready to see history repeat itself? What wonderful production values. Oh, yeah, just as a reminder, Kimona has become Shane's valet, briefly. Yes, because Raven and her had a falling out, so to speak. <laughs> yes, and her outfit is matching colors to Shane's uh, golden uh, trunks. And Joel, and a young Joel Gertner is the uh, ring announcer in the ring standing. A lean, trim, fighting weight, uh, Joel Gertner. Yes, 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 it was. Also not intended. <laughs> Sucking down cold beers, and you were crying, Fred died. 
go. <laughs> I forgot the music starts playing. <laughs> yeah, the music starts playing. Here. Yeah. So then, <laughs> Man in the Box, I think, comes on. No, they're playing the Perfect Strangers ripoff, though. I know, but Yuba comes out. There's Beulah. Taking her ECW shirt off to show that she is definitely not pregnant. And here we go. Tommy grabs them Aww. by the hair. Yeah, so we, we need to understand, like... I don't, don't think they actually kiss. No, I don't think they do. I was going to say, like, it seems like they do the thing where Beulah basically tackles her in an amorous rage to make it less obvious that they're not actually kissing. Yes. Yeah, it feels very much like a like a stern pay-per-view type of thing. Or, like, or, or a cat fight spot. Yeah, yeah. It feels like Beulah and Francine, you know, <laughs> when they when, when they would tackle each other or something like that. Um, well, remember, I, Chris, Jerry Lawler's explanation for why he says men love catfights is that they is that guys think that it, there's a possibility that the women might accidentally kiss. Yeah, well, Jerry Lawler is an expert on this. Yes, <laughs> he's an expert. Well, I did, well, the expert on catfights should be Joey Styles though, because catfights. <laughs> <laughs> well, Arn Anderson's the expert on cat baths, so uh, jo yeah, Joey's the expert on cat fights. Well, I mean, shouldn't Beulah and Kimona be the expert on cat experts on cat baths here? <laughs> well, that's the angle. But uh... so yeah, all right. So let all right. You want so, me to go back and watch this closer? No, 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 no. Well, you can, you can. Let me, let me go. All right. So Beulah, to give people context, all right, Beulah. Announced she was pregnant at at a house party ninety six in January. In January, first week January, in January. Yeah, first weekend in January. All right, so we are now almost four months in to this angle, and this is how they blow that off. And <laughs> Beulah taking the shirt off, showing that she is definitely absolutely not pregnant. Because she had kind of, I won't say she started wearing clothes to try to hide it in a way, but it was still getting obvious that she did not have a growing baby bump as before we get to this, you know, this angle here. So it got to the point where they 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 had to do it, you know, because you're getting that time period where. Usually the mother is starting to show that she's expecting in a you know fairly prominent way. So this is how they was do it. Of, do either of you remember if there was a lot? Because I was not. I was on and off of online. I would have been fifteen. Um, 
I I don't recall fans talking a lot about how the angle would play out because there's only one or two references after the, the initial angle in January plays out and then they are together. There's one or two references of Tommy like talking about like protecting his pregnant woman or something to that degree. But there's not like if they really kind of were I felt like at the time they were letting they were hoping it kind of slid out of the main story that like people kind of like out of state out of mind, but then they were like, okay, I guess we we have to say something about this or it's ridiculous. Do either of you recall that there's like a lot of talk about it? I didn't have really I mean, I wasn't online at this point in time. I didn't Mm -hmm. get online until after after this. So I don't have a memory or know of of what the discourse would have been on RSPW or something. Yeah, I wouldn't have been in the right prodigy. I would Right. I was on Prodigy on and off, but it's not until uh, spring uh, spring of 97 is where I start getting on a, a lot, like going to a friend's house uh, three yeah. times a week. And then for, I think it's literally like the first week of June, like the school ends and my parents are like, okay, here's here's AOL, 20 bucks, fine. You can't screw us this time. Because Prodigy was the, you know, it, as long as it, you know, it went by the hour and I would just run up these bills. Me and my and, brother, we went to the library. Nice. Smart. (laughs) (laughs) That's how we got our online stuff. Just looking at a photo was like a five-minute, like, for it to, like, scan down, you know? People just don't know on dial-up. Yeah. Oh, especially if you were, like, looking for pictures of naked chicks. Oh, God. Yeah. And God forbid you you go to the wrong website. Because all the – here come the pop-up bonanzas. (laughs) Oh, God, yeah. I got got, uh, embarrassing stories of getting caught, but people walking into the room, and I'm trying to X out a screen, and, like, there's – Here comes more. Here they come. Here they come. (laughs) You feel your entire face getting red, and you're like, oh, hey, hey, what's going on? And you're, like, trying to turn the screen. Like, how many of these fucking things? You're getting bombed, yeah. But even even going to, like, a message board. I remember there was a message – it was probably not even a prominent one. Uh, but I remember going to a message board looking for ECW results like late on a Saturday or early on a Sunday morning. And like you'd put it on and then it'd be like, okay, I'm going to go make coffee or go uh, pour my breakfast cereal and bring the breakfast cereal up to the computer room because like it's just a three minute process for the text to come up correctly for some of these things. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, it, <laughs> it was something else back in the day, man. Online, folks just don't know. Yeah. Well, as famous as this. As famous as this was, you know, especially seeing it again, like, especially in 2023, there's nothing to this. There's no, no. <laughs> uh, uh, yeah, so, all right, Biggs, go ahead. What? <laughs> well, never mind. All right, oh, so, yeah, yeah. All right, so when we did, we, we, we right, rewound it back. All right, we're going to watch it on mute, put it on mute. And yeah. we'll watch because Abulus takes her shirt off and showing off her halter top. Here comes Kimona. Sauntering over. Uh, all right. Okay. Sauntering. Okay. It From that angle, you really can't tell because all you see is hair. Yes. Mm-hmm. All right. But Beulah's got her arm around the back of her head. We're going we're going to dissect this like this is a Bruder film. It's a Bruder film. Right. I was going to say, this is our Zabruder film. Yeah. All right. So um, Beulah's got her the, her arm. Tommy Dreamer's got <laughs> look this at look Joel. on his face. Joel Gardner's <laughs> – He's very intrigued by all this. This is this is when he gets uh, soiled. <laughs> uh, where's Shane at? He's is he visible? Hat guy's like, yeah, come on. Sign guy's like, two women kissing. I don't, I don't know about that. He's very nonplussed. 
<laughs> Raven's non-plus. He's sitting there like, well, you can't you see his eyes, but yes. <laughs> yes, Raven has gone into full uh, Scotty mode here. <laughs> yes. Uh, it's just a normal night for him. All right, go ahead. All right, pause. Beulah's right, so very obviously down. not kissing her here. Beulah's head is, the to is on the other side of her head. And she has her head yes. turned. Yes. Kimona's face is in Beulah's hair. <laughs> mm -hmm. All right. And now they're down on the mat so that you're obscured. All right, keep it going. All right, now, all right, then they're on top of each other. You can't... Beulah's, Beulah's mouth is nowhere near Kimona's mouth. No, there's no way. She they would have initially kissed if they were going to kiss. They're like, this is all, you can go frame by frame. I'm telling, like, I, it's pretty clear to me that they had made a mutual agreement. Like, hey, we're not really going to do this. Yes. And, yeah, yeah. All right, so now we got him. All right, so now Tommy's pulling him up by the hair because he's Tommy Dreamer. All right. He's hardcore. We're about to find out. Kisses Kimona. Maybe. Yeah, no, yeah he's, he's kissing him. Beulah. And now the triple kiss. Where you can't really <laughs> tell what anyone's doing. <laughs> Tommy's just eating them alive, basically. He's basically eating their faces. Yes. Kimona Joel looks Gardner like she's just... in a little bit of distress, actually. <laughs> Joel Gardner's... Look at the fact! Joel Gardner and Jim Molyneux are like, what? <laughs> I feel like Chris is the only person who's not in the wrestling business that knows which one is Jim Molyneux and which one's John Finnegan. <laughs> oh, oh I, I do. I do, because I had to interview one of them. <laughs> well, you're in the wrestling business now, though, brother. That's, that's true, brother. I do the I watched hey, the ECW. I watched the last five years, six years of ECW complete. I know who the referees are. <laughs> So Look at that dude. <laughs> we have faith no more guy. And then the dude beside him's got his hand up in the air like he just had a religious experience. <laughs> that guy looks like a younger version of a certain wrestling fan who's on the sex offender registry in Florida now. <laughs> oh, Jesus. Oh, no. Oh, no. <laughs> All right, so here we go. All right, play it out. See, that's fake man in the box. Yeah. Tommy's gonna walk up with his babes. Oh, GLF is not in, in for asphalt this either. Where is he? Where he's down beside Faith the Moore guy. He probably timed timed everything. He's right he's right there. He's yeah, see him right there. There he is. Did he just he use binoculars? Him. Yes. He was trying to look for a, for a camera. You know, trying to get a up. He's trying to get a, a, a camel toe shot or something. And here's Tommy. The best part, Tommy is pretending like he's jacking off. Now. Here we go. I was going to mention this, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> exuberant jerking off. Shane's loving it. Because that when <laughs> he was shocked. That one fed turning towards the camp. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> All that great ECW security for you know in front of them there. As in zero. Oh, 
Molino is still selling. See, the thing is, the all right, Paul. Oh, wait, this, is, this is Finnegan in the ring, by the way. It's John Finnegan. That's, that's right, John. That is John <laughs> <laughs> Holy shit. Well, you know what it is? Yeah, okay, right. Molino is the one that's had, that had students and stuff, right? That had the Molino had the mustache. Yeah. Yeah. God, what? I shouldn't. I, should, I don't know why I said Molino. It's John Finnegan. Okay, but anyway, let's see what uh, noted school teacher Troy Martin has to say about this after the fact. <laughs> He's saying that not have the mic anymore. No. Okay, I thought he had the mic. All right. So the whole the whole thing here is that this is all mind games, you know, from mm -hmm. on on Raven. That Raven just saw the two women he was with have that have left him are now with Tommy Dreamer, even though Shane was uh, Shane was not expecting Tommy Dreamer to do what he did. But he's but fine with it. it. Yeah, he loves it. Because it's more, it's more to the mind games. Yes, to make Raven vulnerable. The, the 1996 Shane Douglas character was really oh, awesome God. from the time. Yes. He, so that, he comes back and he denounces the Dean Douglas thing to the joy of of, of the ECW faithful. Because he was the he was the guy there before he left. He goes there. He's made to be a cartoon character. He comes back. He mocks it in promos. Then he starts doing this cool tweener thing. And this all I love that this is version. Oh, this is it's my. It's in some ways. In some ways, it's my 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 favorite. Uh, it's similar to what we had talked about uh, before with uh, Kevin Nash. He was um, Tommy. He was Tommy Dreamer's friend. He yes. was the protector of the baby. Well, well he was. Well, they weren't right. necessarily friends, but yes, he's. They had a deal. Yes. They had a. They, and I love stuff like that. They had uh, an unholy alliance, so to speak. They had a mutual understanding. Well. Yes. Right. And that would be brought up from time to time as things start to devolve because we're about to move into Shane finds the TV title beneath him, but then, you know, but then he wants it. Yeah. And that's when he turned and then he does the big heel turn with Francine and which really, mm -hmm. you know, I hated Skyrock. that at the, at the beginning, but my God, mm -hmm. he became amazing in that, in that whole deal. Yeah. Now, okay, so. We don't have any of the stuff about the fallout in our week because that'll take place outside of our week, right? Uh, yes. Now, yeah, yeah. The first half of the TV though is in our week. Yes. So let's address how this is handled on TV, both in our week and because it's the continuation outside of our week. So right. let's watch. The, let's watch the TV version of this, shall we? <laughs> Okay, so they freeze it as Buell and Kimono are about a foot apart. Yeah. And then we get this. To be continued next week on ECW. You ain't seen nothing yet. It's about to get extreme. All caps extreme. Mm -hmm. Copyright 1996 ECW. So that's how it ended... That's how it ended in our week on the following Tuesday. Mm -hmm. That's the last thing anyone saw on MSG or Sunshine Network. Mm -hmm. Although, actually, didn't yeah. they? I think maybe they aired the following week on Sunshine, but they didn't. 
Well, I can tell you when it. I tell you when ECW quit in Atlanta. All right, let me find the exact date. Because there's I something I remember. Something aired on. T- oh no, no 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 no! I might be confusing it with the Mikey Caning angle. There was something that was an that there was an edited Sunshine version, but maybe it was that. But anyway, so the following week that airs on the thirtieth on Sports Channel, this is how the TV show starts. So it's Tommy pulling them up by the hair, but after the embrace has ended. No, yeah, that that. Uh, hold on, pause. Yes. Looking at my catalog, that ape that week of TV was the last week of uh, it airing in Atlanta. The twenty third. Yes. Okay. They pulled it. So they lost Atlanta, New York, and Florida all in one swoop. <laughs> even though they <laughs> don't. Even flying. though. Go ahead. Yeah. For 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 for, for first of all, because they don't even care. But second of all. Yeah, it's it's. It, it, I I'm just so blown away, especially in 2023. Like like they don't really even kiss. It's really kind of an implied kiss. And on TV, they don't show you the kiss. That no. doesn't happen then. But it was I, just I, people I, kind I, of rolling. I, I think though it's a deal where there was other stuff that was already there, and this was the yeah. this was the cherry on top of the Sundae. Culturally nice. now we're we haven't even gotten to the Ellen DeGeneres uh, uh, like no. I'm I'm out moment right? Well, when we have, no, that's not happened yet. Are you I sure? No, it can't be because it would have had to have happened in early '96 or '95, and I don't think and I think that's too it's early. April, April 30th, '97. So yeah, we're, we're a year away. And the uh, yeah. what you call it? And the and the Time Magazine was two weeks earlier. Right. Yeah, so we're a year away from that. So when is the Roseanne Bar Marielle Hemingway? Uh... That's earlier, as I recall. Let's see. That was no. 95. No, that's 94. 94, excuse me, 94. Uh, or is it 95? Oh, she was in more than one episode. Um... Yeah, 94 was the one. Okay, which it was that kiss does not air on a lot of ABC affiliates, or the episode doesn't, I should say. Um, and we should also be clear too, like for people who either weren't around then or are not weren't old enough, like as ridiculous as it seems now, especially since it wasn't universal, like on the vast majority of TV, you would not see same-sex kisses. Correct. No, no. Period. The only exception, and this is always to their credit, I say, MTV both in general and especially on the real world. Yeah. A real world, yes. Uh, but cable was different. Yeah, but do you remember all the controversy about uh, Madonna's Justify My Love video and how yes. that – I mean that was a huge fucking deal. But that cable wasn't the only controversy after, after with midnight. the – that wasn't the only controversy with the video though. I know, but they wouldn't even play it. Thought they would, they would not play it after midnight. No, I know, but still, like, and you know, when people talk about like gay representation and stuff on the real world, like they're not kidding. Like, the real world is a huge, major change in seeing actual gay people who are out on TV. And seeing, I come from a Catholic family. So, guys, I come from a from a Catholic family. I went to Catholic school. Um, shockingly, I'm no longer religiously affiliated. Um, I, I had a gay aunt. I have to this day, uh, as far as I know, she's still alive. Um, 
my first real experiences to be to be honest like i was around my aunt i stayed at her house here and there but that was kept like i figured it out by the time i was 11-ish 12-ish years old but it, it, to this day it's never like really spoken about and my first experiences like understanding gay culture at all or seeing it were through mtv's the real world yes i mean and for me i'm a few years younger a, and a lot that background yeah. but yeah but there i mean there was there was gay stuff on television but you didn't see affection. you didn't even see kiss so i mean the even the famous 30 something episode which was 90 i think where yeah. it's um oh, what's his i forget the name of the actors it's um oh what's his face that did a lot of like the playwright stuff it, it, i forget but like the big controversy was showing them sitting in bed together with their shirts off. Yeah. Because it was network. Because network, that's why the Roseanne thing was big. That's why the um, the Ellen thing was big. Because cable was, was considered so much different. And it was almost was, underground, even though so many of us had it. Ahead, and but. wasn't the Melrose Place thing, wasn't it originally shocked that they were going to show Matt kissing his boyfriend in the episode where that became a thing? And, oh, I forgot about that. And then they don't actually show it. I think it was actually shot. Um, so it's like all this is going on. I mean, this is still that climate at this point. Is my is what I'm trying to say. You know, this is not, you know, anything close to what we have now in terms of that, where it's just it's nothing. Yeah, so, the fact that the fact that they lost all that television and, and all these major markets after that, and. Basically, over, over just an implication, not really anything happening. Well, let's get back to this uh, second half of the TV. So he's pulled right. up by the hair. I think they censored the three-way kiss, right? Let's see. No, you know? I don't. They 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 kind of do. I'll take a You'll This is Kimona. This is Beulah. Yeah, they put a big... And they cut to Raven's reaction, and then they cut away. They skip. But they do show Tommy doing his jacket. No, they do the X. Yeah, but you can see what he was doing. Yeah. He's saying, he's going... I was wrong. I lost. Yeah. The the this is the last episode there in Atlanta. This one. So it was canceled over this, but yeah, it was. This was the last episode, the one where the match took place. Yes. And they also, because they ran all the ECW letters there, they cut. They didn't do the heartbeat thing. They didn't do the closer heartbeat. They went straight into Thunder Kiss '65 for the opening. Yeah. Yeah. All right, let's talk about the rest of Hostile City Showdown. There was a rest of the much, show? And as, as an afterthought, they drew a full house estimated about 1,075 fans. All right, we have a discussion on this show a lot, Johnny P, about <laughs> the amount of fans in the ECW arena. Oh, I, I have it uh, privately as well, yeah. All right, so kind of tell everyone what that building, more often than not, would likely be the capacity. So two things that I learned from doing the documentary. One, well, and also just being in there. 
Um, there are people to this day, um, some of them kind of prominent people who would be in there, who swear that it that 1100 was its capacity, and it was always. It was especially in the later years. It was, I, I, if I made the mistake of getting GAA tickets, you were. That, it was such a fire hazard. So basically, when they would say 1,100, they were implying that you know there were 1,100 to 1,200 people in there. I do not believe to this day that you could fit in. And I think you, the, the three of us have spoken about this over the years. I, I don't believe that it was possible to fit in if you do the math on seating chairs and where people would be standing more than 900 people in that building. Mm -hmm. um, the, the, the other thing of interest is that I found out many years later from, from a few people, uh, uh, because like now, I, you know, I, every week I do a show, I travel with Smart Mark Gary, who was a Front Row fan. And I was told that while people like me who didn't live in Philly proper and weren't like in that, that area deeply, because I lived about an hour outside of Philly, I thought I had to like, you know, I had to call and get tickets mailed to me the first few times. And then when I was old enough to drive, I would drive to Rock and Roll Plus, which is the place that Gabe Spolsky made a deal with on South Street where you could buy tickets in person because I, I thought it, that made it safe in some way was that I had them in hand. And all this time, I was later told by people like Gary, like, oh, yeah, if you, like, went to the, the, day, the day of the show, they would, they would put all the comps out uh, at the front desk of um, Oregon Diner, which is – about a block and a half away, maybe. Uh, Oregon oh, is so a very that's big where they diner. gave out the comps. Okay. That's what I was told. Yeah, and again, I didn't experience it as a teenager because I was so like, this was this exclusive nightclub feel that Paul was going for. Um, and years later, the reason it came up is that years later, uh, I did know that ROH, when they were doing their TV tapings and having trouble drawing, uh, you know, in the in last decades, they would do their TV taping at that arena and they would put the comps out there. And it was because people within the company remembered ECW doing it. Hmm. But yeah, I, I don't think over 900, honestly, maybe, maybe more. I, I did have a lot of discussions with people like Kathy Fitz and, um, uh, that was Damien's last name. Like he passed away. So, oh, but, 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 uh, I know who you're talking about. He was, he was Shane's guy. Yeah. He's in, he's in Barbara city uh, for a second. He was Shane's guy. Uh, and they talked about the whole like stuffing uh, uh, tickets down their pants or trying to like, you know, trying to make it so that if they got the cops called on the fire marshal, rather, that they wouldn't be caught with, you know, the evidence of like over overselling tickets kind of a thing. But I definitely think that, even that seems goofy to me, because if a fire marshal shows up and you go like, yeah, you can count them. There's only 722 here. And then they just walk in the building and they would just go, like, you can't walk in here. So obviously we have a problem. I never, I never really understood what was going on with with that kind of stuff, and I always just assumed it had more to do with like uh, falsifying financial stuff. <laughs> That's just, just just my guess is that they, you no. know the ticket sales. But but but, but this is where ECW is so fascinating and exciting and confusing because you have that overlay of like wrestling is already this weird work where the the you know print print the legend kind of a thing, print the story. Um, but they, this is a company that was like not want to report the money that they did make while also pretending they were selling out when they were comping a lot. So there's, I don't know how you keep track of this kind of stuff. It's just always very confusing to me. Yeah. But anyway, all right. So, um, the, Oh, I just wanted crowd, to add real quick to that. Um, just the one thing I always say is like, it seems like we were getting real numbers. Like when Jakar was running there and it seems like a full house, like for King of Trios was 900, right? <laughs> So, 
900 always seemed the same. Yeah. Well, that started really early, too, because Todd Gordon would do interviews with, with Wade Keller and insist that, oh, well, we opened this area up and we went from 1,100 to, to or, sorry, 1,200 to 1,400. If you look back at like those early reports and also his early like torch talk in like 94 ish. So if you look at that torch talk, you look at those reports and you then you go from, you know, everybody on this call has seen uh, ECW uh, wrestling from the ECW arena in 94 at any time. And then you look at 96, there's obviously more people in there. So then my brain goes, well, okay, well, if that were actually true, now we're talking about anywhere from 1,600 to 1,800 people being in that building. And that at that point was just not possible mm-hmm. the, way, the way it used to be. So, so it's it's all a bunch of like, what what do you really believe? I believe nine hundred. I think that yeah, I think Vince had said the the Chikara number was reported for the bigger uh, trio shows. Yeah, was uh, King of Trios was like nine hundred. I would say, is it possible to get a thousand people in there illegally? Yeah, and they certainly did illegal things like that. Like I was definitely in there when I was like, well, if I fall down, I'm not getting back up. I'll just get trampled. Um, but I, yeah. Anytime you're going over a thousand in that building, I'm real, real dubious. It just the math doesn't work. Yeah, yeah. All right. Well, um, I mean the Bill Angle and the Sambu Rob Van Dam singles match show up with the gangsters doing a promo. The Eliminators came out and they brought all, all over the place. Supernova faced a Puerto Rican in the opener, which went three minutes four seconds before the Eliminators beat up both guys and the gangsters ran in to make the save. Mikey Whitbread pin Bad Boy Billy Black in 709. Oh, you're buddy. Bubba Ray and D. Yeah, well, yes, all right. Bubba Ray and Devon Dudley went to a no contest with the Pitbulls in 1037. Taz beat the debuting Dangerous Devin Storm, which Dave assumes that means he's done with WCW 455 by Kana, as a suplexing him over the top row to the floor and choking him out on the floor. After the match, Storm did a stretch job and Taz talked about him on the mic as being just another Sabu wannabe. Storm had just had his knee scoped and was told by his doctor not to get back in the ring until after the first week of May. Storm, who's currently attending medical school, said he wasn't getting booked enough with WCW since he was on a nightly deal to pay his bills. Okay. I want to well, talk about I want to talk about this match. <laughs> well, also, real quick, like I don't say this as a slight on physical therapists, because physical therapists are wonderful, but he's not going to medical school. He's not being a doctor, yes. Yeah, he's go he's getting but, his you know, his postgraduate in physical therapy. I remember seeing this on television, and Devin Storm coming at a terrible lie by Nine Inch Nails was fucking awesome. Mm-hmm. And <laughs> seeing him, you know, out there knowing what he was, what his rep was, and Sabu in the same company, and Taz beating up the, I guess, surrogate to Sabu, I thought this was tremendous television. JP, what were your thoughts on it? So, 15-year-old John, you know, lived in the area where Devin Storm would have done a lot of, you know, the, the quote-unquote, whatever you think the tri-state area is, because it changes based on what are the three states closest to you. <laughs> tri-state area and Bix's area is different than tri-state area in my well, area. Well, yeah, but, yeah, because you, some people say New York, New Jersey, Connecticut. Some say New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. And then you right, might even right. get some people who might say New Jersey, Pennsylvania, Delaware. Delaware, I've heard Delaware, too, and that one always, like, like, ah, uh, I don't know about that, but okay. Um, point being is that all of those states mentioned had uh, Devin Storm matches in the 90s. And, like, I'm still, like, a, I, 
I am a few months from going to my first ECW show at Ag Hall in Allentown, but I weirdly don't go to an indie show until I go to Blaine DeSantis's uh, Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling in Reading, like two years later. So, like, I don't, I only know Devin Storm from like seeing him on WCW, and he looked, so he had the look of people that that I identified with, like, like, like family indies, like what I thought shindies were as a teenager because they didn't seem major league and they seemed the, the look was what I'm saying is like that whole like wrestling's behind the times with the 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 oh, I want to say uniforms what I was trying to say outfits and the hair the mullet it, he looked junky to me even though I knew who he was and I knew he had talent 15 year old me was like yeah beat this jobber up because that's what my brain at, I, within two years I never would think that again but at the time I was just like this is awesome because this guy is a punk and this proves ECW somehow superior because I was definitely somebody who was all in on the ECW messaging as, as a, as a teenage boy. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I mean, I did think it was awesome, but for a different reason than you did is what I mean. Yeah. I mean, he was, I mean, it, yeah, I was, you know, th- th- thinking about the Sabu part, but yeah, I mean, yeah, it's the WCW thing too. I mean, he had been on WCW television like very, mm-hmm. fairly recently. And you have somebody like that coming in and doing this type of deal with them. And yeah, it was a very effective deal to get over the whole Taz persona, the Sabu angle and everything, you know? World Colliding was still a thing at the, uh, I shouldn't say that because that, that was a pay-per-view when Worlds Collide, but the idea back then of, it weirdly validated this little promotion that was in like my quote-unquote backyard. Because, again, I found this on Sports Channel Philadelphia, and that's where I would watch Phillies games or Sixers games or, or, or even I, – I don't know if at the time they had the contract with the, uh, the Flyers. Point being is that a guy from WCW, which is this national promotion, since, since the promotions didn't acknowledge each other existed except for ECW, part of the draw was ECW talked about that stuff. And then here's a guy from that other promotion, and it's being talked about. And – because they were like the little guys that I didn't think anybody else would acknowledge. I just thought they were punching up in a way that um, that nobody would hear them. And especially as an adult over the years, there's been – I look back at a lot of things ECW did and a lot of other promotions do since then and go, God, like nobody can hear you except your 15 fans. In ECW's case, though, this – to 15-year-old me, this like validated them because this person came from this other promotion – and he got his ass beat in some way. And even though I knew it was a work, it was still some kind of weird validation for my quote-unquote team. So I found it very effective. Bix, your thoughts? I mean, I think it's interesting to look at the chronology. So I pulled up Cage Match. The Conan Dark Match at Nitro is February 5th. The Conan TV Match is a week later. He's working for Dennis on February 24th against Inferno Kid. Then he's back at WCW Tapings. Uh, for the March 27th Saturday night against Eddie Guerrero. Back to Dennis on March 30th, facing Tommy Cairo for the NWA North American title. Then this is February 20th. And then he works... April 20th. Sorry, April. I was kept saying February. Uh, this is April 20th. On the 27th, he works a spot show in Wilmington, Delaware for ECW. Then he has a match... Who knows when it was taped with Chris Canyon on uh, WCW Prime that airs on April 29th. And then when is he next? In, he's not in WCW again until him and Ace are teaming, right? Yeah. 
which yeah. is not till 97. But still, like, he... And look, I don't say this as a slight on Devin Storm, because obviously he's still green at this point. I believe the reason WCW doesn't ask him back, if I remember right, is that he broke Canyon's arm on the finish of that match. Yeah, that was the thing. Okay, yeah. you do remember that too. Yeah, that it, like he did a top yeah. rope splash, and he did something that he didn't protect him properly, and he was not welcome back right away after that. No. And again, so, he's uh, he's green. We're talking about a guy who became a very polished worker in the next few years. Yeah. Axel and, Rotten pinned I mean, him. also, weren't they friends anyway? So isn't it a little weird that, of all people, he would get be the, someone to get heat for that? Oh, uh, yeah. Axel Rotten pinned Little Guido, formerly Damian Stone, in 651. Sam Antico Scorpio beat the Bruise Brothers at 812. The most real part about this match was after fans were chanting smoking guns at the Bruise Brothers, one of the ch- twins threw a chair into the crowd and hit a fan. Heyman was really upset backstage by that. <laughs> Yeah, I'd say he was upset by that. Good Lord. Brian Lee pinned Tommy Dream when the Bruce Brothers did a run in with a cinder block, which they put on his groin, hit the block with a chair. Yes, that's another thing, too. That happened before the main event seven with Raven and Shane Douglas. Wait, seriously? So they shoot. Yes. So they shoot the angle <laughs> where. <laughs> they do this groin thing with the cinder block, and then Dreamer's out there being hardcore, taking them both. Is it on the same, same TV, though? I think they separate it by week. Oh, uh, it airs later on TV, if it airs. Yeah. But well, it, well, the cinder block definitely aired, because I remember marking out to it. I remember... In the building, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, no, no, I know, I know. <laughs> I know where you're going, or what you're saying. All right. So let me look and see. All right, so I'm making making sure that this is on the right order, which it should be. Uh, Tansby, Devastorm, Rotten Guido. Yeah. Yeah. It's in order. So, yeah. He's not like nothing's wrong with him when he comes out later on. So there you go. Yeah. Okay. Um, I was trying to spot where uh, Canyon hurts his arm in that match. And there's no top rope splash, so I'm trying to figure that out. And so then I'm going back, and I think I found the spot it happens on. So Canyon's on the floor. Uh, Devin Storm's about to do an Ori Hara moonsault over the post. And uh, should I put the sound on or just leave it off? Uh, you leave it off. Okay. So watch the attempted catch here. Yeah, yeah, not good. And Canyon John can't the see it, but yeah, okay. yeah, but also, but also, like, if that's what the injury was, like, I hate to say it, not to speak ill of the dead, that's Canyon's fault. That's not Devin Storm's. He doesn't look like he. No, missed it's not Devin Storm's fault. He didn't mess anything yeah. up there. He did a pretty no. straight moonsault. Yeah. I mean, and he lands on his head doing a moonsault in the ring a minute later, but oh, yeah. also, also, Devin Storm appears to have suffered a concussion in this match too. Well, I'm not surprised. I mean, I remember now that I think about it, I remember hearing that. Too. Like, watch, watch, he smacks his head on the floor, too. Yeah, I see it. All right, Jesus. Sabu pinned Van Damme in the best match on the show with the typical crazy spots. Sabu re injured his tailbone during the match. After the match, Sabu tried to shave Van Damme's hand, but Van Damme refused. Yes, the matter of respect angle. Still g- going strong here, JP. 
Well, no, this is the beginning sorry, of it. This is the beginning of it. This is the first time Shabu is... tries to stake Van Damme's hand. I thought they already had a match. I think this is April the first the... No, match no, of the feud. Yeah. yeah, this is the first. Because I don't think there's a March. Yet. I know there's a there's a April and a May. Okay, well, there you go. All right, so this is the beginning of it, man. Yes, because uh, it's a matter of respect. Is is that May or is there, what? Or the matter August of one with the wind is, No, no, no. So matter of respect in May, Van Dam wins clean right. with the Super Fisherman's Buster, and but then, then refuses the, to shake. Okay. Then refuses to shake his hand again, and then the stretcher match is in July, I think, with the broken ring. Okay, yeah, I remember uh, being pumped by all. I, I was super excited for, for all of this. This is uh, finally, like, Sabu went from being, like, the crazy daredevil guy that was all, uh, an attraction to, like, having an actual contemporary, Yeah, I, it felt like. Well, another thing, too, is, you know, 1996 Rob Van Dam is maybe the best Rob Van Dam ever. Hmm, because he's, he's, okay. he's not being Rob Van Dam. I mean, he's not being the stereotypical Rob Van Dam. Well, no, here's the, the way I would put it. Yes, when well, he when he becomes Mister Monday Night, he changes forever. Because he's not. He's more. Uh, yeah. Go ahead. He's way, he's way more charismatic, and all that stuff, and he gets over more. But as a performer, this is him at his best. Yes. This, this year, ninety yeah. six. Well, he's still regularly touring all in Japan, too. So he's getting that polish, but also he's not doing the long pauses and posing between every big spot. Yes. He's also very punchable in a different way. He's like <laughs> trying to get heel heat after. No, and I mean it, and, and, and I don't mean it as like a disrespect to Rob Van Dam. No, although he has a certain, yeah, like there's something about his look, the way he carries himself. I think for modern times, for people who don't like Kenny Omega, it, it's not just the in-ring work. There is like uh, there's a punchability to Kenny Omega that like Rob Van Dam is, is the forefather from from my teenage years of where he, he would come out in like a weird, like short red gee thing. Mm. And, and he didn't have quite the same body, but his face was just so he was a dude who had no trouble flirting with your girlfriend in front of you. He had that kind of vibe to him. He just seemed very disrespectful naturally. And like, look for like a lot of people like him in real life. So I, I would say that, <laughs> I, I, I mean, I've met him several times and he does have some of that kind of like, uh, he does have a little bit of arrogance to him, and he does have a certain aloofness. But whatever it was here, it, it's just it's just very natural, and not necessarily his quote unquote fault. But damn, this is the profession where it works really well. Yeah, he, he's uh, he's he's amazing in this this angle. He's amazing in 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 that year. I mean, yeah, he's he, like I said, this is his best year, in my opinion, best year period as a total complete package right he's rob van dam and he has the charisma but because he's not yet rob van dam yeah he's not bogging his matches down too much although he would tone that down in wwe he got a lot better yes. again in wwe raven kept the title pinning shane douglas in a main event when stevie richards interfered super kicking shane Speaking of Stevie, although we expected him to be out of action for some time after the broken orbital bone in his face, he was actually back in the ring on the indie show in Pittsburgh on April 21st. After the match, Douglas said that the ECW title was the only title in wrestling that meant anything. He, would wipe, he wouldn't wipe his ass with any other belt. This brought out to Cole Scorpio, 
who has said people like he, Dean Malenko, Eddie Guerrero, and Terry Funk worked very hard to make the ECW TV title mean something and asked who does Douglas think he is to degrade it. Those against City went and wiped his ass with a belt and wound up laying both Scorpio and Sad Bad with the title belt after the match. So Shane's getting the edge back down. He's starting to become the franchise, and this is the beginning of the whole TV title angle that Johnny was talking about earlier. I think it may have changed over the years, but I remember uh, when ECW was still such a hot topic and then people wanted to come back in the 2000s. And even before that, when towards late stage, when people would talk about it, everybody would always say, oh, 95, 95 is a year, 95. And I love 95, don't get me wrong, but like 96 has always emotionally felt like the center of the ECW okay. university. <laughs> Here's how I explain it, Johnny. So Pete, and, and Rom Naylor, I think, is in, in actually in line with me on this thinking. 1996 is the greatest year of ECW. Mm-hmm. But 95 is our favorite year. Totally makes sense to me. You, you, I, you, I can, can, that, you yeah. can make that distinction, you know? Mm-hmm. Where yeah. you say, yes, 96 is the greatest year, but 95 is my favorite year. It's so funny how truncated these things are and how meaningful they are to old heads like us because – now something happened three years ago, and you'll think it was a day ago. Or so, and there's there, there's you're, you're shocked when any when things happen, and you find out they happened a few years ago. And I still think a lot of people kind of argue years for ECW because ECW was a very short amount of time in in general. And there are a lot of people who who really got into ECW in '98 and love '98 because that's the year of great expansion for them. They start going all all over the place and like really increasing their shows. But it's one and of there the worst people who freaking years ever. To... Oh, I don't like it. I don't like it at all either. Yeah, it, it, I was I mean, so done. We loved it back the... then though, because yeah. it was a, it, the times. But it, it 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 ages so bad. You know that's the thing. And it was the same thing over it. Like I never want. It's so weird. By the time the Dudleys get to WWE, by the time Rob Van Dam gets there. And New Jack doesn't go there, but when he see by the time he he folds, like those are three separate acts who I just don't want to watch again for a while after ECW folds because every show, especially when they had two shows up between the hardcore TV and the TNN show, there was just such an amount of overexposure and sameness to what was going on a lot of the time. That's why Uh, 2000 ECW, 2000 ECW is a great year because there's so many different people. That are getting main events. That's that's fair. You know what? One of these days, I do have to go back and really watch that year too, because I, I used to have this debate with Dylan, because you know Dylan watched all that stuff with you, which is why I got in t- contact with you guys when I was doing Barbara City to say like, what am I looking for? Like notable thing? I'm looking for this. I kind of want this. What are some things I don't know about? What am I missing? Uh, is this even on tape? Did they cut this out? And I don't remember what you said, but I do. I have talked to Dylan about he because he wasn't watching ECW necessarily in 95, 96, like live in real time. He really in, in his bread and butter for that was the whole, like watching all the footage in what would it have been the late two twenty tens or, or I'm oh, sorry. God. The late 2000s. Oh, oh yeah. We're, we're talking over 10 years ago. Yeah. We watched yeah. that stuff in 2010, 11 ish. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Because, yeah, because 2012 is when I would have contacted you. Not that's so much. 20, I know, I know, dude. I know. And I still feel weird. Like a lot of you have all known each other longer 
and it's crazy to think I've known, I've at least known of and interacted with you on message boards a little bit since like 06, 07. And really once the podcast started, what, 2010, 2011. Here's the thing to think about. It's been 20 years this year since we did the first DVD VR best of 80 set. Think about that. Oh my man. God, is that true? <laughs> Is that Bix's 1980s uh, WWF? Or, or is that WWF set, yes. It was 2003 yeah. when we started that shit up. 20 years this year. Oh. <laughs> All right, yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm going to move. I'm going to make my point and, and pretend I didn't hear that, which is Dylan, Dylan swears by the year 2000 as a hindsight pick. And he always says, John, that's the best in the year. And like Dylan is very good at making his case. And I'm like, you know what? You, you make all these points. I saw all that stuff. You're probably right. I have no reason to doubt you. And yet, to me, as a person who founded in 95, who, who had seen pieces of it in 94 and early 95, had become a full-time viewer, um, God, the same, like, the, the weeks that Nitro debuted, uh, September 4th of 95, is the next day is where I decide, like, I'm going to watch this ECW thing weekly. Uh, it's like a ridiculously big, and it's also, like, the day I started high school. So it's, like, a ridiculously big week for me personally. Um, and that person struggles to separate the emotional journey of, of all those years of ECW and the reality of like that being a great England year because it was falling apart in a lot of ways. It was a known thing if you were online and you, and at least the newsletter stuff was filtering down to me. I didn't get a, a newsletter until spring of 01, but you, you got everything like two or three days later online. And yeah, it was falling apart for me. So it was hard because it felt like the glory days, the good story stuff felt over to me. It felt done with. So, yeah, it's interesting. The factionality, and thankfully, it's not really, it's not really factionality in like a, in like, it's not like a culture wars of today kind of a thing, but it's a time for internet wrestling culture. There was like badges of honor to having watched ECW regularly as just a year before somebody else, you know? Or, or like, we had the bragging rights even today. Yeah, (laughs) yeah. I was, I I was watching that stuff. You know, you know, when it was real, real time. Can you imagine explaining to younger people like how cool it was if you had a friend who's like, yeah, I have a complete set of like name something, like yeah, of ECW '95. I got it all on VHS, or or oh, I got um, I got commercial tapes from all Japan. Like I was like, well, this guy's the coolest, you know. Yeah, I mean, I mean, it, it definitely was there. It's it's just it's just human nature to have that, you know. <laughs> but uh, but yeah, so that's the whole Shane Douglas thing, and now his uh, character's changing somewhat as we get along in the the spring and the summer. All right, Plymouth Va- Plymouth meeting, excuse me, Pennsylvania, the night before on April nineteenth, drew three fifty. We have the pit bulls over a bad crew, so we know who's the, whose license is being used on this show. <laughs> Brian Legal to no contest of Axel Rotten, Guido over Hat Myers, Taz over Mikey, Scorp pretending TV title over Sabu, Shane Douglas and the Sandman over Billy Black and Rob Van Dam. Now that is a match that piques my interest. And then we have a lumberjack match for title, Raven over Tommy Dreamer. So, yeah, Billy Black and Rob Ooh, Van Dam had quite the rivalry. And uh, Peach State Wrestling for a year plus over the Cordial City Heavyweight title. Um, and here they are teaming up here. Around the same time that some of these guys are working the shows in Cordial. Scorp, uh, Black, Van Dam, 
Raven. Yeah. So interesting match there on that show. Very interesting. Blood is back. Well, sort of. On the April 16th TV show, they had an interview with Tommy Dreamer, who's hit bleeding during the promo. They had blood on both weekend house shows in Plymouth Meeting on the 19th and the arena. The Plymouth Meeting show saw one of the Bruce Brothers bleed from the back of the head, so it was clearly unintentional. At the DCB Arena show, Raven bled in his style defense against Shane Douglas, which was also said to be unintentional. According to Paul Heyman, because of insurance reasons, he said he's not even considered in bringing back the blade, and that under normal circumstances, he has to stop the Raven Douglas match because of the blood. But since this is the main event, he felt they needed to have the pinfall finish. He said Dreamer bleeding was planned, but it was an interview and not during the show, so there was no insurance problem. He said that he overestimated the effect of the Tommy Morrison HIV story, and that at some point in time, the probability of his bleeding might return, but it isn't going to be soon. The lack of blood had turned into an issue because promotion was built on many things, blood being one of them. And every show, you can sense fans wanting blood. All right, Fix, give us more context to this story. The blood, the ban on blood. So when it came out through a Nevada State Athletic Commission test that boxer Tommy Morrison was HIV positive, it caused this whole shitstorm where, for some reason, the only promotion to officially ban the blade as a result was ECW to avoid potential bad publicity. WCW stuck with blading a little, for a little bit. WWF weren't going hard with it anymore, but, like, they didn't officially ban it. ECW is the only one that actually was like, we are banning it. Think about that, folks. Yeah, WCWF had more blood than ECW did in, in this point in 1996. Think about that. Yeah, so for two months, ECW had zero blood. Yeah. Insane. Insane to think about. Um, but, you, I mean, you know, I, I really didn't miss it as a fan. You know, because there was so much great in-ring action at this time in ECW that you don't miss the blood because ECW had been built up on on the hardcore style and stuff. But at this point in time, you look at who's wrestling there, and you got you know, really good in-ring action. You got Ray and Hoovy coming in, doing their stuff. You got Sabu. Scorpio's having the best year of his career in 96. Van Dam, same thing. You know, I mean... Eliminators, you got this stuff going on, and it's just—it's like it's not really needed. Everything's working all right without it. I, I didn't even know that. I—I I didn't notice because again, I was like intermittently online, not really much in '96. Uh, I didn't have access to newsletters. I would grab a PWI still at that time here and there. Um. But I watch ECW Weekly, and I honestly, because I, I didn't consider myself a vampire at that time, uh, I didn't really even get into blood as a dramatic element of wrestling. It's like something that I liked. I thought enhanced things and really kind of intellectualized it until until we were doing the Death Valley Driver set, and it became a topic of discussion with, with good old Will from Texas and Johnny Sorrow and people like that, um, to where I kind of tried to look from their point of view at it. Um, I didn't really notice, Chris, you know? I thought I, I feel exactly how you did. It was such a good product that I didn't notice when it was gone, and I was okay with it. And that's the thing. I mean, blood, blood and wrestling is great when it's needed. It's yeah, not it needed all the fucking something. time. John Moxley. Oh. Well, I based on <laughs> based on uh, where I drive some of my income when I'm not doing the life of. Um, I, I can only say that I'm nodding my head, but um, <laughs> uh, yeah. 
It's I mean, it's I not call- needed all the time. Unless you, I mean, if, here's the thing. If you're a promotion, though, that, like a deathmatch promotion, I get it. That's what I'm getting that's, at, yeah. That's I, what I'm I get it. I get it. That's your thing. But as yeah. far as, like, a promotion that's more mainstream or, you know, whatever, that you're not a niche promotion, that's it. You don't have to have just just this blood for the sake of blood. Because and, and honestly, then, because I, I then you because then you lessen the impact of when you really need it because everybody's bleeding all the fucking time. Mm-hmm. You know, there's times and I mean, places. In fairness to deathmatch uh, promotions, I have been backstage uh, many times in the last two and a half years where people are like, "Okay, please don't do use this, or please don't." But you're you're the the second or third batch. You can use these two things. You can't use this. Please don't bleed all over the place. This isn't, you know, this isn't the spot for this kind of a thing. That doesn't mean it's all consistent and some and 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 much much like uh like look just just like wrestling has changed where like major matches are in openers or they'll have a hot opening sprint in in WWE. They kind of change the idea of what an opener could be for a show. Um, that's true in deathmatch too. So you'll get like sprint, uh, you know, bloody. Uh, things that that start something, but it won't. It'll only be certain spots, and it'll be in and out in like five or six minutes. Well, the thing so is, like, like, I mean, go back and watch early two thousands IW Mid South and CZW. I mean, not every match was a match that was filled up with blood and weapons. You had different things going on, and then when it came time for the blood and the weapons, the fans were fresh for it. You know. They weren't, but they weren't also. They were hardcore promotions, but they weren't deathmatch promotions. Like that's the thing with difference today with like ICW and stuff like that. They're specifically a deathmatch promotion. So right. they 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 live in a different world when it comes to those type of rules than than other promotions would. In my mind, they 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 have different a different uh, expectation level because the fans that go to those shows expect violence up and down the show because that's yeah. what, it, what it is so it's different but, i like you know. to compare it to, da- to dance too to, to put a bow on it um when people say like oh well that's not wrestling I'm like, well, it is but it isn't like it would be like showing up at a hip-hop dance show or, or or people doing the waltz and being like this is really shitty ballet you're like yeah that's that's not what they're doing, you know. Like, it has its own tenets. It has its own, it has its own uh, rules that that they abide by for it to be good or bad, or why people do something and why they don't. And I had to learn that over time. Why wrestling, is something over wrestling something has else? Different has different characteristics. Yeah, you know, it is a cousin. I think thing. it's a cousin, but it's not the same thing. Yeah, it's all. I mean, yeah, it's it's under under the umbrella, but it's a different part of it. It's like music, right? Music and movies and television, they all have different it's, it's, subgenres. A genre, yes, and subgenres. Thank you, yes. Oh. All right, JT Smith was injured and couldn't wrestle over the weekend because Devon Dudley didn't know how to throw a chair shot without killing anyone in New York. And a week later, his ears were still ringing. Jesus. They were supposed to debut here in Little Guido's Italian tag team. Well, they would, thank God. On that Plymouth meeting, showed Devon aware of what he did, toned down the chair shots he was supposed to do to the point they looked terrible. Well, don't worry, he made up for it <laughs> later on with his chair shots. But yeah, Devon, when he first came in, good God, you won't talk about a damn uh, 
crowbar with a chair. Jesus. He would swing that fucker like it was nothing. All right, Dave gave his rundown of the Fleming show. The Scorpio Sabu match a 20-minute draw. Oh, so the Douglas Sandman Van Dam Black match was a bad match. Oh, okay. This was what Dave heard, which ended up with Sandman caning Douglas. And then uh, Brian Lee interfered in the Raven Dreamer match as a match Pitbull Superbomb Dreamer onto Blue Meanie through a table. That sounds like quite the finish. The Headhunters were advertised for the weekend shows, but didn't appear because they were booked in FMW and won't be back until July. Bix, uh, this is, if it's the CCW Headhunters, what are their names here? Uh, that would be Mofat and Rahim. Mahim. Actually, thank you. <laughs> Mofat and Mahim, the Headhunters, yes. <laughs> oh, me. I thought they were going to be a big deal in ECW. And that sadly didn't happen because they were an interesting act to be in that company. Beef Wellington, Shane Bauer from Calgary's headed in. Didn't he wear just one match? I think so. Yeah. I'm almost positive he'd be right about it. I, I, it's interesting that he didn't get a, a, a more of a run, but man, it is what it is. He probably realized right, but, he wasn't getting a visa either. <laughs> yeah. Uh, and Torch has uh, something about Devon. Devon trained to wrestle Northeast. They're building him at ECW's building as a graduate ECW training center, although he's only refined his skills there. His character is based on Samuel L. Jackson's Pulp Fiction character, a very volatile Bible quoter. <laughs> That's one way to describe it, I guess, Wade. Oh, and then there's this. Also from Torch. ECW is staving off pressure to go on pay-per-view because of, of concern that a failed pay-per-view could be crippling to the company, which gradually is growing without any risky steps being taken. It seems Paul Heyman and company are comfortable using a wait-and-see attitude and making a move towards pay-per-view when the time seems right. As the wrestling preview out of Dallas showed, if you have enough money, anybody can get on pay-per-view, so it's a matter of prudence, not access. That feels like your classic, like, Heyman two hours and 20 minutes into a phone call with Wade at, like, 11.40 at night or something, you know, just babbling and, like, Wade kind of, like, wakes up from from it and just decides to scribble down whatever he hears for that two-minute segment, you know? <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That's basically what it is. Uh, Paul Heyman never changed. All right, let's continue with the indies here as we go to Reading, Pennsylvania, place where Johnny P knows really well. Blaine DeSantis' Pennsylvania Championship Wrestling, where we had Double Delight beating Mark Mest and Max Crimson. Reckless Youth over Don Montoya. Doink the Clown over Nikolai Volkov. Jimmy Dio over D'Lo Brown. Bob Backlund over Dave Keller. Julio Sanchez and Shane Shadows Dave over Keller. <laughs> Julio Sanchez is his tag partner Wade Meltzer. <laughs> and DZ Gillespie over Johnny Graham, Troy Mest, and Juggernaut. Akita Chaos over Race Richards the third. Jimmy Dio won a battle royal. And uh, Stevie Richards and Akita Chaos defeated Mark Mest and Crimson. The first, Why, not, 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 not this show, but this is the this is the the town and the, the promotion that was my first uh, ever indie show about a year and a half later. If you don't count ECW, I mean, ECW was small, like, you know, September of 96, they weren't exactly national, but yeah. we don't think of ECW being an indie. So I, I count this uh, PCW. Blaine DeSantos ran it, opened it up for his kid because they'd gotten a divorce. 
he and his wife, and he felt that the kid didn't have a hobby with him. Like, he didn't know how to connect to his son. And um, he closed up when his son, his son was the ring announcer uh, as a teenager, and then he went off to college, and his son kind of, like, lost interest in wrestling. So Blaine was like, yeah, I guess I'm done with this, this wrestling thing. That's a very interesting uh, reason to open up a wrestling promotion. <laughs> and he was so professional. Like, they had a, like, low le- them. They had a deal with ECWA and Jim Keckner, and the two of them had, like, a low-level deal with um, with WWE. Like, the first time I saw Edge and Christian was here because they had been directed yeah. here by by uh, WWE, by WWF at the time. Um, and he was, it was Sex and Hard Castle and, what was it, Christian Cage. Christian Cage, um, yeah. Uh, yeah, they were in a DX ripoff. So, yeah, because this is right as DX was starting to become a thing. Uh, and Judd Jud the Stud was their manager. I remember that. Because uh, Reckless Youth was in the group, too. It was like, it was like an all-star of, like, you know, woo. The people Al Getz would put in the, the, the woo <laughs> 50 that I marked out for. Yeah. Love you, Al. To this day, I love that. Um, I, I don't think Julio Sanchez was, was, was in that group, but he was on the show. But then, um, but then, like, Judd the Stud was the manager, and you're just like, the, him and Mr. Ulala are the the classic, like, Northeast Pennsylvania, Jersey, uh, Delaware ish indie stalwarts that, that it, it just feels so indie, but you kind of love it. Like, I, I got to live switch Ulala and Matt Tremont having like a blindfold match last year. And honestly, one of the top five highlights of, of my quote unquote career live switching shows. I just thought that that was the coolest thing ever. Oh, yeah. And, oh, those great indie memories. Steel City Wrestling had Def WrestleFest at Edgewood, Pennsylvania. I guess a charity show for deaf people. Uh, in front of 498, we had Batman over Shadow. Only the Shadow knows. Paul Atlas over the Grim Reaper. B.A. Briggs over Sean Evans. Ninja Turtle and Vincent Lee over Masahiro Panic. Love that name. And JB Destiny. Stevie Richards and Blue Meanie over Frank Stiletto and uh, Beastie Lou Marconi. Coco Beware over the Iron Sheik. Lord Zoltan and T Ranchla and Psycho Might be Cody Michaels, Preston Steele, and Dynamite Dean. And Dynamite Dean won a Battle Royal. What a crew of names Cody. on this show. Cody Michaels getting some work. Yeah, he's probably from, promoted the show. <laughs> yeah. A part of it. Well, well yeah. Well, Steel City, was that. um. How, how was that, or was it not? It is Norm. Okay, so I thought so. so they, they, who was uh, who was an actual like Undertaker? Was he that or going to school for that? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. ECWA Newport Delaware April nineteenth. We have Ronnie Roberts over Commando, Rock and Rebel over Thunder, Bobby Piper over Mister Ooh La La. Yeah. Bobby Piper. Why are you Cowboy using Rock Blaze and Rebel and like, my Pennsylvania anyway, but whatever. Hey, well, they, they booked him. Uh, ECW tag titles, Lance Diamond and Steve Carino defeated the Inferno Kid and Boogie Woogie Brown to become champions. Ace Darling retained his ECW title, beating ECWA title, beating Glenn Osborne. Cheetah Master of a Viper and Inferno Kid won a battle royal. Quite the show there. A lot of ECWA stalwarts on this show. Bruno San Martino attended the show that signed autographs on April 24th in Wheeling, West Virginia. For promoter Sal Conti. Of course, Bruno will be uh, appearing for a show promoted by Sal Conti. Oh! Probably, Dave said, probably because of the name. <laughs> the show drew 900 fans, but the ring never arrived. 
Oops. The promoter still paid the town and had to refund all the ticket money. It's believed one of the area indie promoters paid off the guy who was supposed to deliver the ring not to show up. That is not as unusual as occurrence in this business as you think. Well, the more unusual these days is the idea of indies fighting over a territory is a joke, since WF and WCW totally dominate the market everywhere. Well, think about this. Whoever did that did this to a promoter named Sal Conti. They must uh, <laughs> must want to sleep with some fishes somewhere. Uh, not every Italian is uh... dirty, dirty business. <laughs> not the other not one. Every Italian fix, well, but... Waste management is a respectable business, but wrestling is still dirty. <laughs> not every Italian, but still. Hashtag not every Italian. I'm sure that Sal Conti had some friends that were friends. Do we think how Sal Conti was even like his, the person's real name? Do you think that they made that up just to get <laughs> through the show? Yeah, I feel like it's 50 50. <laughs> You know all those hi- Italians living in Wheeling, West Virginia. Italians, yeah, the Italians living in Wheeling, West Virginia. Well, Wheeling is close to Pittsburgh. Right. It is very close to Pittsburgh, yeah. The Italians. All right. Um, a group called the NWF ran a TV tape on April 23rd in Columbus, Georgia, using people like Rock and Roll Express, Greg Valentine, Jerry Oates, Tim Horner, Billy Black, and Dirty White Boy. This group is run by Buck Robley and Jerry Oates. Les Thatcher did the announcing. I wonder if he thought it was the shits. Apparently, they are attempting to work in conjunction with the Duel of the Butchers liaison between them and Tokyo Pro Wrestling. <laughs> I do not remember this NWF in Columbus. Um, I know that there was promotions around, but I don't remember this. And Buck Roby had run the NWF in Louisiana in 92, which is where we got that great buddy Landell promo that I put on Twitter very recently. Uh, but, uh, yeah, I have no recollection of this. So there you go. Interesting note. Dixieland Championship Wrestling. If you're a promotion named Dixieland, you're going to be running Alabama. And Anniston, Alabama, on April 20th, they drew 225 fans as Lee Peak beat Commando. Mr. Tennessee, Larry Santo, bringing the uh, Mr. Tennessee gimmick from Austin Idol's uh, promotion from 93. Beating the Flamingo Kid. Joey Maggs went to double count out with Lieutenant Nasty. Brad Armstrong beat Randy Barber. The Bullet beat Mr. Tennessee by his qualification. And Mr. Alan Martin beat David Lee. So, Dixieland Championship Wrestling, Anniston, Alabama. Hmm. Now we have the Southeastern Wrestling Federation. They ran a show at Rodeo's Club in Dyersburg, Tennessee. That's where uh, the Welch compound was. All right, we have Frank the Tank Parker going to a draw with Hemminger Mosh. Super Mario, oh my goodness, over Luscious Lacey. Oh my God. Sean Williams over Motley Cruz. David Haskins and Dennis Lee over the Rock and Roll RPMs. Tommy Lane and Brad Dustin. Jimmy Valiant beat Bull Payne to retain the SCW title. What a match that is. And David Haskins won a Battle Royal. Hmm, interesting little indies here. I've never heard of before. Uh, on this week's show with some results of name people. And now we go to the USWA. Well, there's been a lot of talk about it over the past week. It doesn't appear a decision has been made regarding this group and its regular Monday night shows in Memphis from the midst of Coliseum to the big flea market, which is a 2,400 seat capacity. The flea market contacted Jerry Lawler and offered him a much more favorable rent deal than the Coliseum. USWA has had problems on and off with the Coliseum and in particular, manager Beth Wade, 
Going back several years, as USWA believes Wade doesn't really care whether or not local wrestling promotion books the arena for something like 50 days a year. Problem surface again recently when Wade fined USWA general manager slash booker Randy Hales 500 bucks after wrestlers broke stuff backstage. The arguments in favor of moving are that the rent will be cheaper, relations with management will be better, and it's been a long time since the group has drawn 2400 to a show, so the capacity is more than enough. The belief is as long as there is Raw and Nitro on Monday nights, that the crowds in Memphis are limited, and Mondays it's Nashville and Louisville that carry the territory, as opposed to Memphis carrying the entire territory, as has been the case since there was a territory. However, Memphis wrestling and Monday nights go hand-in-hand, hand, as the recent attempt to bolster attendance by moving to Wednesday didn't work out either. Downsides that wrestling has been tradition in the Coliseum, that a previous move from the building to the fairgrounds years ago for a few months was considered unsuccessful. They were back in the Coliseum, that a company would look more minor league and thus the crowds would drop even more, which may make up for the decreases in rent. The way it was explained to Dave, the company doesn't want to make the move, but they are looking at possibly making a move, but no decision has been made. Well, guess what they did? They moved they to the big the one. Yes. Hey, they've got a food court with catfish. <laughs> that was one of the reasons. So. Hey, you can't go wrong there with some good catfish. I'll tell you then. I haven't had some catfish in a long time. I need to change that. It's wild yes. that they were still running Monday night in in uh, the spring of '96, though. Well, that's the traditional night. Uh, yeah. You know? But it I is wild because Lawler, I mean, because Lawler's on Raw, but at least Raw's taped. It's not live every week. But mm-hmm. I mean, it's just it's tradition. Mm-hmm. That's that's exactly what it is. But, yeah, and I didn't yeah. Say, I didn't say it as a knock so much as um I just my brain had never thought about how late they went with that. Um, yeah. I think I knew this at one time and had just forgotten it, and now it just it reads weird to me. It, it makes me sad to realize, and I've said, you know you, we we've all seen uh, some footage of like late stage. Uh, Mid South Coliseum stuff where they would just, I think they would just not even do hard cam. They would just have somebody up on the ring apron a lot of times. They had cameras at ringside, yes. They started and, doing that. They started doing that in the late 80s. Mm-hmm. 80, 89 is when that started. I, that's the film tighter. Also, everything was like shot into black. Like you didn't, you couldn't see the crowd. But you didn't yeah. even really see the Well, no, sometimes you could though, because at certain points, for security reasons, they turned on all the lights. Yeah, yeah, and then you, then you see all the empty seats. I'm like, oh no. Yeah, and that would that would be jarring, you know. That would be because ah, man, some of those. It's very much like uh, looking at the the sportatorium in the early '90s, or, or you know, you saw some of the like '93 tapings there, and like you remember what the sportatorium was like. But well, the South Coliseum was such a big building. That's the thing too. Mm-hmm. Was it 8,700 or 7,500? Oh, no. Way bigger. <laughs> really? Coliseum could fit uh, about 11,000 for wrestling. For wrestling. Oh, wow. I didn't, um, I didn't realize uh, that. Yeah, basically 10,000, 10,085 for permanent seats, 11,200 for basketball. Yeah. Yeah. There are some some full nights there that are really awesome. Like those, some of the wide shots of that from the, the heyday of the eighties. Yeah, they were drawing. Cool. They were drawing in like in in less than a thousand, you know. And that's just ugh. yeah. It's rough. Uh, another story floating around is that Jeff Jarrett will work out the remainder of his day of contract, which is believed to be expiring around November, by working for this group and then jump to WCW. As best we can tell, WF is still expecting Jarrett to return over the next month or two. There's at least some smoke to the fire in regards to eventually going to WCW. Well, he goes to WCW. 
about WWF. Um, he makes his WCW debut on October 7th. So there you go. So a month earlier than what Dave's saying, but there you go. And, I mean, good Lord. Jeff had left and came back, left and came back to WWF. I mean, he didn't need to go back again. Been there, done that. Let's move on to something else. So he made the right move. As far as stories regarding Brian Christopher and WWF, Christopher's on a contract at WWF and has been since at last late 1994. However, WWF has no imminent plans of bringing him in, although suspected at some point he'll be in. That's one of those stories you would always hear from time to time, but never gets talked about. I wonder what, if we had Bo on right now, I'm curious what he knows about this. Is it, is it the idea that it's a favor to Jerry in some way? A show of good faith to Jerry? Yes, that's what I would is say. Is it a developmental contract? I mean, because they didn't have developmental contracts back then, as far as we know, but like it's a 1994 WWF contract, so it's not worth anything. You're guaranteed 10 dates and it, $750 or whatever the hell it is. It's basically something to keep him from going WCW, probably. Yeah, but they're not giving... So are they just giving him the value, the minimum value of the contract since they're not booking him? Like, is he making, like, you know, an extra, you know, however much, like, you know, thousand bucks a year or even less? I could see them giving him a thousand as like a retainer and, a, and just a show of good faith, Jerry. An extra grand for doing nothing. Maybe. So, I don't know. I mean, it's, again, it's probably keeping him out of WCW. So, yeah. All right, Jarrett won a unified title on April 20th in Memphis on live on television. During the match, both did some good heel tactics, but worked as baby faces. The crowd's about 50 50, and it's a pretty good match, and lasted more than 18 minutes. The first false finish saw referee Frank Morell get bumped, and all used fist drop and covered Jarrett, but no referee. As all was to Morell up, a much heavier than the last time we saw him, Tony Falk showed up, and Lawler with a chain. They teased the count and finished, but Lawler got back in time. After several more near falls, Lawler again used fist drop, and this time, Frank Morell keeled over as if he was having a heart attack. Lawler then attended Morell, at which point Jared came from behind him with schoolboy Morell quickly got up and counted the fall. After the match, Jared did a heelish interview when Lawler came out and said he expected things like that would happen with fall, but didn't expect what happened with Frank Morell doing a Fred Sanford fake heart attack. Lawler then asked for a title rematch with a time remaining on the show, claiming that when Jared was able to return from his back injury, Lawler would give him a title, gave him a title shot. Jared told about giving Lawler a shot, and maybe I even have him wait 30 days for it, but said he had to defend the title on April 22nd against Christopher. Lawler said that Christopher would gladly step aside, which brought out Brian Christopher, who said Lawler was sadly mistaken. Falk then came out and claimed the reason he did what he did was because Lawler had gotten him fired the last time he was in USWA. Jared claimed to have no knowledge of what Falk and Morell had done, but when Lawler threw Falk into the ring and started beating on him, Jared attempted to save Falk, but was cut off by Christopher. It appears Frank Morell is going to wind up managing Jeff Jarrett. All right, let's watch uh, uh, this finish here. Jeff Jarrett back up, squares off, ties it up. Jeff across the ring, straight into referee Frank Morell. Lawler is covered. 
Waller's yelling for Frank, but you can see Frank is down on the floor, so now Waller's going to come out here. Help him into the ring. That's going to be... Now, Frank's in position. Tony Falk has nailed Lawler from behind. Had a Where did chain. he come from? Did he have a chain? Came out of the back, had a chain in his hand, and while Lawler was down on the floor, helping the referee back in so he could get a count, he was pounded with that chain by Tony Falk. And the referee starting to count. He's up to the count of six. Lawler just Just about counted out as Jeff Jarrett on top one, two, and Lawler kicks out again. Frank Morrell still doesn't appear to be in very good shape from uh, being hammered out onto the floor, knocked out of the ring. Jeff Jarrett trying for the sunset. One, two, only a two count as Lawler gets the shoulder up off the mat. Jarrett goes after him again, whips him to the rope, set. Lawler comes up with an uppercut. The right hand takes Jarrett off his feet. Lawler trying to regain control. Boom with a right hand. That's one way he can do it. Lawler has dodged two bullets. One of them when Tony Falk blasted him outside. Put him down and he just barely got back in right at the nine count. Then Jeff wisely immediately covered him up. And the referee got to the two count and Lawler was in to get the shoulder up and kick out of it. Now Lawler sails off, drops the right down on Jarrett. He's got him covered what's, and... Well, look at what's wrong with Frank. Frank Morrell didn't come in for the count as he is holding his chest. And Lawler hops up off of Jarrett and... Yeah, we, we better have somebody come out of here and look. Jarrett slipped in behind Lawler. The referee jumped up in one, two, three. And we have a new unified world heavyweight champion, Double J, Jeff Jarrett, gets the count, and Lawler is stunned, I am too. Saw here. I saw Frank Morrell, who appeared to be in incredible distress, holding onto his chest. He's pointing at it right now. Lawler is saying what happened, but he couldn't count when Lawler had uh, Jeff pinned. But then all of a sudden, Jeff has Lawler pinned, and Frank is able to get over there and make the count without any trouble. Frank is uh, Frank is. Real, I was concerned about the, about Frank's situation. Boy, the way he grabbed that chest because he had gotten bumped just a little bit earlier. And he, but he's on his feet, walking out of here under his own power. That's a good sign right there. But the the ending of the match, man, I I don't know. But he leaped from the side of the ring where he was holding his chest over when Jeff had Lawler down, and he smacked out a one, two, three, and we have a new unified world heavyweight champion, Double J, Jeff Jarrett. We're gonna take our breath, time out for our catch our breath, and we'll be back in just a moment. That lasted 20 minutes, that segment. It was rare for Memphis to have a segment that long on television. 
Yes, but, especially in this era. Yeah, it was, but it was rare to have a unified title change on television too. So, yeah, this is where you know, this is the era where Lawler turns heel, Jarrett turns heel. I mean, it is a this is a weird era of Memphis television coming up as we're going along here in 96. Definitely weird. You could tell that, I mean, you could tell that things were going on behind the scenes, I guess. <laughs> so to speak. Vader, who didn't appear on television this weekend, is built for a spot show on April 26. So there's that. King Mabel and Brickhouse Brown in their interview where they announced that Rich B. Fine was the newest member of Miller on the Mission, and Mabel gave him a crown and a robe. That sounds delightful. Oh, is this this is this King Reginald or Yes, King Reginald. Mm-hmm. Yep. The newest moon dog called Rover, who is teamed with Spot, is an indie wrestler from West Tennessee. Moondog, Moondog Rover, Rover is let's see. Paul McKnight. He wasn't around very, very long, so yeah. No, I'm trying right, to uh, see if there's anything else about him, but yeah, it doesn't look like it. Mid-South Coliseum, headbangers over Jesse James Armstrong and Sean Williams. Samantha Payne, retaining USA Women's title, beating Miss Texas. Over where? Over here. Cyberpunks, retaining USA Bay Tag Titles, beating Tommy Rich and Doug Gilbert's qualification. Cyberpunks, of course, being Wolfie and JC. Moondaws beat Men on the Mission. Cyberpunk Fire beat Bill Dundee in the first blood match. Fire being Wolfie. Lawler beat Tony Fault by DQ. And then Jarrett, retaining Unified title, beating Brian Christopher. And we talked about this paper earlier, the Confederate Wrestling Alliance, CWA, Bix, at the Sports Home April 19th, drew 600 fans. We have Steve Do It To It Cox over Mike Blackheart, Scott Pusky over Sean Summers, the Sicilian Studs, Guido Falcone and Vito Mussolini oh. over, the, over the Renegade Warriors, Sam Houston and Charlie Norris. What? That sounds wrong. <laughs> That's what it's, that's what a torch has here. I mean, Johnny is it possible uh, Chris and Mark were working as tribal nation and this was part of some feud? Yeah, Chris and Mark had not worked renegade as renegade warriors in Texas in a while. They were tribal nation. Okay. Possible. Johnny Mantello and Wild Bill Irwin in the hangman's rope match. High voltage, Devin Michaels and Bo Vegas beat Firebreaker Chip and Rob Price in your main event. So there's your indie scene here in 1996. And now let's close with everyone's favorite world championship wrestling. And we talk about Hulk Hogan now. It appears Hulk Hogan won't be around until August as he's taking time off to do a movie. There's a lot of sentiment that Hogan brought the company to a new level that they couldn't have reached without him. But that is better for all concerned if Hogan only appeared for a few guest shots a year rather than dominate every Nitro and pay-per-view show. Attendant plans for Hogan to return on the August pay-per-view against either Scott Hall or Kevin Nash in their new role. Although that will change 50 times between now and then. In fact, if Monday's ratings drop, then they probably will, even though there's no head-to-head due to the earlier time combined with it being light outside at 7 p.m., it could cause a panic. And from that standpoint, Hogan's timing of leaving couldn't have been better. The weekend television ratings started their seasonal decline this week because the weather started improving. So when that takes place, it should be nothing for anyone to panic over. But again, the timing will look great in hindsight for Hogan. Supposedly, Hogan's contract with WCW expires after the pay-per-view match with Savage, which now will be a monster truck match as well. 
The logic of Hogan destroying everyone in sight, in particular popping up for Giant's finisher when Giant laid out Sting and Luger with it, when Giant and Sting are the ones companies going to be built around all summer, when he wasn't even going to be back for months, shows just how much he truly had, how much power he truly has, and just how much he cares about doing the right things for the company. Well, let's go to the torch now. On the April 15th night show, the original plans had Hulk Hogan being stretched out after an attack by the heels, which would explain his absence from WCW for several months. He had requested time off, seeing he had a movie deal in the worst to play a Santa character. At the last moment, he changed plans and dominated the giant rather than get beat up by him. As a deadline, word is that Hogan will be taking time off despite the heroic achievement on Nitro. After his last second changing of the plans to book himself in a heroic light, the negative locker room banter about Hogan reached new heights. On every level of WCW, with the exception perhaps of the North Tower executives, people are turning against Hogan with the prevailing attitude being that Hogan is out for himself, only at the expense of the long-term and often short-term welfare of the company. The relationship between Bischoff and Hogan is said to be rocky also. Although Hogan's contract status isn't officially disclosed, one source says he only has two more pay-per-views on his contract, and despite Bischoff's well wishes on the April 21st Nitro to Hogan, should be 22nd, Hogan's long-term future in WCW is at the very least being questioned internally. The feeling from some higher-ups in WCW is that Hogan's only viable if he's willing to turn full-fledged heel. Hogan is against the move. Stay tuned. So here we have, well in advance, what seems like confirmation of Kevin Sullivan's version of everything. Absolutely. And I had no, I've always believed Kevin Sullivan to be 100% true in all of it. Yeah. But think, but think about it, though. All right. You know, if Hogan doesn't agree to that, then, I mean, other than a couple of matches, it's possible we don't have Hogan in WCW again. You know? But the fact that he agreed to turn heel changed everything in wrestling history. You know? Yeah, absolutely. Um, and, I mean, and, and good Lord, I mean, Hogan is Hogan. I mean, he, he changes the plans. He's got, you know, creative control. So he can do whatever he wants. Which, by the way, I mean, in this case, though, like, for crying out loud, like, do business a little bit, man. Why should he? He's Hulk Hogan. I know. I mean... I really wish there was, there was video of... <laughs> I, when, when, I mean, you know, 20, how many years past this? Over, over a quarter century... I have always wondered what when he does re- egregious shit like this, like the giant thing here, like what is, I don't understand how you can walk into a room and go like, doesn't work for me, brother. And then they go, Oh, why? What's the problem, Jerry? Like what's, what's going on? Hulk? I don't understand. Like, I, I assume that he just doesn't give a reason, a logical reason why it doesn't work at this point, because like at this point he doesn't have to, he just goes like, yeah, I don't want to do that. It's just wild to me because I could never, as a person, I couldn't do that, but I also couldn't look at him straight face and be like, okay, man. Like, after the third time, you're like, what the, what the fuck is wrong with you? I just, I don't know. There's no great observations of me on this other than, like, I, I've never gotten clarity on, like, how, how he just would do this and they'd go like, okay, I know he could do it, but I'm shocked that nobody just went, hey, what's the deal, man? Like, how much are you going to be like this? And can you give us a barometer of like when you will and will not play ball? Well, here's the thing. Okay. This would have been the per- absolute perfect time for them to cut bait on Hogan because mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. You, you got Hall and Nash coming in. 
So you got these two major free agents coming in that will draw because of who they are and being what they are. You got Sting, who who is Sting, and you got the Giant, you know, who is gaining momentum and becoming a thing. You don't need Hogan no more. Let him go. I mean, we talk about how how different everything is if Hogan doesn't, you know, join the NWO and everything. But I'm the perfect choice, as we mentioned before, would have been fucking Lex Luger, and it would have made a ton of sense. He was the he was there all along as a undercover agent. We already knew that he couldn't be trusted. Yeah, and look what happens when when he does. Now it's it's messing with your thing, but like, also even if you don't go that way, but like. I just saw a video again was shooting around on Twitter of um, when he wins, I think it's August 4th of 97 uh, in Detroit and he beat Hogan. And like, I had just forgotten what a moment that was. And every like three years that clip bounces around and you go like, Oh oh my God. Like (laughs) they didn't need what, what a great alternate universe where um, I'm not even saying this as a Hogan hater, although I I could have done without it. Um, it's very interesting because I don't know that Vince takes him back right away. Uh, maybe he does. Yeah, maybe oh, he does. He does. He, I mean, in late 96, he's fucking desperate as hell. He takes him back immediately. That's, that, yeah, that's where I stammered backwards just as you were saying that. Yeah, because that's when, like, Warrior walks out that summer, and then there's issues with Sid. Um, man, is that... Because that really changed the whole attitude era thing, just doesn't really come off the same way. Yeah, we talked about on the show how different everything is if Hogan goes there in 97, which almost happened anyway. Yeah. Yeah. So, so yeah, I mean, it's just Hogan being Hogan and doing Hogan things. So, but yeah, definitely a lot of interesting alternate timelines for sure if uh, Hogan leaves around this era. You're right, though, to, to put a bow on this, that this really is the, the sliding doors. It feels like it's a sliding doors moment if the information is true that, like, they can be done with him sooner than later here. Absolutely, yeah. All right, we don't have much in the way of details, Dave said, but the Giant captured WCW title from Ric Flair in the second hour of the taping on Nitro on April 22nd in Albany, Georgia. The match will air as the main event of the April 29th Nitro, which isn't being done live because Eric Bischoff and several of WWE's other top wrestlers will be in Japan for the New Japan Tokyo Dome show that same night. The decision to go with the Giant as champion was made at least several weeks back. As apparently the Giant and Sting will main event the Slambury pay-per-view, and it's always going to be a world title match. So that decision to have it happen and when it did stems from the idea that the word would get out since it was taped, and it would lead to a ratings boost on April 29th when WCW had the moon Nitro for four weeks to 7 p.m. because of TNT's commitment to the NBA playoffs, immediately established a time slot to wrestling fans. The only details we heard about the match is it went nine minutes. As with most decisions of this type, this one will be controversial. Even though Flair is 47, and natural criticism that he's too old to be put in the top position, and his match quality isn't what it was in his prime, the fact is it's the Randy Savage Ric Flair feud on top, which has led to the revitalization of house show business. And based on this past weekend, that feud shows no signs at all of being on this downward slide. From a personality standpoint and the ability to get over a hot angle, there's still nobody close in WCW. Giant, 24, is the type of wrestler who doesn't need the belt to be a focal point and may be exposed for his limitations when the belt's put on him. Basically, all the reasons nobody ever put a world title on Andre and the Giant during his prime, even though he was the biggest drawing card in wrestling at the time. In this day and age, the WCW title is always going to change hands frequently anyway, and the effect of who holds the belt when it comes to things like drawing power and television ratings is minimal in comparison with the WF title. 
which has been built in a manner to give it more emphasis and meaning. I mean, Dave's right about that stuff, but I mean, the Giant being the champion did come off as like a big deal. And then we saw what happened when it took the belt off of him. But it would have been great if, if Sting would have been the one that took the belt off. I mean, here's the thing. If Hogan's leaving the country, if, if they're going to get Hogan out of there, put the belt, putting the belt on Sting and having Sting as a champion with new heels, Scott Hall and Kevin Nash coming in, oh, that sounds great. That sounds fantastic. Well, we needed a time machine to stop Bischoff from getting on that plane to Japan <laughs> because that's where that's where he sees the, the outsider angle and decides to mimic it in, in his own way. Yeah, or I mean just that. Nash being in a different mood because doesn't he? Isn't the story then he then calls Nash and, and throws the idea out at him in like the most broadest of terms? Like he didn't even have a meaningful idea off of it. He's like, "Hey, came back from Japan and they like did like got you another organization coming in and you're like coming in too. So you want to do something with that?" Which is what I recall that kind of story, the way the story kind of going. So, I mean, Nash could have just been in a mood one day and just been like, "I, I don't really." get it or i don't see anything with it you know i don't want to get squashed by hogan so i don't want to do it yeah fix your thoughts i do think being champion helped giant in the short term yeah i feel like he kind of needed it after months of you know the the halloween havoc angle and being the big stinky nasty giant and just all the hogan bullshit i think the one-two punch of hogan being off tv and then Giant getting this dominant win over Flair to take the title, I think went a long way in rebuilding him. I can tell you, 15-year-old me, that completely, exactly what you said. It re- completely rebuilt, rehabilitated him. Um, I remember watching that and being like, oh, wow, okay. Because I had thought of him as, like, Monster of the Week, which is what, what Hogan does when he comes into a promotion territory, like, guys that should be scary and impressive, you know, your Bruiser Brody types just become a monster of the week that you're reminded that they're, they're just being prepped to be beat up by this guy in this way that feel felt phony at that point in time to a young person. To, to, to a teenage boy, I guess I should say, I'm sure with kids, it still works. So this was yeah. really cool to me. Like I, I took time seriously again. Yeah. All right. So we talked about that match oh, i just realized that thing. I mean, it's kind of real quick it's kind of funny but like i think if they have a different physical championship belt it doesn't help but the it worked because you have this huge guy holding this huge belt yeah mm-hmm. and if you want us to hear let's talk about that nitro show number 145 we'll have that uh have that show on there all right nitro on our week live in albany on april 22nd for 6500 fans 3,800 paying 31,335. So, yeah. Uh, saw the American males over the public game about disqualification at 723 when they threw Scotty Riggs over the top rope. After the match, public game did their sandwich. Both crashed on the Riggs, who was on the table on the floor going through the table. Bagwell was the only four whose offense looked even passable, star on three quarters. Christopher Wambi, Eddie Guerrero holding the ropes in 742. The announcers buried this match, talking over even the near falls and big moves, and instead talked about Savage and Flair pairing up at Battle Ball. It was actually almost like watching three people doing a parody of being bad announcers. Jeez. They had dug him against Ming, which they could have ignored instead of these guys. It would have been a good match for anyone else, but considering who was involved, it wasn't much. Three stars. Yeah, one of the worst things about WCW in this era on television is commentary 
on the cruiserweight matches being about main, main events. <laughs> Terrible. But that's what it was. Sucks. Next, we get Rob Garner fix, one of our favorite uh, WCW personalities. And uh, he's got something to say to Randy Savage. So let's go to that, shall we? Yes. When was the last time he even would have even been on TV? Oh, it's WCW. I'm sure he was on way, uh, way, way earlier than we thought. Way later than we thought. I mean, as Rob Gardner, not just a face in a crowd. Who knows? Like, has he been on as Rob Gardner since uh, the Dusty board meeting with Paul Bosch, as produced by? Oh Kevin God, Bosch? yes. Okay. Oh yes. All right, fans, welcome back to more exciting action here on Nitro tonight. And I'll tell you what, a big surprise earlier on. Yeah. I drew the names simultaneously for Slamboree, the Lethal Lottery, and Battle Bull of WCW Heavyweight Champ Ric Flair and the Macho Man Randy Savage. Uh, I, I don't mind telling you that in the past, the Macho Man has had to been restrained, even cuffed recently by friends of his. Now joining me at this time in an official capacity is uh, a vice president with the World Championship Wrestling Organization, the front office, you hobnob with Matt Lambros and some of those other uh, bigwigs, but... Matt Lambros? Rob Garner here tonight. Him, Matt Lambros. Rob, I understand, and hopefully we can get the Macho Man out, but... No mustache for Rob Garner, by the way. ...in an official capacity by you and the championship committee, and of course all of those here... The committee. Speaking of the man... He's not part of the team. Why don't you hold back on the comments? Randy Savage. Randy Savage, you have been out of control as of late, and I knew it was just a matter of time before the office, so to speak, would come down on you. You can't continually be a threat to yourself and other people. And uh, Mr. Garner, any words here for the Macho Man? Mr. Savage, uh, we're very concerned with your current actions, both in and outside the ring at WCW. Now, we at WCW and all the fans understand your current situation with Ric Flair. But you're there right. That's right. But your actions, your actions are totally unacceptable. Really? If this current set of actions and behavior that you're not be intimidated not cease immediately the ramifications to your career at wcw will be severe ramifications what a big word for a suit and tie hey hey hey, hey. Right. let me Please tell you something all you guys down at city hall and wcw are getting a little too comfortable around the macho man randy savage Please. you understand and about nature boy rick blair being my tag team partner i am the tag team partner from hell brother and i will be real creative when i do what i want to do when i want to do it and nobody's gonna stop me you watch it randy that? you send the message watch back it, randy because i don't beat city hey, all hey, hey, gonna hey. blow it up wait a minute now just a second you are trying to get something across here. Mr. Garner, maybe you could finish this cut. Please give us just the opportunity of talking and getting this officious of you will do statement. what I want to do. Mr. Savage, if you cannot control your behavior, perhaps you should seek professional help. Oh, really? You're telling me I need a psychiatrist? Well, I think that you need a psychiatrist for standing there like a little, little, little stupid person, yeah. Come on, don't tell me I need to see a psychiatrist. It's not worth it, no. Randy. <laughs> you know what an open hand slap is? Yeah, hey, Randy, no. wait a second. 
Hit that is not worth it. We have seen Security. that before. Hit them and both. Look, you want to see that? You want to see some excitement? I am gonna create and electrify the whole WCW. Randy, don't do it. Please don't do it. Damn it! Thank goodness. Oh, please. All right. Thank goodness. Randy Savage, uh, totally out of control. He should seek some kind of treatment for his behavior. I thank you, Mr. Gunner. I apologize. We've got more action coming up. Don't go away. He's not. I can't believe that. And <laughs> welcome back. Coming. Yes, thank you, Mr. Gunner. <laughs> I don't know if I was Rob Gunner. I'd have been intimidated. <laughs> Wait, which was in his face like that, looking like he was looking. Yeah. Because, <laughs> yes, I know it's Randy Sa I know it's TV and it's an angle. It is Randy Savage. <laughs> you know? Yeah. They they should just be letting Gene go home and pay him to take care of his health at this point, though. Like, especially here yeah. where he's forgetting names left and right. Yeah. Gene in a good way. But <laughs> Rob Garner. There we go. All right, uh, so next we got uh, Jim Duggan over Mink. In 5 feet 3 after knocking him out with a tape fist, quarter of a star. Then we get Sting and Lex Luger going to a no contest with Flair and the Giants, 725. From a logic standpoint, the rules made no sense. It was explained that the tag titles were at stake and the TV title and the world title. But that Sting could pin, also pin Luger or Giant could pin Flair and win their titles. Okay? So, basically, it's, it's not a tag match. It's a four corners match. <laughs> isn't, that what I'm, isn't that what it sounds like to me? I mean, this isn't the only time they did this. A year later, they do the Harlem Heat, Luger, Giant match for the number one contender. And it's kind of advertised as a tag match, but really a four quarters match. But this one, it seems like, is a tag match. I don't, I don't know. But anyway. Alright, so, um... This is a tag match. Made no sense. Should have been four corners match with those rules. Thanks, Dave. Well, they should have never said John Capin Flair won the world title since it wasn't going to happen anyway. Well, later on it would. And it made it sound like whomever came up with the idea and those who approved the idea were so loaded on drugs as <laughs> to so not have any clue. <laughs> match at Super Heat, though, with Flair in most of the way, doing all of his typical stuff. And then we get the finish. So let's go to the finish run of this match. As uh, we're going to get one of our favorite WCW finished tropes of this era in a major way. This could be it. Come on, Luger. Go ahead and count him out, Luger. Uh-oh. Uh-oh. And when the giant gets that big pop. Oh! oh. Flips the knee, but look Ooh. at that. The giant refuses to let go. He's got it. He's oh. like a human set of channel locks. He will not let go. Oh, that choke slam! Right hand! He still won't let go! Double sledge! He still will not let go! The power of this man is mind-boggling! And finally, a kick does it! Down he goes! The pro reacts! Jimmy Hart! Here comes the weasel in the ring! He gets belted! He got his just reward! Now, what do we got here? What will it be? Oh, no, Rick, you're in a bad neighborhood! Go Get ahead. out of town! Go ahead. Oh, no. He's got coffee. Remember what? What's going on, boss? Holding coffee in the hand. Oh, he oh. up in the giant's eyes. He got the big man. 
Austin. Sting and Luger. They knew it. They scoot. The Giant is going nuts. Flair, he knows he's in trouble. Oh. This Giant has lost it. Run oh, for your life. Man alive. Scalding hot puppy across oh. the eyes. Ric Flair, you can run, but you can't hide, my friend. You done made the Giant mad, and he's going to get his revenge. One way or the other, you can bet on that. That was just an accident, though. That was a total accident. Yeah, yeah, yeah. The Giant is incensed. Ric Flair begged him. You saw it right after it happened. He begged for forgiveness, but he got out of Dodge in a real. Here he goes okay. again. He goes against the oh, top. Oh, no. Listen, let's see if we can hear him. He's on his knees. He's begging oh, for forgiveness. Oh, no. It was an accident. You know. Oh. Rick, don't get up in his face. No, 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 no. <laughs> Wipe him off, Rick. Do whatever you have to do. Uh, a brave man dies once, a coward dies a thousand times. I'll tell you what, the 11th commandment should come to mind here, Ric Flair. Don't make that giant man. Do we want the promo? Uh, let's go to Gino. Take it, Gino. All right, yeah. uh, Jimmy Hart. I, I just happened to see all of this myself, but I can't believe it. Ric Flair, giant, nailed you in the face with scalding hot coffee, and you're not happy. <laughs> I'm not happy. That coffee burned. <laughs> we should point out his skin is not even red. The coffee burned. Like he told you the coffee burned. What more I do you know, need? They didn't even use warm enough water to make him at least look a little redder. <laughs> no, I understand. I just think it's great. It's the expository thing I was talking about like an hour ago with, or, or whenever this gets cut up with uh, Sapolsky. Well, Bix, uh, what was thrown in Giant's face? Well. I'm guessing that when they were trying to come up with a finish in the booking meeting, it sounded something like this. About coffee! <laughs> yeah. Making this long way to return to between the sheets. All right, back to the giant. No! I am the real giant! Now I fulfill my legacy! Next Monday, the World Heavyweight Championship belt on your throat! It's more! Oh, 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 just a Let's second. Rick Flair! Rick Flair! Hey! Yes! I tried to apologize! You didn't like it! Flair is cutting a promo on people who cannot hear him because he's not typed <laughs> in over the PA. <laughs> of course. It's well, he's at the announcer's body. desk. Yeah. Yes. Nah, I'm mad! He tried to apologize. I don't like the way you look at the girls anyway! <laughs> I don't know. So you guys, till the end of the show, to apologize to me! Our next week, I'm going to kick your big ass. What, did Giant just know that he, if when he point, when Flair pointed, he was supposed to react? <laughs> there you go, Has my friend. Number one, Bobby Heenan's hiding under the desk. I apologize for the language of the Nature Boy, Ric Flair. Oh. for... Heenan, you heard it. Flair in the Giant next week right here on Nitro. And I'm being told they want it, they got it, you'll get it. I can't wait to see Flair sticking his head in that mat like he's an ostrich. Okay, Rob Garner back there. 
He's telling me he will get it signed. The world title will be. <laughs> of course he will. Line. I'll tell you what. So much going on. The Macho Man Randy Savage. He's let out of here in handcuffs again. This time by law enforcement, not by about W. Not by WCW personnel. This guy may oh, miss that over the line. You know, Rick. Uh, Rick, please listen to me. I've known you your whole career. Get some help. Do something, Rick. You're causing too much Man. trouble. Let me explain to you why. First of all, he's got this match with Savage. As his partner, he's got to concern himself with. The man wants to take his head off. Now he's just had trouble with the Giant. Now the Giant wants Flair in a match. They're going to sign that. They're going to make that happen. Rick, I don't know what you're doing wrong, but your life is not going in the right direction here. You're in trouble. And the Giant after Flair, the Giant's hungry. Things don't look good for Rick Flair. All, all. right, Michael, I know you got a lot to say. We are running out of time. This program, no. Next 7 o'clock. Eastern time right here, Nitro, as we lead into the NBA, and it will be the Giant and Flair, the World Heavyweight title on the line. We'll see you then. Compare the ending of Nitro to the ending of Raw. <laughs> I was going to say, we really lost something with the death of any improvisational I mean, I'm sure some of it, when things go wrong, I'm sure there are people who have to improvise and they're either good or bad at it. But we really lost something. I mean, there's just, there's no Keenan in, in, in wrestling anymore. And there's not really the chance of it because they're just spitting out sound bites because everything is so tightly controlled. And it's just, it's such a bummer on a creative level that you don't have, you have, Artists without agency is the best way I could, could say it. You know, I, I understand the need to control things, but the, the way that our, our entire lifetime since the 90s has just been like people in power in wrestling just tightening and tightening. Specifically, Vince McMahon tightening and tightening because like he doesn't like the way somebody walks, he doesn't like the way somebody looks, he doesn't like a camera shot because it's too low, he doesn't like this person's haircut. You know, he doesn't like facial hair on, on a certain type of, of And it goes through phases of that. It's not a, a, a thing that's yeah. always there. Yeah, it's not, it's not static. Yeah, but which, what you get is you don't get Bobby Heenan anymore. You know, you don't get a character who understands what they're trying to get across and is empowered, who given agency to make it. Uh, that, 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 that's why you just have people who are just kind of like lost with their lines in a lot of cases. I don't think they're very good at reading lines. Cody seems very good at reading lines. Um, and and I'm sure he gets to improv some of that a little bit. He gets to co-write it or create a lot of it. But what you're, what you're missing is just on the spot, off the cuff stuff. I understand that it goes bad sometimes or, or it has well, historically. But, there's but, more of it now than there has been. I mean, that's the one thing. Yeah. I mean, there there was a time there in the two thousands when it was just rough. Yeah, rough. No, I don't like a lot of raw. A lot of raw, specifically when after bit what I call business construction, and they're the only game in town. Um, and especially when they go back to to well, no, no, because I'm thinking oh four stuff too. Like there is some. They're just paying a lot of people to write of a, a really childish variety show that even the writers like. Remember when there was that boom of writers just doing podcasts? No, and yeah. just be like, ah, ah, none of my ideas really ever made. I, I none of my ideas ever really made it to air, but I, I wrote a lot of horrible shit that the old man wanted to see. Yeah, yeah. 
That was just great, though. I guess it should be, it just be spit it and be positive, and then get and get off of this. You say that like, man, he didn't was him. It's so subtle. There's nothing. There's nothing legendary about what he did in that moment. But that was just a case of something that like I really missed. Yeah. Yeah. All right. Um, Bischoff mentioned Torch had this. Bischoff mentioned on Nitro that the Detroit Lions are interested in having the Giant play for them. There is some truth to that. A football wrestling fan out of Minnesota had pitched the Giant to the Minnesota Vikings. When they didn't show interest, he pitched the Giants to a former Viking coach who's now with the Lions. They showed interest. And apparently, Wayne Fonts, the head coach of the Lions, has signed a letter sent to WCW expressing interest in the Giant appearing at Lions minicamp this summer. Giant, WCW sources say, knew nothing about it until Monday night. It just was never going to be a thing. It's like the Andre thing where they tried to pitch to Andre should join Washington in the 70s. And it just wouldn't... This is one of those things that wasn't going to happen. He wasn't a football player. Like, Brock Lesnar was a football player. I mean, Brock Lesnar actually go? was a football player. So. Yeah, but he wasn't a pro-level type player. No, but he was an NFL-caliber athlete, at least. Well, but he did it of his own accord, though. Yeah. That's the, that's the main point. Right, was well, of his own accord. No... Go ahead. There's just no reason for WCW to go, hey... Because even if they're getting public relations off of it, like, they can't control that situation. You know, it becomes a major liability. He could embarrass himself. He could get hurt. Um, Why would they be paying him to do that when his value to them is in the ring? Yeah. And there there had also been the Stephen Neal thing not that long before, which informed a lot of Lesnar's thinking with that. Yeah, but Stephen Neal played football in college. <laughs> and he was a contemporary of Lesnar. And... Yeah, but a big difference. He played major college football for four years. <laughs> Wasn't Huge there difference. something mitigating about Neal, though, that I'm forgetting? I feel like there was something, some other factor in play, though. Yeah, but still, he played four years college football. Okay. So there's a big difference. But it wasn't necessarily uh, a team. What team was it for? Like, what division? The New England Patriots. No, 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 In the when he was in college. Uh, uh, hold on. I won't say Boston College, but I'm not sure of that. Uh, it wasn't Minnesota. It was uh, uh Cal Cal State Bakersfield. So what division? So it wasn't, it wasn't major college football, but still, I mean, he was. Okay, that was the mid. Oh, oh, wait a minute! Whoa, I'm I'm wrong. I'm wrong. I'm wrong. He never played football in college either. Okay, that's. Had he played in That's where the comparison was, I'm guessing. He yes. was signed as an undrafted free agent by the Patriots. Never played football in college. He, they they waived him. Okay. Eagles signed him to the practice squad. They cut him. No, they didn't. The Patriots signed him off the practice squad. He didn't play the rest of the, of the rookie season. And then in 2002, he made the roster. And then he pretty much played the next nine years in, in NFL. Okay, so yeah, that's what it was, that like Brock, he had played in high school, but did not in college, but they were super stud athletes, so blah, 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 blah. You get the idea. And you, but, but, but you know what the difference is, though? The big difference in that? Stephen Neal was offensive lineman. Brock was trying to be a defensive lineman. Totally different totally different uh, positions. Way different. Not, offensive line's not easy. By any means, it isn't necessary, but it's different. All right. All Dave heard about the April 29th show is beside the title change. Sting and Luger be Harlem Heat to keep tag titles. Steiner's over Fire and Ice when Rick fit Ice Trade. Regal Belfast Bruiser. 
here in the ladder match was the best of the four with both guys bleeding hard way. Brawling outside the ring into the parking lot where Regal Powell drove Finley through the car windshield. Okay, so that's yes. the parking lot brawl, not a match that goes into the parking lot. Yes. So, uh, yeah, that's the Nitro the week after our week, which we talked about on show 145. So there you go. All right, in the ratings war, Raw won. 3.3 rating, 5.0 share. Their best figure head-to-head to date. Well, Nitro did a 2.7 to 4.1 share. Nitro's replay did a 0.9 and a 2.8 share. Breaking it down the quarter hours tells an even more interesting story. WWF actually destroyed WCW for the first 45 minutes by a 3.5 to 2.4 margin, which if it held up would have been the largest margin for WWF win to date. However, it reversed in the last 15 minutes as WCW shot up from a 2.4 to a 3.2, while WWF fell off from a 3.5 to a 2.9, which closed the final rating. Murder, she wrote, which precedes Raw. Excuse me, I, re- I read Murder, she wrote wrong. Let me do it as Pat Summerall. Murder, she wrote, which precedes Raw is now beating Thunder in Paradise by a 3.0 to a 1.1. <laughs> Angela Lansbury is a much bigger draw than Hulk Hogan. WCW's other weekend weekend numbers saw Saturday night do a 2.4, main event 2.2, and pro of 1.3. So, Raw got a big win here over Nitro on this evening. So, there's that. All right. Now we have a WCW everybody moment. This week's worldwide gap was there in a match with Luger versus Kurosawa. Manaba Nakanishi. In this match, Luger had Jimmy Hart in his corner, despite him being on the March 24th pay show where Luger said Jimmy Hart would no longer be in his corner. And Luger used the megaphone for the finish and worked as a heel in the match. The announcement the voiceovers didn't even make an attempt to explain what was going on in the framework of change the storylines. Yeah, that said with syndicated television. That's what happens. Yep. See the tactics. Thank you. Uh, so, I mean, it's just the way it is when you take... These, all these shows so freaking early. This is what you get. Yeah. Saturday night was taped on April 17th in Anderson, South Carolina. It was actually a better show than they'd done in a while. Regal and Finley had another good short match, while Benoit and Alice Wright also had a good match. It probably gave me nasty boys as good as well. It definitely needs some quality control because the cruiserweight deal has gotten laughable. On April 22nd, Aaron Bischoff said Chris and Wong had been eliminated from the tournament by Shinjiro Otani in Japan. And they ran out a bunch of reasons like jet lag, late phone calls, and made him look a more of a whiner than Vince Man ever has. Five days later, there, Benoit versus Alice Wright, and that's the winner would go to Japan to compete in the finals of the tournament. And, of course, Benoit, who was announced as having been eliminated and already come back from Japan a few days earlier, was announced as going to Japan. Of course, the double elimination stuff has never been hinted again, again either. Let me tell you, everybody. <sighs> <laughs> Great. I mean, quality control. Everybody's got to get rid of. Everybody's got to get rid of syndication just because they can't keep their shit together. That's quality what control. Quality control. All right, we don't have details of the shows, but weekend house shows were very successful. April twentieth in Little Rock drew six thousand fans, six five thousand on the gate. Main event was of course Flair and Savage. However, Flair missed his flight as his son Reed kept winning in a national amateur wrestling meet. He ended up placing third in his age group at eighty three pounds. So Savage beat Crispin Wall in the main event. Interesting timing of that story. Because here we have a Patreon show coming up on patreon.com slash 20 sheets for two years later where the shit is a fan on this one. Uh, Flair and Savage headline April 21st in Jackson, Tennessee, which drew 47-18, about 100 shot capacity. 
$53,000 gate. A phenomenal figure since it's the largest wrestling crowd in that city in 12 years. And WCW has no local television in the market. Road Warriors and Steiners are scheduled to semi-main in both cities, which is a hot draw and match, but didn't take place since Warriors canceled a few weeks back and Steiners wrestled Harlem Heat Public Enemy instead. So, Flair and Savage, Bix, as we talked about before and talked about earlier in this segment, drawing the big houses. Mm-hmm. It's a hot program. Yep. Saturday night was taped on April 24th in Rome, Georgia for May 4th and 11th for 1,900 fans. Flair and Savage both no-showed but there were signs posted in front of the building. Well, there's that. Um, Benoit beat Barbarian when referee stopped the match. Lee Marshall interviewed Benoit and R, where Kevin Sullivan came out and did the same basis they were Sullivan. Benoit argued. That ain't going nowhere. Steiners, who argued throughout the match to build heat for Slamboree, beat the State Patrol. Alex Wright beat Billy Cannon, <laughs> formerly Kid Flash. And during the match, Cannon did a great shooting star press. Billy Kidman. Yeah, Billy I think Cannon. this is actually his first appearance as Billy Kidman. Billy Cannon won the Heisman Trophy in 1959 for LSU. Not the same guy. Giants was defending his Luger, but Luger hadn't arrived, so Giant destroyed Bagwell in a few seconds. As that happened, Luger finally showed up in his street clothes doing a run-in and claiming he had car trouble coming from a golf tournament. They're going to do a gimmick where Luger keeps arriving late for every match with a Giant for the title. Anyway, this one says that May 6th time match at Nitro, which he'll probably arrive late for as well. How many flat tires did he have? <laughs> Four flat tires. May 11th has the Steiners going double count out with Fire and Ice in a good short match. Eddie over Bobby Eaton. After the match, Regal and Taylor kept yelling at Eaton for losing, so they started teasing a breakup. Public Enemy over Steve Dahl and the Gambler, as they did the deal with Dahl on the table, but Dave thinks this time the table didn't break. Apparently, WCW has been buying the wrong kind of tables. As on Nitro, Riggs was hurt and needed two dozen stitches because the table-breaking deal hurt him. Two men events saw VK Wall Street over Craig Pittman in submission match. Shark interfered, and when Pittman went after him, Wall Street got a sleep from behind. So it'd be a candidate for worst match of the year. But after the last WF and WC pay-per-view shows, they don't think anything can be a candidate. <laughs> uh, <laughs> they bought the wrong kind of tables, huh? Yeah. Yeah, these rest promotions. Next, we have a very, very big group by the name of. Uh, I like this group really do. Quality Control. Jurassic Park. Yes. I like this group really do. There you go. Yo. Yo. Hey, yo, my Quality Control. Captivate your Party Patrol. Yes, they need some Quality Control. I want to talk those guys in Philly. Go ahead. No, Jurassic Park was great. Oh, I, but the, 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 the story's basic. I, I went to go see them. They're they're amazing. That they did not. I had never been to a hip hop like concert before, like a show. So I knew that like Action Rose made people wait, but I didn't like they. You know, the, the opening act goes on, everything's on time. Then there's a second act. We then wait two and a half hours till Jurassic Five like arrives and goes on stage. They do a forty-five minute set, which is killer, killer set, but only forty-five minutes. And then they're like, all right, see you later. That was the end of the show. Oh, that was a bitch. You know, well, they didn't have they, minutes. Right. And they didn't do the diva thing of like, like they were just, I, I don't think they were even in Philly. I don't think they, they were in, in Philly anywhere near the time they were supposed to go on. But once they got there, they did a great show. So you didn't get the whole like Axel Rose is an hour and a half late. And now he's going to take it out on you, the fans who paid because he's been pissed off. 
So you didn't get that, but you did only get the 45 minutes after waiting until like 1230 at night. So that's my uh, dress class story. Very, very good. Yeah. Um, that makes me think of the uh, the Guns N' Roses concert well, in Japan, I think, where Axel keeps stopping as they're doing You Could Be Mine because people are throwing trash and has to bring out the English to Japanese translator each time. Yeah. Yeah. I thought you were going with Montreal. There's so many different, you know, Guns N' Roses shows by city of, like, what happened. St. Louis. St. Louis is what I was going to say. Oh, no, it was Buenos It wasn't Japan. It was uh, Buenos Aires. Um, Okay. Yeah, Axel has a a few in his resume. (laughs) They're they're not even coming to Atlanta on this next tour. An interpreter. Which is interesting. Alright, enough of this. Alright, Gene Huckler plugged his 900 line saying that Flair kisses Elizabeth on camera. Imagine what goes on behind scenes! He said he chronicled all the toward behind the scenes affairs and stressed kids should really get their parents permission on this one. <laughs> Gene, Gene said they're fucking. I wish that there was somebody who did a really good Bean Gene impression so we could get like, you know, a minute 30 to two minute bits on YouTube of him doing like really lewd, like in poor taste hotline updates. Well, you could do the, well, there's the, uh, whatchamacallit, the 11 Labs voice AI thing. I think, isn't there some Okerlund stuff on the, the things that our Vantage Point guy's done? I don't know. I don't pay attention to any of the AI stuff. I really try to avoid yeah, all that. <laughs> I try to avoid all the AI stuff as much as I I'm, I'm, I'm only familiar that, that we're going to be replaced by, by the robots, nah, just like just, in Terminator suit. The AI just oh, makes me uneasy. All right. Chad Brock. Same, Chad, same. Yeah. <laughs> Chad brought Chip Mitten, Engine Joe Gomez. Oh my <laughs> god! <laughs> Engine Joe, uh, Kenny Chaos, and Rob. Wait, is his partner gonna throw. be N Word Jim? Like, what are we? What are we doing? <laughs> this is Dave. And Rob Ruckus all got tryouts. So Ladder four worked with each other and had a strong tryout, while Brock looked terrible. Chaos and Ruckus have been t- working any shows of late in Kennesaw, Georgia. Gomez had improved a lot since the last time he was in WCW. <laughs> Engine Joe Gomez. Oh, my goodness. Well, all of them get higher. <laughs> but uh, Chad Brock will become more famous from his country music career than his uh, wrestling career. Shark, who was earning $250,000 per year, was cut to make room for the impending salaries of Holland Nash. He wasn't really cut. Uh, it would go in the newsletters a week later that his contract was running out or something like that. So, not cut. Eric Bischoff gave an interview to Mike Mooneyham on the Wrestling Observer Hotline and talked about his side of the Mark Merrow departure. People want to jump all over this thing and paint Eric Bischoff as Satan because that's kind of in vogue right now. I like he referred himself third person. But Johnny came to me and expressed his concern. And what do we do? We changed it. If you look at the television, it's quite obvious. We didn't have a problem with it. I was concerned he was taking his professional on-camera life way too seriously. He had a problem with Kimberly as his valet because he doesn't know how to answer his daughter. I understand that. We made the change. But what happens if we need him to take on a different character? Where is the line? How do we know what we can do with the talent when we don't know how the talent's personal life is going to be affected by it? That's the issue that I brought up, and we resolved the issue. That was not an issue between Johnny and I. 
he's bringing it up because he wants to make it appear he was justified in making the decision he made. But the reality is we overcame that problem and we have moved on in an entirely different direction. Dave says, actually, I believe both Miro and Bischoff would both agree that aspect regarding him, asking for Kim would be taken away from him, was totally overplayed by a lot of people in regards to being a significant reason Miro left the promotion and other aspects such as Titan's ability to make new stars, getting a job for his wife, and minor heat over other things with WCW being more important. Getting a job for his wife is inserted here, Bix, on this. Interesting. So it seems like that was the that was the play. Yeah. So there you go. Yeah, I guess so. Um, by the way, I didn't have Gene available, but I did find someone. I don't have a Gene Okerlund artificial intelligence voice ready, so it is I, Murray Hodgson, who is happy to tell you about <laughs> Ric Flair using the baby arm to do all sorts of fucking with Miss Elizabeth. Their passionate lovemaking was absolutely breathtaking. Also, if you'd like to learn about the history of ECW, you should watch Barbed Wire City on the High Spots Wrestling Network. Thanks, Murray Hodgson. Thank you, Murray. <laughs> it is scary how good that came out. That's it's so obscure and so good. Like, what the fuck? We're getting replaced. We're definitely I'm getting replaced. You. I'm telling you. It's just it's insane. Ugh. All right. Quick hit time. Quick hit time. It, go ahead. Oh. <laughs> There continues to be talk that WC will inevitably be moving their base of operations from CNN Center Atlanta to Orlando. Either way, it appears WCW theme ride will be added to the theme park. They talked about this for multiple years. Never happened. So I guess you could see why it could happen, but it never happened. I wonder where that's coming from, though. You know? <sighs> that, I don't want to speculate. Speculation. Speculation. You just think it's office people who are afraid they're going to have to uproot their families, maybe? So that anxiety is coming out? Here's one thing, Johnny. It was also this – this was the week when it was announced that they would be in Orlando all summer because of the 96 Olympics in Atlanta. So that was feeding stuff, too. Yeah, because Um, all of the Turner mobile production units were being monopolized by the Olympics. Exactly. Right. There's talk that mental emission will start with WCW in May. You know, if they oh, start be- having a stable with the ex-WWF guys, and maybe they need a third man. <laughs> yeah. The Ric Flair, Mongo, and Michael wife angle will develop in the upcoming weeks. This is what I was alluding to earlier in the show in the Pillman segment. Um, the rumor was at the time that it was going to be that Mongo's wife was going to leave him for Ric Flair and it was going to be Ric Flair Mongo as a feud. Oh, that would have been amazing to watch. <laughs> Imagine those matches. Yeah. Uh... <laughs> oh my goodness. Oh, wait a second. Murray has some thoughts on this. Yes. Oh, Jesus Christ. How many different guys' wives is Ric Flair fucking in WCW storylines right now? <laughs> Murray is a great addition to the, to the Between the Sheets team. As, like, kind of like, a, a, you know, like Fred Norris. He just jumps in from time to time. Or, or, no, not Fred. Oh, who's the guy? Oh, West. Uh, Billy West. Billy West, yes. Bill, Billy's been. Uh, this is the new Billy West for you guys. I love it. Jackie Puffett. <laughs> we have yeah. our own Jackie Puffett. 
<laughs> I love this Murray Hodge. Like, like that's this, that's so good. Like this obscure guy from wrestling history who just like says anything. I just fed a min- minute of him on Donahue and what you call and uh, Geraldo into the gimmick and the. It's it can it has so far so far it's come out better than any of them. Like I've gotten some decent results some, with some other ones, but like Vince, I've had trouble with Heyman, I've had trouble with. For some reason, Murray Hodgson immediately came out perfect. <laughs> oh my goodness! Like this was the this was the thing I did that I tweeted. I don't know if we played it on the show. There was this. There was. Hey, everybody out there in TV land, this is Murray Hodgson. I'm sure you're wondering what it feels like to be referred to as a lifelong con artist by your own lawyer. And unfortunately, I can answer that for you. It fucking sucks. How do you think it feels? (laughs) So what if I made up a story out of the blue where Pat Patterson not so subtly offered to suck my dick and got me fired over (laughs) refusing his imaginary advance? (laughs) Fair, fair, fair point, Murray. Hello, this is Murray Hodgson, better known to whichever Marks in Des Moines saw me on the World Wrestling Federation <laughs> television network as Bill Jennings. <laughs> oh, my goodness. All right, the closeout. Expect WCW to fairly quickly go to Hulk Hogan versus Scott Hall and Giant versus Kevin Nash fuse before the inevitable Giant Hogan. Again, those alternate universes sure sound intriguing. <laughs> I mean, in August, you're, you are getting the Giant Hogan match at, at Sturgis. But yeah, no, yeah. it's not really what they're talking about. No. Playing so, subject uh, to change. Yeah, I don't, I don't really love that world. I got to be honest with you. It I think been it worked out. Yeah, I think it worked out better. For once in wrestling, it worked out better. Well, it, it changed the business. That's for damn sure. So there is that. All right. Well, that is it for us this week. Johnny P, you're a very busy man. You have a lot going on these days. So uh, tell everybody what's, uh, what you got coming out and what you've had come out lately on IWT. All right. So <clears throat> way too much, <laughs> uh, actually, uh, which I guess is a good thing. It's a good thing for you guys, at least. Uh, on IWTV, um, I am the guy who makes the, the monthly docuseries named uh, The Life Hub, but lately, instead of one episode a month, we've been doing several. We've had some specials. So uh, at the beginning of the year, we started out all normal. We had Kevin Koo, and then we had The Kirks uh, for February, which is a wildly popular episode. That's when it gets crazy. Um, our primary episode for March was uh, The Life of Billy Starks, who may or may not be on your on your, but she was on your national TV set uh, a couple of days ago. Actually, it might be more. We'll see. She has we'll some sort of AW contract. Sure. Yeah. Um, I hope so. Not now. I'm like I, I need to back out. I, I don't know for sure for the record. Um, well, I mean, Tony yeah, Schiavone. Yeah. Tony Schiavone works in talent relations and explicitly says she has a contract. Yeah, I, I took I took that as a flub on his part that he shouldn't have said, but I haven't asked her personally, just so she I don't. She has some you know. sort of deal, and in AEW, that there's, there's there's different, there, there, yes. there are different deals. Yes, there are different deals. I've had friends who have gone through like three different types of things before the fourth thing is their deal deal. So yeah, yeah there's there's a wide like range. Sky, of, Sky Blue had a deal. And look how long it took for her to finally get the graphic. So I mean, once you get the graphic, right. you, you you know you're definitely yeah, the, in. Right. The graphic Dave seems Atlas to be the... for some reason. Who? Dake Atlas. So apparently, as it turned, yeah. Apparently, as it turns out, it's like 
the the graphic isn't a hundred percent. If it's someone who's been appearing for a while, then you can assume it means they signed a full time deal. But the best indicator is the roster page, is my understanding. Well, the graphic to me. When Tony tweets the graphic out, I mean you're good as I mean you're good. I mean, who do you think told well, me that? A, well, I know, but I'm just saying if he's tweeting out the graphic. Alright, <laughs> right, go ahead. Dude. Not with notwithstanding. Um, that as a no, no, yeah, we have there, perhaps indeed. <laughs> um yeah, we have Billy as our as our primary march, but then we Oh, I'm I'm blurring in my head. Oh yeah, Shaza. That was Shaza March. We had a, a TLO presents Shaza Takes America. That was two parts. So you had three episodes last month, counting the Billy one. This month in April, we have um, TLO presents uh, Searching for Hoodfoot. I think it's Searching for, maybe it's Finding. I don't even know what the show is I produced or called at this point, guys. I'm sorry. There's a Hoodfoot documentary that's different than anything uh, we've ever done on TLO before. Um, it's pretty heavy stuff. Uh, I definitely recommend checking that out. And then, uh, because it's our two year, uh, anniversary this month, actually April 8th was the, was the anniversary. Um, we, the original, the start of the very first episode, uh, uh, at the time, a very good professional wrestler retired as Avery Good. We have, uh, Avery Good retirement, a very good retirement, two parts that's on there. Um, and hell, because like, usually we have a big reveal. But uh, this person just started publicly talking about it because I cannot manage this this human being who who's uh, been in the news recently. Uh, by the time you hear this, um, we we will have everybody already knows that we're going to have Alec Price. That's already out there uh, for May. But for Pride Month, we are going to have Effie. It is more than likely going to be two parts. Um, I'm going to die in the month of May for to get this done. I'm really excited. Uh, I hope Effie doesn't get himself fired from life by that point, but I, I really do love the guy. So I'm rooting for him, rooting for him, myself and him. Um, so that's your, that's your big reveal because he just started talking about it. Somebody was like, oh, I thought he had a GoPro, and I just thought he would no-sell it. And then people were sending me like, yeah, Effie's talking about being, filming the life of back in like February. I'm like, all right, I guess, it, I guess that's out there. Oh, and the uh, um, what, what day is today? The 17th, right? Today's we're recording so, on the seventeenth, yes. Right. Oh, the I show dropped apologize. on the Okay, so four days ago was four days ago by the time you hear this, uh, was the ten year anniversary of Barbara City's debut uh on DVD and at the ECW arena. Uh you can still see that at the High Spots Network. As so Murray said. That that's why they have me on here. Yes, Murray Hodgson <laughs> said, yes. I mean and yes. just a, just an amazing, amazing documentary that I was extremely happy to be a part of and helping. Yes, Jay thank you. Do, do research on that, and um, yeah, it's. Uh, it, I mean, it's about as good as you can get, I think, as far as um, how it was produced and done, and uh, gives if you've seen the WWE ECW documentary and stuff like that. It is a fantastic companion piece to that. So, and you get a lot of great uh, clips and stuff on there that uh, you won't see anywhere else. So, uh, yeah, I can't recommend Barbar City highly enough. Yes. Oh, Murray does have a response though to uh, KP's plugs. Wow, John, those sound great. I can't wait to learn more about the lives of Dasher Hatfield, the Space Jesus, Spuds McKenzie, and Veda Scott for some reason. 
Thank you, Murray. Murray Murray's excited. Uh, yes, you have to wait for part two to see Veda and people like Bailey get married, but it's in our archive. Everybody go to the, the Life of section. We've got over 30 hours. Of, of, thank you for bringing that up, Murray, because I never would have plugged past episodes like that. Yeah. So there you go, JP. Uh, glad to always have you on with us. And uh, yeah, should be uh, should be quite the uh, run for uh, for you on TLO on IWTV. So everybody go check that out. All right, next week on Between the Sheets, we got a doozy. 2001. Uh oh. Well, we better get the Patreon show done this week. Well, the one good thing about this, though, Bix, is uh, there's only one television promotion at this point in time. (laughs) But it takes up almost half the show in notes. Oh, boy. Because it's 2001. Oh, uh, oh, this is Triple H sharing his squad, isn't it? No. Oh, no, wait. It's not that yet. No. That's not May. That's May. Sorry. Yeah. So what do we got? (laughs) Yes. We got all kind of stuff. All right. So... We have a interesting study done by the Winston-Salem Journal on wrestling fans and their behavior, so we'll have that. We got news on uh, some state athletic commissions deregulating pro wrestling. Hulk Hogan has a meeting with Universal. We'll have uh, news on women of wrestling at that, that current incarnation and their financial issues. We have... The new ECW television champion to talk about. And yes, I know ECW's dead, so we'll have news on that. Uh, we got all kinds of other indie news, including Bret Hart making an appearance at an indie show signing autographs, which drew very well. And uh, we got Puerto Rico. We got the promotional wars going on there. We got Rey Mysterio Jr. never working Tijuana again, according to Time Warner. We got... Uh, we got uh, hot stuff going on on CMLL. We got all kind of other lucha stuff. Lots of Japanese indies talk about scummy and other and non-scummy. Interesting looking shows. A lot of great uh, names on that, including yes, CZW and Big Japan. So we will have that. Um, Noah has a Cork and Hall show to talk about. They're setting up a big title match. Antonio Noki's back to the United States from the negotiate with Mike Tyson. So we'll have news on that. We got New Japan, All Japan, talk about. But, of course, yes, it's 2001. There's no other national promotion. So, WWF dominates the show. And, uh, yeah, we got Raw. We got SmackDown. We'll have news on that. We got Bobby Eaton being uh, moved from Memphis to Ohio Valley and the story behind all that. We got injury news. We got Stone Cold Steve Austin, Triple H. What's going on behind the scenes there? Triple H on Bite This. We got Howard Stern's The Contention for Attention featuring WF personalities as they were live from WF New York. So we have that. We got, uh, like I said, Raw, SmackDown. We got Backlash featuring Austin and Triple H against Undertaker and Kane in the main event. And some other matches, including Benoit Angle and Iron Man match, and uh, all kinds of other stuff on that show. And we got the news on, uh, again, this this era, WWF and WC, WF's version of WCW. What's really going on? We got all kinds of news on that. Jim Ross having meetings in Los Angeles. We got contract offers. Who's being talked to? Who's not? We got all that stuff going on. 
what's Jerry Lawler's possible status in there, who, who's going to be announcing, all kinds of stuff. So it should be quite the show next week on Between the Sheets. Uh, no decision yet on a guest or not. We'll talk about that. My, me and Bix will talk about that off the air and we'll see where we want to go in that direction. I'm thinking no. So we'll see. All right. So that's next week on Between the Sheets. JP, always an honor to have you on. Thanks as always. Bix, thank you. You're going to rock the show. This is Chris says so long from the Peach State of Georgia. Everyone, and welcome to Between the Cheats Patreon Special Edition number 78. I'm Husker Zellner, joined as always by my co-host David Bix and Span and Bix. Back to 1998 on this show and a uh, interesting topic of conversation as uh, we're in WrestleMania season now. And this is one of the first real big WrestleMania season celebrity moments. That we that we had in that in that era in the Attitude Era, Iron Mike Tyson. Yes, yes. Which ends up being something that plays a big role in turning the company's fortunes around. Absolutely. So, um, 
Let's get going, shall we? As we go back 25 years. Man, it's hard to believe. All right, now we got Mike Mooneyham, excerpt from Tyson McDavious Wrestling Ref, by Mike Mooneyham, the child's the post courier. Whether he will or he won't, Tyson Engel Monday Night Raw with Dennis' most controversial performer generated tons of mainstream interest. There's a major publicity crew coup for Vincent Mann and company. Tyson's spokesman, Sig Rogich, had said earlier the former heavyweight champ would not wrestle, but only referee to avoid jeopardize his relationship with the Nevada State Athletic Commission, which stripped him of his boxing license in July after Tyson bit off a piece of Van Holyfield's ear in June. The WF, however, has different plans. Much for using the guest, ref- guest referee. Austin embarrassed Mike Tyson with his remarks. It was a call for him, very professional, McMahon said. Mike is now saying he wants Stone Cold Steve Austin. McMahon added he would ask the Boston officials if they would let Tyson wrestle. You know, if European champ Owen Hart chuckles at the idea of Tyson participating in WrestleMania, he says Tyson's unpredictable and sometimes volatile nature makes him a risky proposition for such an event. You're dealing with a guy who's been a rapist, said Owen. <laughs> wow, there we go. Owen don't care. You don't know what to expect with Tyson. In a wrong one time, he might go nuts on you. If he even wrestles, you're going to have to the opponent for what he might be making. People want a piece of meat to chew on. They don't want to just look at him and see him standing in the corner. They want to see him do at least what LT did. They'll spit the match out of him. You'll have to find an appropriate opponent. Shamrock would be a money fight, but I don't know how you'd unload a match like that. Owen recalled at one point that his brother Brett had arranged for another celebrity athlete. Canadian world-class sprinter Ben Johnson was doing that up, but the deal fell through. Well, he would have fit in there perfectly at the time because Ben Johnson, who's built the fastest man in the world, was kicked out of the 1980 Soul Olympics after testing positive for the steroid Stanislaw. The Jamaican-born Johnson was also stripped of his gold medal for flunking the drug test. Oh, he would have been perfect, though. There we have. Oh, and don't give a fuck at this time. No, he, he does he not. Just... <laughs> wow. He's a rapist. No, no, no. The, the phrasing, a guy who's been a rapist. Fantastic. Uh, yeah, that was one that surprised me when I was putting together <laughs> these notes. I was like, here's Owen Hart just not giving a fuck. Nope. <laughs> How about Brett nope. trying to bring in Ben Johnson in 1988? Well, it, it didn't say that's in 88. Well, that fell through. His, yeah. He had his issues in 1988. It, it would have been after that. I wonder when it would have been, though. I don't know. Because Brett's not in a position to do anything, I mean, as a player until 91. You no. Know? I mean, he's got his almost pushes before that. Yeah, I don't know. But yeah, that's funny. <laughs> oh my. To hear this entire show, support Between the Sheets on Patreon for just five dollars per month. Go to patreon.com slash between the sheets.